This takes place in the summer of 2011, in a very small town in the hills of Tennessee. I remember the day like it was yesterday, and I don't think I'll ever forget what happened that night. It was a cloudy day, and had been sprinkling rain here and there. I was 20 years old, and still lived with my parents. I was excited that day because one of my best friends was going to come over for what would most likely be an all-night gaming session. His name is Eric. Shortly before Eric arrived, our neighborhood lost power. The house is on a hill with all of our neighbors being members of the family. Losing power really sucked, but wasn't too uncommon around here. I remember feeling disappointed hoping the power would come back on before he arrived, so as to not disrupt our plans. I figured it would, as it wasn't storming at the time. Our local power company was called. They simply claimed that they were working on it at the moment, with no ETA on restoration. Well, soon enough, Eric arrived, and we decided to kill some time by going outside and just walking around. We stayed outside until it got dark, then we headed back in, wondering just how much longer the power would be out. We sat around, struggling to stay occupied. Most of the time, we ended up just talking in my room. A few hours later, we decided to make a McDonald's run for some food. We hopped in one of our cars and took off. I remember being irritated because shortly after leaving my house, I saw homes with a normal power. Apparently, it was still affecting just our immediate neighborhood still. Lucky us, I guess. After getting some food, we got back home to a dark house and accepted that we probably wouldn't be gaming that night, so we'd have to find something else to do. After eating, we began to grow bored of just sitting around, so we decided to head outside again, walking laps around my house. Around 2 or 3 a.m., I remember the two of us were talking about Mortal Kombat, slowly making our way around the house. Once we made it to the other side of the house, we stopped to chill for a while, still talking. I remember how strangely bright it was outside. None of the street lights or house lights were on, but the moon was just big enough to light up the area with ease as the clouds had moved on. It was eerily quiet without the hum of the streetlights. We weren't talking about anything scary. We were just joking around and laughing when it happened. Eric suddenly mentioned, That's weird. I thought I saw something move down at your grandma's storage building. So we both began looking in that direction. It was at the bottom of the hill and would be hard to make out any real features of someone from that distance. I didn't see anything at the moment, but within five seconds our minds would be blown. A solid white humanoid figure stepped out from the corner of the house, right in front of us. I was immediately horrified that someone had snuck up on us, and my body began to move on its own, turning and beginning to sprint about five steps before stopping. I suddenly turned around to see the figure standing perfectly still. Then my mind began to race, trying to come up with a logical explanation for what I was seeing. It's... it's the gutter. 
I thought to myself, trying to make sense of it. I remember looking at the white gutter against the house and seeing the space between it and the figure. My body was trembling, and I felt my face go pale. I quickly glanced at Eric, who was standing directly in front of the figure, not moving a muscle. He was frozen. That thing must have been at least five feet in front of him. I looked back to the figure. It was solid white and illuminated by light. I could not see through it. It stood at about the same height as Eric, who was six foot three. The figure was human in shape, but lacked features on its body. I could see arms hanging down at its side. I had been looking at the figure's body this whole time, but felt the need to try to make out its face. This is going to sound weird, but it's hard to explain this portion of the story. When looking at the chest area of this thing, it appeared to have a solid blank white head and face, matching the rest of its body. When I looked up to try to see if it had a face, I was met with something that looked like what I imagined a black hole in space would look like. The face area was just a dark void that appeared to be twirling inward, but when I looked away, it appeared white again. I looked back to my friend Eric. We need to go inside, Eric, I said. I watched as he nodded and slowly began to step my way. The figure didn't move. When Eric made it over to me, we both simply began to walk backwards, expecting this thing to suddenly lunge at us at any point, attempt to chase us. But it didn't. We lost sight of it as we rounded the corner of the house, still on high alert, but we made it inside without an issue. We immediately ran to my room, looking out the window. The event had happened right below that window. The white being was no longer there, and we ran to every window trying to look out of it, to find it, but with no luck. I was still shaking, and I looked at Eric. Dude, tell me you saw that out there. I asked him, feeling crazy. Eric replied, if you mean that white figure that stepped out of the corner of your house and just stood there, yeah, I saw it. I'm so glad you didn't just leave me, because if you hadn't said something, I would have just stayed there, frozen. Eric and I couldn't wait for the power to come back on, even more now. We wanted to look up what we may have seen online. Plus, being in the dark after an experience like that, it's creepy. When we were finally able to look up anything, we could not find any similar happenings. We decided to wait until daylight, then we'd go back outside and investigate that spot. We told all of our friends and family of the incident. Some thought we were crazy and others were intrigued. Oddly enough, I discovered that Eric did not experience everything exactly the same. He did not see the black vortex-like face when trying to make out the details of the creature. Rather, he described its face, or the facial area, as pure white. Also, Eric seemingly forgot mentioning seeing something at my grandmother's shed. I brought up time and time again that just before the thing came around the corner, that's what he said to me. 
forcing us both to look in that direction in the first place. He said, yeah, maybe I did say that, I just don't remember. Years later, something else happened that may be linked to this story. My mom informed me that my little sister and her friend were outside sledding in the snow at my neighbor's house, directly above my grandma's shed. Her friend had never heard the story, but regardless, she experienced something odd there. She told my sister, I just saw something moving around at your grandma's shed. Can we go inside? Upon hearing this, I got chills. But still, I know it's not very concrete. You may not believe my story, but I am telling you 100% honestly that this was something that affected mine and Eric's views of the world. Irish Backroads from Admiral A. I live in Ireland, and it has a lot of backroads. This event happened actually a couple of days ago. It was around 9.30 p.m. I was taking a walk with my dog. I like to walk him at night as very few dogs and people are around still. I live on an estate, and outside my estate, there is a long stretch of back roads which leads to a large farm. My dog and I usually walk down this road as there is hardly ever any other people around and barely any cars. Needless to say, we never had much of a problem there, until that night. Now, I wear glasses. I've started trying out contacts, but it's a bit rough. My only pair of glasses at the moment were breaking, so they were pretty flimsy and held together by glue. Also to note, my dog is a border collie, so he's a decently sized dog, but he still gets very anxious and easily startled at times. So while we were walking, we heard a cow, which was common around here, but it still spooked my dog a bit. So I decided to hurry up and walk to the no trespassing sign we usually walk to. Then I turned back around and began to walk home. On the way back, we heard a cow again. No clue if it was the same one from before, but it sounded like it was in pain. It was very loud, and this scared my dog once more, so he began to run. I was only five foot five, so he was basically tugging me along. I had to start running as well to keep up and this caused my flimsy glasses to fall off and break. I picked them up, and I tried to find one of the broken arms. I managed to get my dog to stop running at that point. I had to backtrack a bit, trying to find the spot that the arm fell. I started looking, which was hard with no glasses. That's when we heard another sound. At first, I thought it was the cow, but after that split second of ignorance... I realized this was a woman's scream. A woman that apparently smoked her entire life. That's what it sounded like. It was loud and hoarse, taking me and my dog by surprise. This time, we both began running. Now, this stretch of road is really long. We were only about halfway across it, so we had another 20 minutes if we walked. While we were running, I kept hearing that god-awful shriek. It was getting closer. I knew soon that this thing was chasing us. After a few seconds, beside me in the tree line to the left, I could make out a dark figure moving along with us. Eventually, it sort of faded away. We made it out of there, 
Just before getting back to the estate, I turned and looked back in the middle of the road, and there I saw a black figure staring back at me. Now, had it been a woman in trouble who was chasing me and screaming for help, why would she just stop right there and stare, all creepy? Not to mention this figure was really tall. It wasn't a shadow or a ghost, as the leaves and bushes shook and reacted when it walked past. Even though I didn't have my glasses, I was sure I'd seen it there. My dog was staring too, growling at the figure. On the way back to the house, we kept glancing in that direction. That godforsaken scream wasn't getting closer anymore, but it kept going outside the estate. I definitely won't be walking back there, but now I wonder what it could have been. I don't know what I encountered in the Australian woods. From Enigma Cipher 17 from the subreddit, r slash the truth is here. Just down the road from where a few years ago I'd previously lived in southeast Australia is the opening into about 100 acres of woodlands and a bush that I frequently went into when I was younger to do the usual things, like riding and camping. One night I was out driving at around 11.30 p.m., I was with my girlfriend, and as we were in the area, I decided to show her the woodlands. She loves everything to do with nature, and it was summer, so it was an extremely warm night. I left my car with the lights shining into the trees, as we weren't going too far in, and it was pitch black. The two of us just kind of sat there chatting, having a smoke, and generally relaxing. She was sitting on a sort of map of the area that had been put in some plastic while I was keeping an eye on the trees because I had a feeling that something was just wrong. I've read a few stories of people that have said that they have felt that they were in danger, although nothing around them was really off. It was the same feeling I had then. Every sense was almost reaching out and my adrenaline was up, but there wasn't really anything in my eye line that seemed different. After lighting another cigarette to calm my nerves, I scanned the tree line again, realizing that it now looked different than before. It was only after staring into the dark that I saw that there was moonlight now lighting up grass where it couldn't before, as there was a black shape blocking it, a shape that I thought before was just a tree. I got goosebumps just typing this, but the only way to describe this was that all sound just ceased, and everything went dead silent. A few seconds later, this disgusting feeling of dread fell over me, and I saw motion in the dark part of the path as this thing crawled towards us on all fours. I've seen nearly every animal in the outback here, and we don't have any large predators like in the US or Europe, but somehow I knew this thing was a predator and it wasn't hiding itself from us, but just slowly crawling forward towards us. I don't know if my girlfriend saw it or not, as I couldn't look away, but just as it reached the line my car lights were able to illuminate, it reared up on two legs and just sat there staring at us. I'm six foot four, 
and this thing was about another meter larger than me, with arms that were far too long that reached down near the ground. All I could make out was an off-white, almost yellowish fur, and in the dim light, I could see the silhouette of its head. It was shaped like a dog or wolf. I wasn't able to move as it stared at me, but it was at that point my girlfriend gasped, which seemed to disrupt whatever was stopping me from thinking logically. I grabbed her by the arm, and I sprinted back to the car, slamming the doors and tearing out of there as fast as I could. Both of us were too terrified to speak until about half an hour later. We've both discussed it many times, and the feeling that we had was what I imagine a rabbit sees when it catches a wolf or a fox looking at it, that this was something that would be able to end us with absolute ease if it so chose. Neither of us have been able to come up with any explanation for what it was, but it has definitely changed the way I view the woods and bush when I go camping or hiking now. I think back to that, and I wonder what it was. I wonder if I'll ever see anything like it again. Horror Woods From Limbo the Lost There is a certain area of woods in Sweden where a lot of people have weird experiences. It's a small nature reserve, a five-minute walk from where I live. It's pretty much a small patch of woods, but still big enough for you to get lost in if you don't know the place. The entire reserve has old ruins of old structures of farms and such. Obviously, no one lives there anymore. As I said, now it's a nature reserve. But there isn't really much information about the old farms and structures that used to be there either. Just like a little piece of forgotten history. I feel like I keep coming across new, unseen structures every time I go there during the day, as I often go there to wander about the paths, and off the paths. The first creepy memory I have of the place, I was maybe seven or so. I was pissed at my parents for one reason or another, so while it was still dark, I decided I'd run away to that place in the middle of the night. Not sure why I picked that place of all possible places, but I did. I can easily say that even as a child, I wasn't one to be easily scared. But the moment I set foot in those woods that night, something felt extremely off. But I was a stubborn kid. I still made it to a little favorite spot of mine, with a little bridge over a stream deciding that I'd just stay there till morning. All night, though, I swear I kept seeing shadows moving just out of the corner of my eyes, and I kept hearing noises of something moving closer, or maybe it was some things. In the end, I climbed up a tree as high up as I could, and I didn't dare come down, or even look down until light. I could hear something walking around below me, but I was so terrified that I just stayed silent and looked up at the sky instead. Somehow I had a feeling that whatever it was, it would be gone once the sun came up, and the moment the morning came, I freaking booked it back home. I was home before my parents were even awake, so they didn't even know I was gone in the first place. Shortly after we moved to an apartment closer to the place, our dog was still alive back then. 
I used to be in charge of taking her for walks during the evening and night, and always went towards that area, but I stuck to a more well-lit road that is used mostly by farmers and even some hunters. They only had streetlights up to the point where the paved road turns to gravel road. After that, it was pitch black. I obviously never went past that point at night. Always got goosebumps going near that place in the dark. Our dog was always on high alert when we got to the end of the lights on the road. One night, she was extremely alert, and as we reached the usual stopping point where we turned around and headed home, she stood still, staring into the dark, growling at something, and I had no idea what it was. I could not see or hear anything else out there but us. But she was so uneasy, so on edge. I had to pretty much drag her away from there, but once we were a ways away, she started whining, pulling at the leash, wanting to get the hell out of there. I certainly didn't blame her. Something was just very off that night. On another occasion, when walking there with the dog at night again, it was brighter thanks to the full moon. Out of morbid curiosity, I figured I'd dare to go a bit further this time, but still only so far that I could still see the lights. It didn't take long until things got eerie. My dog was starting to become alert again, and in an open area next to us, I kept seeing faint white apparitions, things appearing at the corners of my eye, pretty much all around us. They would disappear the moment I tried to look at them, but they were definitely there. But from what I did see, it looked like someone wearing long white dresses, blowing in the breeze. If I was alone, I'd be thinking I'm just seeing things. But as my dog was there with me, and she was seeing something too, she was on edge. It was probably no surprise that we ended up booking it out of there. Soon after my dog passed away from old age, I was walking on the paved lit-up road. It was kind of in the morning. I was thinking of her and all the walks we used to take on the road. I think it was 3 a.m. at that point. While walking, kind of sulking, being pretty down and all, I could have sworn I heard someone crying by the edge of the woods. I tried calling out at first, seeing if anyone would answer, but there was nothing, just the crying sound. I started walking a little closer and it sounded like the crying increased, so I was starting to be convinced someone had to be there, even if I couldn't see them yet. It sounded like a child crying. My mind was telling me that I couldn't just turn around and leave, but at the same time, something in my mind was screaming at me to get out of there as fast as possible. But in the typical white person fashion, I approached this crying sound instead. As I get to just about where the crying came from, I heard footsteps running away from me, but the crying continued, going deeper into the woods. By then, I was so sure it had to be a kid or something, I kept following the crying deeper and deeper, until I noticed I was too far in. I could hardly see the streetlights anymore. I stopped then, and something really didn't feel right about the whole thing. I hadn't felt right to begin with. I figured if it was a kid, maybe I should actually go call the cops, instead of blindly following the crying. Just as I was about to turn around, I saw something huge and black stand up among the trees, 
It let out a low, angry snarl before it took off into the woods. I took off in the other direction, heading home as quickly as I possibly could. After that, I didn't go back in the woods for a while. I was too darn scared of the place at that point. But moving on to the fifth account, which was my brother's experience. He had gone there during the day for a nice little stroll, and he had decided to take a different path than the usual ones, since he hadn't gone in that direction before. And from what he told me, things did start to feel eerie, and the woods felt as if they grew darker around him. He kept walking for a bit, until he reached a little clear area by a cliff. He found a statue there of the Holy Mary standing in the middle of it. Keep in mind, this was in the middle of nowhere, away from any homes and such. He left quickly as he said it didn't feel right, so he just wanted to leave, and he's the skeptic type, so for him to feel unnerved is quite rare. Later on, I went out walking again since I wanted to see if I could find the statue my brother told me about. I also brought along a former neighbor kid that likes to come on long walks with me. I had a heck of a lot of fun at first, kind of goofing around, joking about stuff, and so on. But once we'd come to a more open area of the path, the smell of decay just hit us really hard. We had no idea where on earth it was coming from. We figured there must be a dead animal somewhere nearby, so we just wanted to keep walking until we passed it. At that point, I did spot something that gave me chills. I told the kid to stay where she was and to not look and just wait a bit, so I could go closer to confirm what I was actually seeing. This, of course, scared her, but she did as I asked. From what I could see, on the other side of a tree, it looked like someone was hanging from it. Pants, jacket, hat, I was starting to think that it might be the source of that smell, and if it actually was, I wasn't about to let that kid see it, and the closer I got, the more convinced I was that I was probably about to see someone's dead body hanging from the tree. The moment I finally made it to the other side, I was so relieved to see that it was really nothing more than empty clothes, arranged in such a manner that it looked like a person. Not sure why it was there, but I'm sure you can imagine the amount of relief washing over me just seeing that and I could finally call the kid over to come see it. Still, I never did find out where the rotting smell came from, but at that point, I really didn't want to know. I just wanted to leave. That's pretty much the experiences I've had there through the years, at least the ones I remember. There's something off about that place, I just know it, but I can't bring myself to avoid it forever. Hiking in the UK From Chadco888 Posted on the subreddit r slash the truth is here My partner and I went hiking to a place in central UK, Shropshire. We were walking up to the peak of this hill that is scattered with giant 50 to 60 foot rock formations, small rocks all piled in mounds. Google Devil's Chair and you'll get it. It was early, early in the morning. Sun was rising, but the area was fully lit. We were all alone, and my partner was behind me struggling to keep up, looking down to watch where she was walking, so didn't see a thing. I looked ahead, and on the leftmost mound of rocks, there was what I thought was a person. 
I was pissed off that I'd have to say that begrudging British good morning to a complete stranger, when all I wanted was tranquility. Suddenly, this person bent forward and put all fours on the ground, but not bent in half. It had a full U-shaped bend to it, like a rainbow. That's when I realized this person wasn't wearing clothes at all. And then it began to move. I can't describe how it moved, almost like a centipede with precise agility over the rock formations. Whilst soiling myself, I ran ahead to see what the hell it was. It was no animal I have ever experienced in my life, and it was gone without a trace. When I made it to the rocks, I realized that it possibly stood about seven to eight feet tall on its hind legs. Safe to say, I was on edge the whole hike then, and getting back to my car was an absolute highlight. Humanoids, crying children, screaming creatures, the supernatural is certainly something to be feared. These stories are the reason I don't sleep with my feet coming out of the blanket. Because everyone knows you'll lose some toes to the boogeyman if you do that, and I prefer to walk without a limp in my step. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story and you want it narrated, all you gotta do is send it over to darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check the links below. There's a link to my Patreon and a link to my merch store. Now as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode. Kane7ify says, All hail Krampus. You can be a kiss up to Krampus all you want, but he's still gonna shove you in his bag of sticks. Heather J says, It's beginning to look a lot like, Screw this. I like that. It's got a ring to it. Wiccan Light says, you're amazing. I work the night shift at my hotel, and your videos keep me awake all night. I love it. Night shift at a hotel, huh? Well, I'm sure you've got a story, and I want to hear it. Let me ask you what your creepy experience working there is. Aladdin bin Terzi says, Just your regular Muslim trying to enjoy the holiday season. Well, I hope you have a good one. If I could ask, what's your favorite tradition when you celebrate the holidays? As for my boring self, I enjoy watching the holiday movies, especially Halloween holiday movies. Faith the Nerd says, The only thing that's scarier than these stories is Christmas shopping on Sunday. Wish me luck. Wish you luck. More like send you football pads. Maybe that'll keep you alive. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, because more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Well, Christmas is over, and New Year's Eve is running towards us like that thing from Hellraiser in the hospital scene. And I'm sick, so that's great. Anyway, that means I'll be making my top 25 scariest stories of the year video soon, so I need your help picking out those stories. If you would, in the comments below, tell me the title of the story you liked the most this year. It has to be a story I narrated this year. 
and please provide a link to the video you're referring to. A lot of folks think because I read these stories, I'll remember what story or video you're talking about. That's not how it works. The more I read, the more I forget, and I can't keep up with it. Anyway, I appreciate the help, and I can't wait to see what you guys like the most. Until then, enjoy this episode. It's a bunch of new spooky tales that'll be great for anyone's New Year's Eve. Bring in the new year terrified and shaking in the corner. Don't forget, you can always send me your stories at darkstories.org. Now, let's begin. I Don't Want to Believe A 4chan Story from Anonymous A while back, I asked a friend of mine if he knows anyone who had access to some tools I needed to finish a project. Says sure, he knows a guy from work that would be happy to help me out. Turns out this guy was interested in the same kind of art, but warns me that he's a bit off. I drive the friend to work one day and he introduces me to his friend. This guy seems really distant and withdrawn. He shakes my hand and we chat a bit. He seems really interested in the woodwork I was doing. We started talking about sculptures and things like that for a little while. Things we learned and tools we used. He warms up to me a bit. So I ask him if it would be alright if I checked out some of his stuff. He gets hesitant, but he agrees. Kind of like when you're trying to come up with an excuse, but can't. He tells me I can swing by that night. That we can chat over a few beers. Okay, sure, I say. Later that night, I get a call. It's the same guy, but he sounds a bit shaken up. Says things are a bit chaotic at home and right now is not a good time. He says he'll call me sometime when things are better. Alright, sure, man, I replied. A couple of weeks go by. The guy calls me one afternoon and says things have settled down. Says it'd be fun if I brought over some of my works as well. We could compare and discuss and all that. Sure thing, I replied. So I start to head over. And I notice that the guy lives in the middle of freaking nowhere in the woods. I had to call him up just to make sure I was finding his house okay. It was at the end of a long driveway. A beautiful acre or so of land. The driveway is littered with trees and his house was actually quite nice. As I come up the driveway, something immediately strikes me as weird about the trees that I was passing. They all had, well, faces carved into them facing the driveway. Twisted, pained faces. I didn't think much of it. I make morbid stuff myself. In fact, I was kind of impressed about it. The amount of detail on them was staggering. Looking out into the tree line of the property... Every single tree had a pained face carved into it, facing the house. It was almost like the woods were watching you wherever you were. This even creeped me out. Looking out was like seeing a hundred or so faces staring at you, just crying out, as if they wanted your attention. Anyway, I pull up to the guy's house and walk to his door, giving it a knock. He answers with a beer in his hand and he has a way friendlier demeanor than before. He helps me carry some of my stuff in and shows me around the place. Seems pretty cool. 
I begin to notice each room has one of those same darned faces hanging from the doorframe, though. The more of them I saw, the more I felt... sick. Up close, the faces were even more detailed than I'd imagined. Almost surreal. I asked him what his focus on the faces was about, and the guy immediately tensed up and dodged the question. Upon entering his workshop, which was freaking sweet, by the way, he seemed to have other interests besides creepy faces. There were entire seven-foot sculptures of women, men, animals, all really well done, and one with a tarp in the back just chillin' there. He says he's not done with that one yet, so don't bother. It was right in front of a door that I think led to another room. So we began working on stuff together, trading stories and times we had accidentally injured ourselves. Suddenly, subjects changed. Out of nowhere, he asks me what I think about God. I'm straight up with him. Tell him that I'm not very religious, but I don't rule anything out. He starts getting a little bit loud, saying that God is a blatant lie, that he was told so. Well, who told you that? I asked. He went silent for a moment, then abruptly asked me if I believed in... spirits. I gave him the same kind of answer as before. I don't know, but maybe it's possible. He starts looking around the room, as if seeing if anyone is around, and then his voice goes soft. Then he starts whispering. I see things in the woods. At dusk I see shadows. Sometimes they whisper from the trees, and I hear them. What the hell? Obviously, this guy is mentally disturbed, but I egg him on, ask him what they tell him. They say God is a lie. Only thing after death is darkness. They laugh at me, and they leave dead animals at the tree line. I am beyond creeped out at this point. He said for a while they visited him at night, and each face carving represented a different spirit that had visited him. Says that they can't stand looking at themselves in death, so they don't step within the tree line. That's why he has the entire thing carved out. I'm pretty quiet at this point. I hadn't had goosebumps this bad since I was a child. Chills were running up my spine. He continued. They talk to me from the tree line at night. They try to get me to leave my house. I eagerly try to change the subject. He looks down and just keeps talking. He's pale as a sheet and was obviously genuinely terrified. He even looks like he's about to cry. You're the only person I've told now. I I'm so sorry. I'm so scared. I don't know what to do anymore. I try my best to awkwardly console the stranger. The guy actually kind of starts to break down. I seriously think he needs help, but it's not my place to give it to him. I regrettingly ask him why he's afraid. The faces don't work anymore. Two weeks ago, I found something in my living room. What do you mean? 
He walks over to the tarped sculpture and pulls the tarp off to reveal something that is not a sculpture. It's the most terrible thing I have ever seen. It hardly resembled a human being. It was horrifying to have imagined this guy seeing it standing in his living room. Shortly after that, there was a loud bang on the wall to my right. I nearly jumped out of my skin. But the guy didn't even flinch. There was another bang that it continued on and on continuously, like hail hitting a tin roof. The guy screams, Stop it! And it does. After that, I grabbed my stuff and told the guy I was sorry. I had to leave. As I'm leaving his house and driveway, I looked into the rearview mirror. The tree line was darker than I'd ever seen. The guy calls me a week later and apologizes. Says he was just silly and everything was okay. The friend says the guy quit, though. And we never heard from him again. A 4chan story from Desert Rat I'd like to tell you a story in regards to some of my recent adventures. There are no skeletons in closets, dinosaurs walking, or trips to Bel Air. I'm not a writer by any means. Whether you think this story is paranormal, extraterrestrial, interdimensional, or man-made, I'll leave that up to you, as I can't decide for myself. I like to fancy myself as a survivalist, a prepper for some of you. I live in Nevada, about an hour outside of Las Vegas. For those of you that don't know, a good 90% of Nevada is government or military-owned land. A lot of it is free to roam, though. The only areas that you really shouldn't venture to are well-fenced and clearly marked for good reasons. There are many still-active radioactive sites, as well as government testing facilities, bombing ranges, and other things of that nature. They really aren't that exciting, to be quite honest, and usually only have some concrete foundations or target shacks on them and are probably hazardous to your health or safety at that. The sites that aren't are usually full of manned military bases where they cock about with drones. Now, I've never been one to believe in paranormal phenomenon. At best, I acknowledge that our government has several high-tech projects that they keep veiled. But what I experienced, it's really made me question my beliefs. This story started about a month ago. Around a warm spring night. It starts warming up pretty early here. If you're getting snow, it's probably getting 80 degrees here. I had vacation time, I'd yet to cash in, and it was nearing the point of expiration. So I took it, not really having any plans for it. Once I had my two weeks off, I had no idea what to do with it. I did, however, take some of my savings, and cashed in on an IR laser for my rifle, and a night vision monocular headset. The first night of my vacation, I felt somewhat restless. I started up a Minecraft server, played around for a bit, but I felt unsatisfied. I've always had trouble sitting still too long, knowing there's nothing to be productive with. So my mind goes racing, coming up with hundreds of ideas for projects, 
I finally settled on the idea of camping. Unfortunately, most of my friends were busy with the drudgery of work, and no one I knew was willing to get away for the week. It dawned on me that I'd never tried camping for a lengthy period of time alone. But that's for good reason. The desert is a nasty place to get stranded, and death is a very real possibility here. If something went wrong, and you were on your own, it could be bad. Between dehydration, broken bones, and rattlesnakes, you definitely have to be careful. The only thing I could really think of to combat this would be to take along my 5-watt ham radio and research the closest repeaters to different choice areas. That way I could call for help if things went south. And I would take my Yugo M76 just in case. After doing some research and quick site planning, I settled on an area I honestly didn't know very well. But it looked promising. It had several abandoned silver mines, washes for shelter, and a lot of wildlife to watch or take pot shots at. Of course, if anyone from PETA got wind of my ventures, they would have an absolute crap storm over the number of jackrabbits and coyotes I've laid waste to. So, once settling on my location, I began to pack. This wasn't difficult, as I always kept my bug-out bag ready in my closet, and decided it was a good time to cycle out my old inventory. This time was a bit different, though. I decided to bring a few more electronics with me than usual, including the ham radio, my night vision monocular, and a solar charger just in case. I decided to leave my cell phone behind, relying on a good old-fashioned map and compass for navigation. From an early age in Boy Scouts, I've known how to navigate the old-fashioned way, and decided I'd give my rusty skills a bit of a test, see how well I remembered the UTM coordinate system. The electronics were for some nighttime fun and emergencies only. I woke up at 3.30 a.m., day two of my vacation. I was excited as hell and ready to head out. I decided to load up on crap before hitting the highway and stopped and got some coffee and donuts, looking like some ridiculous commando on a dirt bike. After getting my sweet black nectar and a load of simple carbs, I headed off. The weather was great, and the wind rushing over my face felt wonderful. As I got a few miles away from the turnoff, I remembered there was an Indian gas station fairly close to the exit as well. The Indian reservation boundaries are an odd shape, and for about a mile the highway went right through the middle of it, offering anyone who stopped in tax-free gasoline. I stopped in after topping off my tank, and the cashier asked where I was off to. I told her where I was going that I was planning to do some camping. She mentioned the old Air Force base a few miles away had been doing some testing and warned me not to get too close to their target range. This is definitely something to take seriously, as they do drop live ordnance. I thanked her for the advice and headed out. It was early morning still, and I continued to enjoy the feeling of wind on my face. It's liberating, being able to break free of any social obligations for a while. I made it to the turnoff area, where it was all dirt and gravel from there on. I performed a quick test of the ham radio, set the repeater offset, and verified the reception was clear. The dial tone registered, and I got a familiar weather forecast for the day. I was ready to start my camping trip. I headed down a dirt trail, and soldiered on through the bumps and washes, my bike frantically kicked up dust and rocks until I finally reached a couple of fork points in the trail. 
By then, I couldn't quite remember which direction I was supposed to go, as I'd only been in the area once before with a friend, and he had been driving at the time. I looked at my map and got what I believed to be a good bearing, so I headed off down the trail. Now, when I say trail, these are more like gravel roads that sometimes end, or they bring you to a military base encampment, or some of the other small encampments around the state, or wildlife preserves, or even BLM land and campsites. Accidentally venturing into a military encampment isn't a big deal. They'll usually just turn you around or wave you off. So I wasn't too horribly concerned about a run-in with anyone, unless you're up near Groom Lake but that's a different story. After driving down this particular trail for a while, I realized I was lost. None of the landscape looked familiar, and I'd traveled a good 25 miles before reaching anything that looked like a decent campsite. I had packed plenty of water and food, so I wasn't too worried. I also remembered the way in which I came, so that wasn't really an issue either. At that point, I just decided it was adventure time, so I drove for a while, until I found a campsite I decided was suitable for a short stay. I ended up settling at the base of a mountain near a dried-up wash. It was a pretty nice area, and there were quite a few Joshua trees and trenches to set up in, for some decent afternoon shade. It wasn't rainy season, so the threat of a flash flood taking me out wasn't really a concern either. After getting set up, I threw on my camel pack, grabbed my rifle, and filled my flask with a bit of vodka for fun. I was my own man now, had to answer to nobody. I walked around, heard the familiar sounds of cicada, cicada, whatever you want to call them, and headed towards another dry wash, near the base of the mountain. After walking for a bit, I quickly became bored and took a swig of vodka. Sometimes it can take a bit to just detach from normal life and relax, I decided after my drink it was time to start setting up some targets. I wanted to push my Yugo M76 to its limits. After setting up a few targets, I was good to go. I walked back to my campsite, identifying the local plant life and inspecting oddly shaped rocks. I wasn't really in any hurry. I stirred up a jackrabbit on the way back who was less than happy to see my presence in the valley. I shouldered my rifle to take a pot shot at it and then noticed something in the corner of the scope. I adjusted the zoom and got a closer look. There was no mistaking it. It was a freshly killed coyote. I decided to let our little rabbit friend go for the time being, and I headed over to the coyote carcass. The closer I got to it, the more pungent the air became. The smell of rotting meat was heavy. When I was right next to it, Two things struck me as slightly odd. The pelt wasn't completely removed, for one, but what had been was fairly clean. There weren't any missing extremities. Coyotes are considered a nuisance, so you can shoot them freely, but usually grabbing the pelt, tail, or paw is common. And two, it didn't look like there had been any entry or exit wounds from a bullet. Being a bit confused, I wrote it off as a sloppy hunter who had found a coyote dead of natural causes, and was scamming some farmer offering bounties on hides. Sometimes cannibalism happens in coyote packs, but it's not very common, and this wasn't what it usually looked like. After that, I made it back to camp. 
I started a fire, drinking down a shot or two of more liquid courage. I settled on taking pot shots at the targets I set up. I tinkered around, adjusting my scope, trying to take the longest shots I could. I actually managed to make a few accurate shots out to 700 meters, and decided that I'd pushed myself as far as I could in my slightly buzzed state. Yeah, I know. Guns plus alcohol is bad. But I wasn't really in a crowded area either, you know? And I was far from smashed. After letting the rifle cool down for a bit, and breaking open one of my MREs, I began cleaning it. After several failed attempts at keeping it 100% dust-free, I gave up. So I just did a quick field cleaning. It may not have passed the white glove test, but it would darn sure work if I needed it to. After a nice five-star MRE mill, I decided to break out my ham radio and turned it on. I wanted to see if there were any other hams in the area. I scanned the stations, but I didn't really come across anything of interest, save for a few rangers reporting status. I decided I'd do something that you're really not supposed to do, and I started to scan for capped channels. Let me explain. The military operates on MARS capped channels, which have a very high frequency, higher than VHF. You can eavesdrop on them with the right radio modifications, and as long as you don't broadcast, you should be fine. I started scanning these channels and came across a bit of chatter. They didn't seem to have much to say either except area status reports. After a bit, I started getting bored listening to them all report on ten hundreds and turned off the radio. As dusk was turning to darkness, I sat for a while, just letting myself go into a trance, staring at the fire. By then, I decided another drink was in order, but then I began to hear a bit of crackling coming from my bag. I grabbed it, thinking some critter or Gila monster got in my bag, and instead I found my radio turned on slightly. I turned it up a bit and realized that the sounds I was hearing were short bursts of what sounded like gunfire over the radio. Intrigued, I turned it up, listening into whatever testing or war games were going on. As I listened to the action, I heard what could only be described as fingernails on a chalkboard coupled with a blood-curdling scream, and throw in some dying rabbit or something. As I reached for the knob to turn the volume down, I heard a pop, and then silence. My radio had gone out or blown a capacitor, and I was now without any form of communication. I sat there in silence for a moment, wondering if coming out here wasn't the best idea after all. After thinking about it for a moment and a bit of self-reassurance, I decided I was just letting these small stupid things like the coyote carcass and the radio chatter get to me. For all I knew, it was just some war games being played, and new equipment being tested. I figured it was time to get some sleep, and I'd do a bit more exploring in the morning. I took one more swig and crawled into my tent for a bit of sleep. As I awoke the next day and crawled out of my tent, I felt like death. My back ached and I was incredibly groggy and slow-moving. I restarted the fire and filled up my mess kit pot with water. I got it boiling while pulling out some instant coffee. That day would be a bit more of riding around and exploring. I glanced at my radio lying next to me and thought, 
Guess I'd better be careful. After a morning of coffee and MRE eggs and bacon, I grabbed my rifle and headed out to see if I could see any signs of life or find any old abandoned equipment or buildings. I biked up a natural trail and came over a ridge to a large stretch of open valley and land. Off in the distance, I could see the beginning of a military base's fence. When I saw this, I felt an incredibly sinking feeling in my chest. Whatever was going on last night may very well have been happening just a few miles away. I shook off the feeling and decided that I was just letting my anxiety and imagination get to me. I told myself again that it was only war games, and that some noise was probably getting through the channels. I decided to just avoid the area, so I rode back towards the campsite over the lower mountain ridge. As I turned back, I noticed something off in the distance. On the side of the mountain face, it was what looked like an abandoned silver mine, or a natural cave of sorts. At this point, my curiosity got the better of me. I shook off all my fear I may have once had. I could actually do a bit of exploration now. I rode up to the side, dismounted, grabbed my night vision and rifle, and I peeked inside. I couldn't tell how deep it was, but it seemed more man-made than anything. The rocks looked roughly carved, but I'm not a geologist, so take that as you will. I couldn't smell or hear anything, so I decided to walk in a bit further. I put on my night vision and waited for my eyes to adjust from bright desert sun to darkness. After a second, my eyes adjusted, and I turned on my monocular. There wasn't much to be seen. I walked for a ways, but still no signs of anything that would excite anyone other than a geologist. I could see what looked like a turn a bit further back, and decided against going too far in, as I was not experienced in spelunking. That's when something hit me. There is a primal fear everyone has. People debate what it is or how we acquired it as a species. Oh, but it's there. It's a deep feeling of dread. Like you're being watched and stalked by something horrific. Chills crawl up your body, and you feel that something just isn't right. Well, I felt this, and I immediately froze. My rifle was in my hand, and I pointed it down into the cave. I couldn't hear anything, nor could I see anything. I then, however, quickly realized what was wrong. The smell. That same pungent smell the coyote carcass was letting off. It seemed too rotten, too pungent, too strong for just a carcass of a coyote. Even in the sun, it just seemed odd. But now, I could smell it wafting from the cave. This set off every alarm in my mind and every ounce of fear in me told me to get out of there. I slowly backed out, shouldering my rifle, pointing it towards the back of that cave. Every rock under my boots sounded a hundred times louder, and every breath I took felt as if it echoed throughout the entire cave. As I made it back to the entrance, I turned and bolted for my bike. I started it up and rode back as quickly as possible. I was taking no chances now and decided it was probably best to leave. Dusk was beginning to set in as I rode back. I was contemplating just moving to a new site or calling the trip off two days in. I still wasn't sure if any of this meant anything, 
or if I was simply overreacting, but I knew that something weird was going on. As I rode closer to my campsite, I noticed everything seemed off, as though nothing was how I left it. I was feeling really uneasy now, but I wasn't about to leave my expensive equipment behind. As I got closer, I realized why everything seemed off. My campsite had been raided. My tent was torn, my mess kit was strewn about, the fire pit had been scattered, and my pack had been dumped out. I assessed the damage and realized something. Nothing was missing. Nothing had been taken. I'd simply been vandalized. Even my radio, solar charger, and extra ammo remained. Stuff I was sure would be missing. My decision was made. I was calling it quits tonight. I started packing up my bag and whatever I could scavenge from the ground. That was about the time I noticed something else. There were no sounds at all. No cicada, no crickets, no birds. Just complete and deafening silence. As I was packing up, I quickly drained my flask to calm my nerves. Nothing at this point could have changed my mind about leaving. It was quickly getting dark, and even with night vision and a rifle, whatever was out there was obviously screwing with me. It was clear this territory belonged to someone or something else. My hunting trip turned tables on me. As it grew darker, I decided to scan the area first to make sure my surroundings were clear. As I looked around, I couldn't see much more than the familiar desert landscape. As I began to scan the area near the peak of the mountain, I saw something move. It was just visible behind a rocky area. I tried to make out the shape, but it was distorted and hidden by some larger rocks. I stared in that direction for what seemed like hours. Then the figure stood up. To this day, I'll never forget the sheer terror, the fear I felt while looking at this thing. It was as though death and evil itself was staring right at me, and every part of my mind screamed that this cannot be real. The two-legged creature stood as though it was human, but the eyes were huge, just massive blank dark spots in my night vision. No reflection or gleam came from them. I could not distinguish any real features other than what seemed to be a scaly texture. It stood there, looking in my direction, as though it knew I was watching it. Then it did something that nearly made me soil myself. It smiled. It wasn't a normal smile at all. It was a terrible, jagged-toothed, joker-like grin. I took the safety off my rifle, and I shone the IR laser at it. After a brief pause, I delivered a fatal 8mm round to its head. Or so I thought. The shriek that followed was deafening, blood-curdling, and absolutely terrible to hear. It was a scream that went straight into my soul and shattered it to bits. The dying screams of someone getting their head sawn off. No, it was worse than that, because at that point that would have been comforting. I watched this thing shake and shudder for a moment, and quickly delivered another round in the direction of it. I think I hit its center mass, but couldn't be sure. It began to run, at a pace I'm not even sure my bike could keep up with. It ran down the ridge, not quite in my direction, but too close for comfort. 
I bolted down into the wash and kept my gun trained in its direction as best as I could while running. I ducked into a small crevice and waited. I could hear grunts and screeches in the distance. At first, they seemed to move closer and then further away. It was difficult to tell where the noises were coming from, but in the pitch dark, I sure as hell wasn't going anywhere that night, not as long as that thing was around. I stayed up all night, crouched in a crevice in the side of the wash, just waiting. My gun was trained at the opening. I was kept awake only by adrenaline. It was the most exhausting and terrifying night of my life. Eventually dawn broke, and I hadn't heard any signs of the thing. It had been a good few hours since I took the first shot, but I waited until daylight was strong enough to even think about moving from my spot. As the sun rose and the familiar sounds of wildlife returned, I felt safe enough to venture from my spot. Very carefully, I crept out, covered in dust and feeling incredibly drained. I emerged, and I looked around to see if anything was around. There were no signs of whatever the hell that thing was from last night, so I decided to man up, and I headed over to my bike. I didn't even think to grab my equipment. I simply slung my rifle over my shoulder and very reluctantly started my bike, fearing whatever came last night might hear me and come again. After the bike was running for about a minute, and there were no signs of movement, I decided to carefully start heading out. Before that, though, I had a thought. I wondered what may have been left behind where I scored a hit on the thing. I swallowed hard, and I decided to go check it out. Everything seemed clear, after all. I drove up the ridge in DEFCON 1, scanning the entire area just to make sure it wasn't watching me or following me. I got up to the rocky area where I first saw it hiding, and I found a nice bit of blood splatter. I quickly grabbed a handful of earth and dried blood, booking it back out of the area. As I was driving down the trail, I started feeling as though I was being watched again, but I only drove faster, never looking back. After I got home, $500 worth of gear left at that campsite, keeping only my rifle and a couple of magazines of ammo, as well as my night goggles, I decided to get the bottom of this. I called up a friend of mine who works for the local university, and I told her the situation. I didn't exactly go into much detail, but I explained that I'd been hunting, and I shot something I wasn't sure of, something that had attacked me. She had me bring her the blood-stained rocks, and I guess she ran some DNA tests on them. A month goes by, and I'm anxious. Eventually, she calls, but basically she says she has no idea what the DNA is, and explained to me it only partially matched a few animals. Here's where everything gets weird. I got a call from, well, I don't really know, to be honest. They referred to my camping and said it was best I forget what I saw that night. Since then, I've also noticed a few people trailing me while driving and leapfrogging me on a regular basis, trading off following shifts. And that's it, really. I'm not sure where else to go from here. I'm sorry there's not much closure to this story, but now you know as much as I do.
road blockage from oh no. I was on a holiday with my family in Tasmania. This is just off the coast of Australia, if you don't know. We had just gotten off of the Spirit of Tasmania, a cruise ship that travels from Melbourne to Devonport. Since we had boarded the ship early in the morning, we arrived at Devonport late at night. As we got off the ship, my wife suggested that we call a cab to our nearest car rental shop, rent a car, then drive ourselves to the hotel. I agreed, so she called up the taxi service, while me and the kids were trying to count how many people in silly jackets we could see. When the cab arrived, we got in and left immediately. It was kind of squished and cramped in the car, and I think my wife thought that the Greek guy driving us was a bit creepy. After about ten minutes, he dropped us off at the car rental shop. It was dark and a bit eerie there. My wife and I looked around for someone. We had actually called the owner of the store the day before, and he said that if we were to come over, there should be someone there. I remember feeling annoyed then, and furiously calling the owner. When the phone picked up, it wasn't a man's voice like before, but a woman, who I assumed to be his wife. In a matter of seconds, I had her handing the phone to the owner. He said that he'd send someone over shortly, so me and my family had to wait inside a large building one that kind of looked like an airport. My younger son asked if he could go and get a Mars bar from a nearby vending machine, so I gave him a $2 coin, and he eagerly ran over to get some candy. Soon after, a young woman, probably in her mid-thirties, walked into the building with us. We assumed that this was the person the owner was talking about, so my wife and I asked if she worked there. She said she did, with a little sheepishness. She took out a clipboard and my wife filled in some paperwork. Eventually, the employee handed her a key. The employee led us to a small but manageable white car. We bid our goodbyes and drove away. It had been about half an hour. Everyone was asleep except for me. I was driving down a windy road surrounded by trees and grassy fields. I had eventually got to a point of tiredness where I was kind of drifting between being awake and asleep, but I did my best to drive safely. At about 12.34 a.m., I heard a loud thumping sound coming from somewhere to my left. I pulled over and I began to listen. I turned off the engine and the headlights just in case. The thumping kept on going, but nothing emerged from anywhere. Eventually, it stopped. I assumed whatever was making that noise was gone now, so I turned the engine back on. As soon as the headlights popped back to life, I nearly had a heart attack. A massive, gray-colored creature stepped out of the trees on my left. It was unlike anything I'd seen before. It stared at me. The thing must have been a dozen feet tall. I'm talking huge with arms barely touching the ground. It had long bony fingers with sharp, jagged fingernails that were curled upwards. The creature's stomach was bulging, as if it had been eating a lot of food recently. Its gray skin sagged over its body like a coat that was too big for it. It had stubby little legs compared to its arms, but they still looked plenty strong enough 
to crush this car. The head of the creature protruded from the body on a thick neck, which was the same size of what seemed to be a head. It kind of reminded me of some deep sea fish. Its mouth was huge, enveloping almost all of its head. The creature didn't seem to have ears, just holes like a bird. Its eyes were small in comparison to everything else, but they were probably the size of tires from the car. It bent down, and when it looked towards me, its eyes reflected the light from the headlight. It looked as if it was carrying something in its other hand, which was facing away from me. It curled its lips into a sort of smile, showing hundreds of pointy teeth. Only then did I realize that it had raggedy black hair growing from its head. And then, just when I thought it couldn't get any more surreal and horrific, I swear to God, this thing spoke to me. Too crunchy. I heard its deep and muffled voice from within the car. The hand that was facing away from me then came into view. It was holding a fully grown, dead, brown horse. Three of the tips of its fingers were penetrating it, while the thumb and pointer finger were curled around it. It began to stand back up again, and while it did this, it began to chew on the horse's head. The creature then began to cross the road. I think that's what it was doing before it saw me. It walked off into the trees, and I honestly had no idea what to do. Do you call the police in a situation like this? Do you cancel the holiday early? I did neither of those things. I tried to enjoy the rest of the holiday as much as I could, trying desperately not to show that I was worried. Everyone was asleep in the car at the time, and I have not shared this story even with my wife. It's been something I wanted to get off of my chest for a while. I feel if I tell people I know, it'll just cause them to give me those sidelong glances, make them whisper about me. Is he crazy? Well, let me know what you think it was, and if you've ever seen anything like it. It was in my room, from Anonymous Andy 2354. I'm a college student, living in a small New Mexico town. It was my last day of college classes before the weekend began. I was in one of my classrooms. People were talking about anything they had on their minds. Plans for the weekend, upcoming exams, things like that. A classmate of mine named Kate was talking about how she was going elk hunting in the mountains of Ruidoso, and she was excited to go. She started telling us that Ruidoso has a lot of Native American history and Indian reservations. My curiosity got the best of me, and I asked her, This is going to sound weird, but have you ever seen a skinwalker out in those woods? I knew I broke a code since I've done research on them before. Just bringing them up is a big red flag. It is said that discussing a skinwalker can bring their attention to you. She told me straight up, though. Yeah, they're very, very real. 
I've seen one before out there in the forest. I couldn't get her to go into much detail after that, and class soon started. Before I knew it, the school day was over, and I was on my way home. As I got back home to do some research and homework, I propped open my window just a bit to let some fresh cold winter breeze air into my room. I soon finished my homework, took a quick shower, and closed the window before going to bed. I woke up in the middle of the night, around 2 a.m. I wasn't thirsty and I didn't need to use the bathroom, but I did have a feeling of dread. I wanted to get up from my bed to look out the window to see if there was something out there or if it was just me being paranoid for some reason. But then, the unexpected happened. There was a strange growl emanating from the side of my bed, and just by hearing that, I froze in my bed. I did not want to move. I thought to myself, I'm just dreaming. But I knew I was awake. I remember checking the time on my phone. I was completely lucid, whether I liked it or not. I began praying in my head, hoping that it would go away. I turned my head in the direction of the sound, and I saw a crouched and frail form in the corner. I saw small beady eyes reflecting the little light that there was. Gathering my courage, I lunged to turn on the lamp light. When it came to life, the thing in the corner was gone, and the growling stopped. The following day, I realized that I'd left my window open, and earlier that day, I'd brought up skinwalkers. I can't help but feel that this may have been a warning. I am not to talk about them, lest that thing comes back and does more than growl. Hooves A 4chan story from Anonymous When I was 16, I went on a camping trip to the Colorado River near Blythe. We didn't use the government campsite. Instead, we decided to camp out back at the Three Fingers Lake area, which is just a series of backwaters and canals. We arrived there mid-afternoon. It was mid-September and the sun was blazing. We found a spot that was a bit secluded. We got the tent set up, and my brother and I proceeded to go out in search of wood from the nearby willow trees. While collecting wood, I came across a series of hoof prints in the mud as well as marks of something either sleeping there, or at least bedding down in the spot from time to time. I made the assumption that it was a deer, or something similar. I'd seen the things along the river on other trips. We got a small fire going while we had light out. Then we set out a few fishing poles to try our luck, while my uncle worked on dinner. It was while dinner was cooking that I thought I heard something go into the far side of the canal farther downstream. Then it came back out on our side. Whatever it was, it was big. 
I turned to my brother and he didn't think anything of it. My dad thought it was a beaver. Dinner was cooked, we ate and then set out to get some night fishing in, all four of us. My dad, my brother and uncle were focused intently upon our rods. I kept having a strange feeling that we were being watched by someone. My uncle kept telling me I'm just creeping myself out. At around midnight, we all decided to retire. We threw a few more logs in the fire, so we could keep some coals burning. We then climbed into our tents for the night. I decided to sleep in my very own tent, since I had one. My dad had set up his big old six-man tent, so the three of them shared that. I set up my tent on a nice, flat, and sandy section of dirt. No rocks underneath. I had foam padding and two sleeping bags under me, too, so I was quite comfy. As I began to drift off to sleep, I heard something crossing the canal again. Everyone else had passed out hard. I could hear them snoring by now. Already wary, I flipped onto my stomach and looked out into the dark, through the little mesh opening in the tent. All I could see was some dark shape emerging from the slope of the bank. It wandered on the edge of the light. I could hear it sniffing around, too. The sound of hooves on the ground made me think it was a deer. But then its shape came just within sight to make out a form against the dark sky. Whatever it was, I now knew it was on two legs. I scrunched down into my tent and stopped moving. My mind raced, trying to figure out what I saw, what I was hearing. I convinced myself it was just a deer sniffing around, and that I was confused. The sounds of the thing faded away after what seemed like hours. Then I was left there, straining to hear any more noise. All I could hear was the sound of insects and the occasional bullfrog. Finally, I was able to get some sleep. I woke up after dawn and breakfast was ready. Coffee and soda was waiting for me, whichever I chose to have. I stumbled out and ate my breakfast, and I began asking everyone if they heard anything last night. But no one had. After changing and while the heat was still at bay, I walked over to where I'd seen the creature. Numerous hoof marks littered the dirt. I followed them over to where we'd found the wood. There was clear signs something had returned to that spot. Soil had been churned up. I walked back to the campsite, trying to not think about it, and failing. We spent the day swimming in the canal, but something in the back of my mind kept telling me that whatever I saw last night was still around there. Maybe it was watching us. That evening, it was my turn to cook so I set up some burgers to cook over the fire while everyone else was going about their business. As I was about to pull the burgers from the fire, my uncle came running from the willow patch. He started saying that there's some weird crap going on back there. I put the burgers aside, and we all followed him. Further back in the willow trees, there was what looked to be some sort of altar. It was constructed of stones from the river, and on it laid half-eaten fish and all sorts of smashed bones. A little reed-tied shapes set around it, too, like little voodoo dolls made from twigs. We all made our way out, talking about how creepy that was. 
My dad and uncle agreed that it was probably some pagan altar or something, because it was hidden. They both agreed that it might be best that that was the last night we stayed. That night, we kept the fire big again until we went to bed. But this time, I kept eyeing the way to the willow patch. As I lay there, I heard the thing cross the canal again. I could hear the hooves of it once more. It circled to the far side of the camp. Once it got to the willow trees, I lost track of it. I strained myself to hear anything for a long time. I was certain the others were doing the same. Then we heard the most horrible sound erupt from the grove. A scream like someone being murdered, but it had a braying quality to it. I was terrified. I clutched my camp shovel, knowing that something was out there. I could hear movement from the other tent. I heard my dad and uncle emerge from their tent. My dad told my brother to stay inside the tent. They both began to go to the car. I heard my dad whispering that maybe they should get the guns just in case. My father and his brother always brought pistols with them when we went camping. You never know what kind of animal or crazy might show up. They both walked off into the dark towards the willow trees. Then things were deadly silent. No insects, not even a dull breeze. Then I heard two gunshots, followed by another horrible gargling scream. I heard the two of them come running full speed back to the camp. They were screaming at us to get into the car. My brother and I came out of the tents, my dad screaming, Get the hell in the car! Now! Both of them had their pistols in hand. They headed straight for the car. We all climbed in. My dad started the car and began hauling tail down the dirt road. I'd never seen him so panicked. He started saying that they saw something back in there. My uncle was white as a ghost, told us we'd come back for our stuff at a later time. My dad did not stop the car until we made it to Blythe. He got on his cell phone then, and he called the police. But the police thought that my father had shot a homeless man camped out at the river. We headed back in, and by the time we returned to the campsite, it was dawn. The tents were torn down, and everything was tossed about. Fishing rods were torn and busted. Our camp table was in several pieces scattered about. The police scoured the area, finding the altar that we'd found before. They told us we most likely shot at some teens who were out doing their devil-worshipping. There was no blood, but there were hoofprints everywhere. The police told us to clean everything up, and that we should probably leave. We cleaned up the site, gathering the now mostly ruined gear. I rolled up my tent. I felt something hit my back. Ow, I thought. I looked down to see one of the wooden figures from the altar in the willows. I looked around in time to see something receding into the reeds, followed by splashing in the canal. I quickly finished up packing, and all of us left. We haven't gone back ever since. My dad, my brother, and my uncle still talk about that day, and we all refuse to return to camp near Blythe.
because there's something in there. And there you have it. Five chilling stories to get you all spooked and ready for a whole new year. In fact, it'll be a whole new decade. So, what will the 20s hold for us? Will history repeat itself? Will the world end? Or will something great begin? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. And in the meantime, there's nothing better than gathering around this campfire and scaring the life out of each other. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want your story featured in the show, just stop on by darkstories.org and share the tale with us. If you want to support the show, there's some links in the description. There's a link to my Patreon where you can donate and help us stay afloat, because YouTube is weird. And there's a link to my merch store, where you can get shirts that feature monsters and my slogan. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode. Fire Shard Freak says, Please do a harpy scary story. You know, those things have always creeped me out, ever since I saw them... Well, I don't know when I first saw them. I might be wrong, but maybe it was God of War or something. But anything that looks partly human but isn't is especially creepy to me. But yeah, I don't think I've ever come across a harpy story yet, but I'd be crazy interested if anyone's seen one in real life. Hint, hint, send that sucker over. Max McCune says, Yo, bring back the old theme from the old videos. I explained in a previous video that I can't do that. As I said before, I only have a license to use those songs as long as I'm paying a subscription to that service. And I'm not going to lose every video I have if I can no longer afford that service. Does that make sense? I don't want to risk all 600 or 700 of my videos just because I think those themes were pretty cool. Now, that'll be a different story when I can actually purchase the license myself, but I think it's like a hundred bucks a track or something. So, we'll see. Arnis BKS says, My late night meal wouldn't be so good without a pinch of darkness prevail spooky stories. Yummy. Perfect upload timing. Yeah, I'm kind of like peanut butter mixed with hot sauce. I go good on everything. I'm gonna gag just thinking about that. Weston DeFranco says, I just found your channel. I listen to you all day at work. Keep up the good work, buddy. Thanks so much, Weston. And I'm happy I can help the workday go by a little easier. The only time I was able to listen to anything while working, that wasn't the radio, of course, was when I was self-employed cleaning cars. I was basically a hobo back then, but it was fun, and I was able to listen to the No Sleep podcast and the Paranormal podcast. Needless to say, it made me real jumpy. And Elchin L says, You're supposed to feed that pulsating thing in your fridge. It's a great tiny friend. Right now it's attached to my hand and it's not letting go. Uh-oh. Well, that's not good, Elchin. Because when it does that, it's consuming your biomass and converting you to its mass. Pretty much, there won't be no you anymore, and it's all going to be pulsating bridge thing from here on out. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome. Happy New Year, everyone. And remember to stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one.
it's awfully cold outside. Close that door and come join me by the fire before you catch your death of cold. Night will be falling quite soon, and you don't want to be on the other side of that door after dark. Mm, things come alive at night out here. Things that should be dead, but are not. Don't you worry. This here fire will keep them at bay. But if you hear the door creak open, don't you dare turn around, even when the frosty breath hits the nape of your neck. That's how I lost my last visitor. <laughs> These are five disturbing stories for a cold winter night. Maybe they can keep you warm. If you have a scary story of your own, I would love to read it. Share it with us at darkstories.org. Now, let's begin. The Playset from M. Lynn. Recently, it was my niece's sixth birthday. This made me recall my own sixth birthday from years back. I got a playset that was quite big. Well, at least in my little child mind. It had a slide and two swings that were connected together with a platform. But I loved those swings the most. When we were having the swing set built, the man who came by to build it said that he only had the material to build the swings part for the day, and that he would be back tomorrow to build the slide. That didn't matter to me, though. I was too excited to care. I loved swings. After the man was done building the swings portion, he was also able to prepare the platform that was elevated above the ground, which the slide would connect to. However, the man warned me to be careful, and not to go near the platform yet as it didn't have all the proper railings installed yet. I was so happy, all I wanted to do was swing. So there I swung. I was alone in our backyard, my father inside the house. He kept the window open in the kitchen to listen out for me and to keep an eye on me. I stayed there on the swing closest to the platform for hours. It was such a gorgeous day. I remember how bright and sunny it was. I remember how quiet and peaceful the day was, too. How good it felt to be outside in the breeze. I would kick my feet back and forth, back and forth. I swung as high as I could go, trying to reach the very top. Then I would let my feet dangle as I decelerated, catching my breath and doing it all over again. Then, for some reason, as I swung back, I looked over to my left, Something caught my eye. I noticed the right side of a person on a ladder that was leaning against the back of the playset where one of the railings were. In that slight second that I saw the man, I remembered every detail in my mind of him. But I never did see his face. I saw that he looked like a construction worker. 
He wore a white long-sleeved shirt and blue jeans. He also had a cloth on his head that was covered with a dusty cap. He wore brown work boots as well as dirty worn gloves, and in his gloves he had a hammer. He was hammering something. He was hammering the railing on my playset. I thought this was strange because the man said that he'd be back tomorrow, and this wasn't the same guy. At least I didn't think it was. So I swung back and forth again. But the very next time I looked over, the man was gone. I had no idea where he went or why he had been there. I curiously jumped up off my swing as it slowed down. I kept my head over my left shoulder, never taking my eyes off of the place I last saw the man. I got up and I slowly made my way toward the back of the playset. There was only one man who built the playset, but he had left hours ago and looked very different from the person I'd seen. I stood right where that man had been standing and hammering, but no one was there, and there were no traces of him being there. No footsteps in the grass, no ladder, nothing. I slowly made a few laps around the playset, observing it closely. I looked around my yard for an answer, but there was none. My father then walked outside, calling for me to come back in the house. When he saw me staring at the playset, he asked me what was wrong. I shook it off and told him it was nothing, and that I was just happy to have a playset. We went inside, and eventually I made myself believe that I had imagined it. The builder came by like he said he would the next day, finishing up building the playset. I'd practically forgotten what had happened the previous day, letting the incident fall to the back of my mind. Every day I would play outside on that playset. However, I never went to the back of the platform where the man had been. A few months go by. I remember this part like it was just last night. I'd already been tucked into bed when I heard my father yelling in a hushed tone. It was a voice that was enough to wake someone who wasn't quite asleep yet. I went to my parents' room to see what was going on. I opened their door and saw both of my parents outside on the balcony that overlooked our backyard. I could hear my dad saying something. I swear to you, I just saw someone walking by. They were wearing a white shirt. He said to my mother. But then my mother caught sight of me and saw that I was looking a bit scared. She carried me back to my room while my dad went downstairs to investigate his claim. My mother stayed with me until he came back inside the house and up to my room. He said that he didn't see anyone there. They must have been gone already. He assured me that everything was okay and that I could go back to bed. I didn't sleep much, though. Instead, my little mind wondered about the man my dad saw. The following morning, I asked my dad what the man had looked like. He answered me. He looked like a construction worker. I saw him walk away from the swing set. He walked under the balcony, then towards the back of the yard. I called out to him, so I thought the guy must have been startled and ran away but I know I wasn't seeing things. At the time, my parents didn't know how much this frightened me. I had seen that man, too. The very same man my dad described. 
From the wide long-sleeved shirt, the jeans, the gloves, the hat, even the cloth that covered his face, and those brown work boots. I then confessed to them what happened months ago. Needless to say, the look of shock and fear and confusion was written all over their faces. I remember that man even all these years later. The seconds that I saw of him play vividly over in my mind. I don't really know what to make of it. I don't think I'll ever exactly know what happened to him. But I think I have a guess. Let's just say my swing set came with more than just swings and a slide. Scopophobia by C.D. Castor The other day I was driving to work. Have you ever had that feeling that you were being followed? I couldn't put my finger on it. There weren't any cars that I could see that stuck with me the whole time, and there was nothing in sight that could explain why I felt that way, but the feeling was there all the same. I leave for work early. My alarm goes off at four, and I'm on my way out the door by five. This means it's dark for the entirety of my drive. I live a good distance out of town as well, so my drive can take up to a full hour on some mornings. It was just so strange. There was no reason that I should have been so paranoid, but I could not shake it regardless. I tried searching for what it was that was causing me such anxiety. I tried to just continue driving, acting like nothing was amiss. I blared music, I sat in silence, but no matter what I did, the feeling remained for the entirety of my commute. I ran through it in my head from time to time while I was at work, but I just wrote it off to bad sleep, or possibly being a little under the weather. There was no sense in stewing over something as subjective as a strange feeling, after all. Until I came back to my desk, after lunch, that is. My computer screen had the notepad pulled up, and typed onto it in basic text, were the words, I saw you. I set my soft drink down on the table and took a closer look. Then I looked around to see if any of my colleagues were looking at me, waiting for a reaction. Everyone was getting settled back at their desks or already intently working and paying me no mind. I'm friendly with the guy in IT, and there were times when he would work on my computer remotely and leave the notepad up to let me know what he was working on was finished. This didn't seem like the type of joke he would make. We're cool, but not that cool if you know what I mean. Thoroughly weirded out at this point, I wondered what I should do about the situation. Should I go to Human Resources and talk to them about the possible inappropriate prank? Should I mention it to the boss just in case she saw something or would want to investigate? While these were both probably viable options, I decided to just reassure myself that it was just a stupid joke, continuing on with my day. I clicked out of the notepad and took the last sip of my drink before tossing it in the trash. I had some numbers to go over to prepare for a meeting the next day, so I opened the program and began to scan through them while taking down some notes. I grabbed the mouse to move to a different page, and the pointer stopped in its tracks. I tried picking up the mouse and putting it back down, shaking it around a bit on the mat, but it just stayed in the same spot. After a moment, it began to move slowly toward the notepad, opening a new blank note. 
I watched in awe as the letters were typed out right in front of my face. I saw you. This time I did not waste a moment before hopping up and heading toward IT. I hoped to catch him in the act. I wasn't sure why in the world he would be doing it, but there was no other explanation. I made it to the door of his office and opted not to knock in hopes of catching him off guard. I was shocked to find no one there. Thinking he must have snuck off after sending that message, I went to ask around for him. I caught Jennifer from accounting just outside his door heading to her cubicle. Hey Jen, have you seen Eddie? I really need to talk to him. Eddie's on vacation. He won't be back until next week. Is your printer acting up again? I think she could see how much of an effect those words had on me, because she quickly continued. What's wrong? Do you have a deadline to make or something? You can always reroute to my printer and come grab it from me. I thanked her for the kind offer, but assured her that that was not the case. I walked away abruptly and made my way back to my cubicle. I was trying not to show it, but an acute panic was beginning to wash over me. Surely he wouldn't be doing this just to mess with me when he wasn't even here. I remembered now that he had been talking about taking his wife and kids to Disneyland in the lunchroom the other day. His taking the time to play a practical joke from there was a long shot at best. I got to my desk and sat down, while also putting both hands on top of my head in exasperation. This was too much. I couldn't stay at work with this weighing on my mind. There was no way I would be productive for the rest of the day. I stopped by the boss's office and let her know that I was not feeling well and was going to head home for the day. She said it was fine but reminded me that the meeting tomorrow was to go over the quarterly earnings and that it was extremely important that I was present if I was able. I assured her that I would be there and thanked her for her understanding. As I turned around to walk out, she called out to me. I almost forgot. There was a letter dropped off for you with the mail. They have it up at the front desk. You can grab it on your way out. Rest up. You'll need to be sharp tomorrow. Must be something from a client, I thought to myself, after waving and making my way towards the front. I walked up to the receptionist and asked if she had the letter that was supposed to be waiting for me. She nodded warily and slid it across the desk to me. There's no return address marked on it. I'm not sure if it just got mixed into the stack or what. It's definitely addressed to you, though. I thanked her for warning me and grabbed it as I made my way out the door. Probably one of these big corporate bozos trying to bribe me again. They'll do anything to get ahead and increase profits. When I got to the elevator, I opened it up expecting a wad of cash or a check to be inside... I was disheartened to see a crumpled bit of notebook paper folded in thirds and shoved into the plain white envelope. I unfolded it nervously. Written in large block letters with some sort of thick black marker was, I saw you. Right in the middle of the page. At this point, I was completely terrified. I dropped the letter and dashed out of the elevator door as soon as it was open. I ran out into the parking lot and hopped into my car as fast as I possibly could, locking it as soon as I got in. My hand shook as I tried to get my keys out of my pocket and into the ignition. 
just as I almost did. I dropped them to the floor of the car. As I bent forward to grab the keys from the floor, I heard something that I still cannot quite understand. From the back seat, I heard something that I will remember for the rest of my life. I see you. The Deer Moose from Duyam Me and a close friend had an experience a couple of years ago. I'm a skeptic like many people claim to be, and honestly to this day I'm unsure if what me and my friend experienced was even real, or maybe just two-person mass hysteria. Maybe we're just filling in the gaps with our own imagination, but I'll leave that up to you. I live in a semi-small village about ten kilometers away from the fourth largest city in my country. That said, it's not too big, but it's not the everyone-knows-everyone type of small town either. My home country is mostly meadows, plains, and farming ground or forest, so granted the ten kilometers surrounding the village is rife with nature and wildlife. Due to this, my close friend and I picked up a habit during the summer months to go for walks during the middle of the night. We'd basically just be playing video games, get bored, and suggest we'd head out for a walk. We live on the same street, so it's literally just a step out the front door to meet up. These walks would last anywhere between 45 minutes to several hours, depending on how much energy we had left and how late it was. Usually, we'd be walking down some unlit streets and away from any houses in lit streets, Mostly because maybe we're idiots, and we don't wear reflectors to be seen by cars. Then again, we prefer not to run into people who might think of us as delinquents or something. Plus, it's a nice feeling to be the only people moving around outside for several kilometers. One night, we're just about done getting salty over various multiplayer games, and decided to head out. The clock was around midnight when I shut my PC down and got dressed. We met up and started walking aimlessly away from the village and out towards the countryside, where only a few houses and stables were located. We were having a blast, being silly, singing out loud, playing music from our phones. Eventually, we made it to one of our favorite walking routes, where the meadows and farmland turn into a dense pine forest, and after a kilometer, there's even a golf course located there. After walking a while through the forest, we both get a rather creepy vibe, and we start looking around. Granted, we don't see anything weird, or much at all, actually. It's dark out, and the forest is so dense, with old moss hanging from the branches in many spots, we couldn't even hear that much either. Well, you know, just turn up the music, we thought. Sing louder. Scatter away those uneasy feelings. We keep on walking and eventually reach the golf course. It's a tiny bit brighter here due to the forest clearing up, and we can now see a shorter distance to the left and right, which was nice, because the uneasy feeling gradually faded away. Soon, we hear a loud sound to the right, and we see a moose charge across the widespread lawn of the golf court. This caused our feelings to completely fade. It was just a moose. We walk a bit further past the golf course and through another short bit of woods until we made it to a crossroads. We then turned around and began to walk back. 
Neither of us felt uneasy this time, and our high spirits were back. We were still singing and being dumb while playing music. But then, another sound is heard to our right. This sounded like coughing. Or like someone clearing their throat to try to get your attention, but a lot deeper than that. Our heads instantly snapped to the right, and we spotted another moose in the woods. Nothing to worry about, we thought. Phew. The moose then takes a couple of steps towards us, while lowering its head, and my friend yelps turning on his flashlight in hopes of deterring it from charging us. Moose can seriously screw you up, and it would have been terrifying even on the brightest of days. Now this is where the strangeness comes in. This moose did not look like a moose, at all. Sure, it was built like a moose, but I swear to God that the mental image I get when I think back on that brief moment, when the creature was lit up by his flashlight, I saw something twisted. I saw something wrong. When I searched for antlers on its head, I instead saw several deer legs growing out from the moose's skull, all kicking and twitching and writhing. And as for the head itself, it looked more like multiple heads, as if you took the head of a deer or a moose and then chopped it off at the lower jaw, then took another deer or moose and did the same thing, putting both of the upper jaws and faces together to form one head. From what I can remember, from what I hate to remember, my mind tells me both of the faces of this thing, the upright and the upside-down one, looked absolutely fine. Like there was nothing wrong with them, no dripping blood or sagging flesh. As if it was just a combination of multiple completely healthy deer. Safe to say, the two of us raced out of there, and we didn't stop running until we left the woods entirely. And then we probably ran another extra 500 meters afterwards. We couldn't bear anything following us, so we assumed it to be safe after looking over our shoulders multiple times. And this is where my skeptical part starts to explain things, or attempt to. We started asking each other, the heck was that, and whatnot, both of us describing to the other what we saw, and we both came to the conclusion that what just happened was certainly real. I want to believe that we were just piecing together bits of random glimpses and shadows of the thing we saw, creating our own amalgamation of a monster. We've never seen anything else like it ever since, and we still walk out that way towards the golf court every summer several times. And honestly, nothing strange has happened. We've seen plenty of moose, though. Normal moose. In the end, I would rather believe that we experienced a shared hysteria of sorts. We saw details that weren't actually true. Maybe even our adrenaline got to pumping and clouded our views. Either way, it was a terrible situation, nearly being charged by a massive creature like that. What do you think? Were we seeing things, making things up? Or was it something more real and grim? I'd love to know your opinion. My childhood home was haunted. From Smith and B. 42.
Before I was born, my parents were living with my older sister and brothers in an apartment in a mid-sized Connecticut city. They had become too large of a family for the apartment, and my father decided the time was right to look for a house. This wasn't an easy feat, especially since my parents were on a set income. Times were tough for them, back then, and the daunting idea of paying for an actual home must have put a ton of stress on my father. That year was 1978, and times were about to get better for my family, as my dad had just received a promotion at his place of work. It was enough to put a down payment on a home and get his family out of that cramped apartment. He believed he had found the perfect place, too. It was a 1920s colonial with three bedrooms, a huge backyard, and a walk-up finished attic that the kids could use as a playroom, a far cry from the tiny apartment across town. In January 1979, everyone was finally moved in. It was a very cold winter that year, but with the house having a steam radiator... They were not worried about being cold. They settled in, and my older brothers and sister were happy with their rooms. One night, not long after moving in, the strange happenings began. It was subtle at first. My father, prone to bouts of insomnia, was lying in bed one night, when he heard footsteps going up and down the staircase from the first floor living room to the second floor, where the bedrooms were. He thought nothing of it because my sister at the time had been a bit of a night owl. She was 14 and would wander around at night going down for a snack or watching late night talk shows. You know, the usual teenager stuff. The funny part was that the footsteps, when they reached the bottom of the stairs, would stop at each door to each room then go back down the stairs again. This seemed odd to my dad, but he said that at the time he didn't feel like investigating. He listened to this happen about three or four times that night. The creaking of the steps and the subtle thuds of the footsteps stopping at each doorway. My father could not be bothered to check, however, and sleep finally overtook him. That very night, my mother awoke some time after my father went to sleep. She had always been a light sleeper. Unlike my father, she could fall asleep quickly, but woke often in the night. She, too, heard the sound of footsteps coming up the staircase and stopping at the doors. She heard it three or four times as well. She even looked toward the door to their bedroom and saw what she described as a hazy figure of a woman in blue. She could see female features such as hair pulled back in a bun and the blue gown or dress she was wearing. It happened as if she was in a void. My mother described a sensation of being frozen and breaking out in a cold sweat. She was aware of her surroundings, yet unable to move. The figure spoke and asked a question. Do you know where Margaret is? My mother could not answer, and before long the figure dissolved. That was the last thing she remembered that night. She awoke in the morning as if nothing happened. The next morning, my parents swapped stories. My father recounted the footsteps, and my mother shared her much more disturbing story. A few weeks went by, and my mother was speaking with her father. She told him the story, too. Being the type of man he was, he told my mom the story was bullcrap, and that she was crazy. He was a hard-headed Polish fellow who was very much grounded in reality. This discussion they had is integral to what will happen later on. As time went on, strange things would happen in the house. 
My father was in the second floor bathroom when he heard music playing somewhere in the house. He thought it was my sister playing her records or stereo, but then realized he was the only one home. Perhaps it was a careless child leaving their radio on somewhere else. He traced the source of the music to the attic. He scoured the attic, still hearing the music, but finding no source. And those footsteps in the night, the ones often pacing the upstairs hallway or ascending and descending the staircase, had become a regular occurrence. The home had those old-style pull-down shades installed in all the windows. Even those would often go up on their own. Not quietly. They would be flung up violently, often scaring the person that happened to be next to one as it happened. My sister was home alone one day, preparing for a shower. She placed her towel on the back of the bathroom door. When going to retrieve it, it was nowhere to be found, only to turn up on the living room couch later that evening. In the fall of 1981, I was born, and at a certain point, my parents asked my grandparents to watch my siblings at the house, while they were at the hospital. My grandfather was sleeping on the couch in the living room, and all was quiet. He woke to the sound of a dress swishing. That rustling of fabric that is telltale of a woman walking in a dress. He looked up and saw a woman in blue walking across the living room, and walking up the stairs. He bolted up thinking someone had gotten into the house and ran up the stairs to the upstairs hallway to find nothing but children and his wife asleep in the bedrooms up there. When he saw my mother at the hospital the next day, he said, I believe you now, and never spoke of it again as far as I know for the rest of his life. We lived in that house for seventeen more years. Strange things would always occur. The ghost, who we nicknamed Margaret, would let us know she was still there. We never felt threatened. In fact, I fondly remembered that home as warm and welcoming, loving, with just a hint of added creepiness. Again, nothing demonic or harmful. Doors would open, cats would hiss at nothing, we would see figures out of the corner of our eyes darting up the stairs. There was even an occasion when we smelled cigarette smoke filling the living room. Yet, no one in our family smoked. Some time before we moved, we got a knock on the door. A woman was standing there, said she was someone who had lived in the home before. She was a daughter of the family my father bought the house from. She asked if she could see the house as to revisit her childhood. My parents allowed it. While going through the house, she would touch doorways in a loving manner and tear up as she walked through the kitchen and living room. After that, she sat with my parents for a cup of coffee. Then she asked something that I'll always remember. By the way, have you seen her? We all immediately knew who her was. Then the story started coming out from her, about her time in the house, about the visions of a woman in blue in the attic window, about the footsteps... She also stated that her mother dabbled in the occult and Ouija boards. Luckily for us, what we experienced in that house didn't seem to be evil in any way. Asleep From Daniel Let me share with you an experience my siblings and dad had in 2011. I happened to be asleep the entire time that it happened. 
My mom went to a women's retreat with the church, so my dad had to take care of us. They had been divorced for about six years then. At around 10pm that night, I was getting sleepy, but everyone else stayed up watching a movie. I went into my room and fell asleep. Around 1am, everyone was still up watching a different movie, I think, when they started hearing whispering that seemed to happen around them. After a few seconds, it all died down. They shrugged it off and continued watching the movie, when suddenly the whole house began to shake, and our neighbor's dog started barking. Just like the whispering before, it happened for only a short period. A few minutes passed, and they heard a pot fall, and this was after the shaking. They checked the kitchen, but everything was in order. Then they heard another pot fall, but this time it sounded like it was coming from the roof. My dad somehow got my oldest brother onto the roof, and he wasn't able to see a pot up there, or anything out of the ordinary. Our neighbor went into her backyard and saw my oldest brother on the roof. She asked him, what's going on? And he explained. After our neighbor went inside, my brother got down with the help of our dad, and they went back in. Somehow they managed to fall asleep after all that weirdness, and they told me what happened the next day. It's one of several paranormal experiences our family had witnessed, that they don't really have an explanation for. And it's something I won't soon forget, even though I slept all the way through it. Well, I hope you enjoyed the spooky tales. Lord knows they're just a distraction. Something to keep your wary mind from wandering to those sounds coming from just outside. What you hear is not the wind moaning. I wish it were, my friend. But it seems the dead have come and they wish for us to join their ranks. Pray that the process isn't too painful. <laughs> well, thanks for enjoying this episode of Darkness Prevails. More scary stories are yet to come, so stay tuned. Remember to share your story with us to have a chance to have it narrated. Just send it to us at darkstories.org. I'm a sucker for monster stories, strange things happening in the woods, and confessions from people with creepy jobs, like security guards, night shift workers, forest rangers, and more. If you want to support the show, you can do so by donating on Patreon, or buying a shirt on my merch store. Links to both of those are in the description. Well, until next time... Here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate and keep the show afloat. Remember to stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. It's closing time. Lock the doors and head home. But keep your eyes peeled. It's dark out and the only light fixture is that old street lamp that's far too dim to see out past the parking lot. If you don't get home fast enough, you might not ever make it back. 
These are five allegedly true and especially creepy closing shift horror stories. If you have a scary story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. I love reading your tales. I might just narrate it too. I'm currently looking for stories about being alone in the dark. Also, someone left me an odd comment recently. It said, You talk too much. Thanks for the laugh, friend. Now, let's begin. Warning. The following story contains animal violence. Too Afraid to Leave From Abbott I love where I work, and I don't want to scare people away from going there, so I'm going to keep the exact location and name of the restaurant unspoken. I'll just say it's a local ma and pa joint in the Midwest. The place is a great place. Greasy but delicious food, smiling faces, personalities that will keep you coming back. I work the closing shift at this place. I've been working the closing shift here for a couple of years now, and I enjoy it. I get to sleep in in the mornings, and it's usually slower at night, save for the weekends, of course. I always work with two other people, usually a cook and another server. On this occasion, it was me, Dean, and Tiffany. Dean was a big and quiet guy, but a teddy bear at heart, while Tiffany was a fun but outspoken college girl. All in all, they were my favorite other two people to work with, so I thought that night, seeing as it was slow, was going to be a fun one with them. But I could not have been more wrong about that. As 10.30 came around, it signaled our time to start closing things down. Closing time was 11, and after 10.30, we couldn't serve any more customers. The primary objective then was to just finish up the customers we did have and clean things up. So we did just that. By 10.55 or so, Dean gets a text from his fiancée saying that she needed him home as soon as possible. Apparently, their baby was sick and she needed some help. I was in charge at the time, and since it was only five minutes, I decided to let him go. Soon, Dean was packing up and heading out the door. Tiffany continued to clean the tables at the front of the restaurant. I was counting the cash in the drawer and preparing to put it in the safe. Things were pretty silent at that point, as the two of us were entirely focused on closing things down. So when the front door rang open and we heard heavy breathing, it startled the both of us. I left the manager's office to see what was going on. Tiffany was grabbing Dean by the shoulder, and Dean was back in the building his back to the front door, and he was panting like mad. It was odd seeing a dude that big, that scared. What's going on? I asked. Dean placed his hand on his cheek, as if feeling his own temperature. Then, without answering me, turned around and pressed his face against the glass of the front door. After looking around for a moment, he began to lock the mechanism on the door, which he can do from the inside without a key. Hey, what are you doing? We have to leave through there. The back door is still busted. I called out to him, still awaiting an answer from before. Then he shushed me without turning around. I raised an eyebrow. He was usually so sweet and quiet. This wasn't like him at all. Tiffany was busy trying to locate what he was staring at. I grew curious as well, so I approached the front of the restaurant. 
Dean, what are you doing? I asked. Then he motioned with his hand and pointed to the center of the parking lot outside. Now, our building was located near farmland, miles of it, which is quite common around these parts. We had a couple of streetlights outside, but the only one close to the restaurant was in the parking lot, and it was really our only source of light on a new moon night like that one. So, when I looked outside, all I saw at first was a dimly lit parking lot and utter darkness beyond it. And then I saw what he was pointing at. It looked like a cat lying on its side, sleeping. But then I noticed that it wasn't moving at all. It wasn't breathing. It was a dead cat. Ah, poor thing, I said, before Dean shushed me again, and then finally spoke. Just look. I listened to him and continued to watch. The three of us must have been staring at this dead cat for about three minutes. I was about to walk away to finish up my business, thinking this was just silly, when the three of us saw something so suddenly that we all nearly had heart attacks at the same time. A pale gray and moist flash of skin skittered across the parking lot, dragging away the cat with it into the darkness beyond the streetlight. What the hell was that? Tiffany nearly screamed. I don't know, explained Dean. When I went to my car, it flew right past me. I thought it was a person at first, but I saw that it left these moist footprints on the ground where it walked, and then I saw it tearing away at that cat, before running off and leaving it in the center of the parking lot. Of course I ran back. I was still too far away from my car. The three of us agreed that maybe it was best to keep an eye on the parking lot before we all stepped outside. I didn't know what this animal was, but if it was dangerous, it wasn't worth risking our lives just to leave the building. We were completely safe in here, I figured. Even if it was a full-grown grizzly bear or black bear, it would never try to break the glass of the front of the building. At least I didn't think it would. The three of us sat together at a booth at the front of the restaurant, where we could see the parking lot completely. After about half an hour of playing twenty questions with one another, Tiffany was beginning to think that we were just over-exaggerating the danger of the situation. She was impatient to get home, and I felt it too. It'd been a long day, even if it wasn't especially difficult of a day. I wanted to get home, you know. So Tiffany began to press her face against the glass as well, trying desperately to see if anything weird was going on outside. Oh no, you've got to be kidding me, she muttered. What's wrong? I asked. Look, just to the left of the street lamp, just outside the parking lot. I looked exactly where she was talking about, and I didn't see it at first. But when I did, my heart skipped a beat. There it was, a figure a little less dark than the darkness around it. A silhouette of what nearly looked like a person, if they were on their knees. But as I stared at the figure, it looked less and less human. Its chest was wide and thin and bony, and its head was rectangular in shape, long up and down and terribly thin from side to side. It looked more like some sort of fleshy robot. 
Every second I looked at this thing, I prayed inside my head that it was just some jerk with some costume trying to prank us, but this excuse became less and less realistic as I watched its chest heave, signaling that it was breathing, and I could see falling droplets of moisture from its skin. Sweat, maybe something else. Yeah, I'm not going out there, Tiffany said. I agreed in silence. The three of us stared back at this deformed person as it stared at us. Part of me wished it would go away, while a smaller, more morbid part of me wished it would crawl slowly into the streetlight, just so I could finally be sure what exactly it was. Eventually, I nodded off for a little while, until Dean woke me up. Abbott, you gotta see this. I quickly looked outside, remembering that we were in quite the situation. There, in the middle of the parking lot again, was the cat from before, but its head was gone. What the... Did either of you see it put the cat there? I had to know. Unfortunately, the two of them had also fallen asleep for a bit. I scoured the outer limits of the light again, looking for the thing's silhouette. I found it quickly, but instead of watching us, it was staring at the cat's body. I couldn't help but feel peculiar about this particular part of the situation. It seemed to know something, like it was trying to lure us outside. So whatever it was... It had some intelligence to it. And if that was correct, then it was hunting us, too, after all. Or maybe I was just scared and overthinking the whole thing. Luckily, things don't get more climactic from here. I fell asleep again. The next time I woke up, it was daylight out. The creature was gone, and there was nothing left to worry about, save for my future closing shift. We obviously told our co-workers about this. Some of them believed, some of them didn't. A couple of them felt it was an invitation to share their creepiest experiences working there, though no one had had a similar experience to ours. As for me, I know it was real. I don't know what it was, but I'm trying my hardest to believe it was just some deformed homeless person. But even that sounds like a stretch. I'm just thankful that I witnessed this with two other people that I trust. And I know for a fact that it was real. But maybe that's a bad thing. Because remembering this experience scares the hell out of me. I still work there. And I'm often afraid we'll be trapped inside the restaurant again. Or worse, that thing could come back when I'm going to my car. Then what will it do? What's it going to do? when a stray cat isn't its first target. Trapped Inside From Jessica What's your worst fear? Is it way too tight spaces? Being around too many people? Snakes? Spiders? Well, I can safely say that my absolute worst fear is being trapped at work. 
because it happened to me once. I used to work at an office building. Think Dunder Mifflin from The Office, except the place I worked at was a single story. I was the receptionist there, and it was my duty as the closing shift receptionist to lock down the building at night, which meant letting everyone out, making sure no one was left inside, then locking the front doors. This was easy, and was basically a habit at that point. It became second nature to check the building, lock the lobby doors, and head home. Well, this occurred rather recently. In fact, it was Tuesday, the 31st of December. It was New Year's Eve, and I was excited to get home. Nobody got much work done that day. Rather, we were all discussing our plans as to what we were going to do when 10 o'clock came by, closing time. Most people were going to bars or hanging out with friends. As for me, my plan was to head home and to see my husband and son. We were going to watch the ball drop on TV. Not terribly exciting, but it's what I loved. So the workday passes by rather quickly. At least for me it did. I got a lot of calls that day. Clients were seemingly waiting till the last minute before New Year's to schedule things. It was irritating, but it made things fly by quickly. So it was ten o'clock by then. I stood aside and made sure everyone left the building. What I usually do is just count the people as they walk out. Our office had twelve people in it, including myself. So once I counted eleven, I would close the doors and lock them. Nine, ten, eleven. The door shut from the last person. I quickly did a round through the main cubicle area, making sure no one was planning to stay inside, even though I'd counted. I'd been taught from the very beginning to double-check. You never know. Once I had the all-clear, I turned out the lights, and I went to open the lobby doors. That's odd, I thought. When I pushed open the door, it wouldn't open at all. It wouldn't budge at all. These doors only lock with the keys, and I had the only keys. The manager always left me in charge of them. In fact, I was holding the keys in my hand, ready to lock the doors behind me when I exited. But I couldn't budge those doors no matter how hard I pushed or pulled. I looked outside into the parking lot, hoping to see someone still there so I could beckon them to the door to try it from the outside. But the lot was empty. All that was there was my little car, waiting for me to hop inside and see my family. I kept pushing and pulling at the stupid door, growing really frustrated really fast. When I grew winded, I decided that that was enough. So I grabbed my smartphone from my purse, and I called up my husband. But the moment I pushed the dial button and held the phone to my ear, I yanked it away from me in a panic. There was an ear-blistering screech on the other end, the loudest and most high-pitched white noise I'd ever heard. I tried calling two or three more times, but I got that sound every time. I rolled my eyes, thinking this is turning out to be a bad night. It wasn't how I planned to start my new year. I was tired. I wanted to go home and have a drink with my husband. Needed to make sure he wasn't letting my son eat too much junk food, even if it was New Year's. I walked over to my desk, which was the lobby desk. We had a landline phone there that I used for my calls throughout the day. I picked it up, 
but before I even dialed, that same ear-blistering screech erupted from the earpiece. It made me wince. That sound physically hurt my head. I quickly hung up the phone. Now I was worried. What in the world was going on? Why couldn't I leave? Why was my phone not working? And of all things in this building, the landline should still work. With my purse in hand, I ran to the fire exit. This was toward the back of the building. It was closer to the office cubicle area, so that people could run out of it more quickly than just exiting the lobby. Because it's an emergency door, you can only open it from the inside. Opening it from the outside doesn't work. So it made sense that this would be my escape route. But I'd have to stay there for when the fire truck came, because opening it would set the alarms off. But by then, what other choice did I have? As I made my way through the cubicles, something felt strange. And just before I walked past the last row of cubicles, I saw a figure in the very last cubicle itself. It looked like the outline of a person's head. Someone was still here. But I just checked. Slowly, I made my way around that cubicle so that I could see who was sitting in the chair. You're not supposed to be here, I called out. But the person didn't respond, not even physically. When I rounded the corner of the cubicle wall, I saw that the chair was empty. That's not possible. I just saw someone's head poking out from the cubicle. Just to be sure, I walked back to where I was before I rounded the corner. Perhaps it was an optical illusion, I told myself. Maybe I saw something that just looked like that and lined up with the cubicle. But when I was back in front of it and looked again, there was no head shape at all. Something had been there, and now it wasn't there. And now I also didn't feel alone anymore. I quickly ran to the fire exit and pushed my whole body weight into the door. I nearly screamed when the door didn't budge. I pushed and pushed over and over again, bruising my shoulder and arm. But it wouldn't move. That's impossible. These doors were made to move from the inside at all times. The moment I stopped trying, I heard something behind me. It was laughter. I swear to God, it was laughter. This building, when you're alone in it, is completely silent, to the point you can hear your ears ringing. So when I heard that voice laughing, there was no mistaking what the sound was. But I had no idea how it was possible. I quickly made my way through the office, looking for something heavy. I ended up grabbing a computer monitor. I walked to the lobby, and I threw that monitor as hard as I could at the front door. Not only did the door remain unbroken, but the monitor hit and fell to the ground, more like it had been gently placed on a mattress. There wasn't a single scratch on the door or on the monitor. In fact, no matter what I hit or threw at that door, neither of the items would tarnish. I was trapped in here. I swear to God, some unseen force was not allowing me to leave. And I was horrified, thinking that it would soon show itself.
Surely it had a purpose in keeping me here. I felt as if I was going crazy, because the only explanations I had for this were beyond reason. I mean, glass breaks when you throw something at it. Plastic chips when it falls to the ground. Figures and voices don't just appear and disappear out of thin air. I began to cry, and I fell onto the ground in the corner of the lobby. The lobby doors were to my side, so that I could face the office itself. That's where I assumed my ethereal assailant may be. I felt as if I was losing it. Goosebumps were all over my body, and my face was soon sore and numb from tears. I sat there, eventually holding my head in my arms, until I was startled by the sound of distant fireworks. New Year's. For some reason, this gave me the motivation to run at the front doors again. I didn't believe they would open, but as I pushed my shoulder against the door, and it flew open, nearly causing me to land face first on the asphalt outside, I was overjoyed. I looked at my smartphone to call my husband, and I noticed the time it was 12 o'clock exactly. Was it a coincidence that I was released from this place the moment it was a new year? I shook my head, put my phone in my pocket, deciding not to call my husband just yet, so I could focus on racing home in my car. I did just that, and I made the fifteen-minute drive in about ten. I practically ran through that door, to the confused looks of my husband and son, who were watching TV like we'd planned to do. I didn't like seeing my husband not worried, but before I could say anything... He told me, I thought you just went to the bathroom. How are you outside? He smirked. Bathroom? I just got here. You won't believe what happened. It was then that he noticed the mascara running down my face from tears. His expression became one of concern, and he immediately got up from his seat and ran to the bathroom. When he came back, he looked as if he'd seen a ghost. Turns out that I did arrive home at ten. At least my husband and son thought that I did. They said they saw me come in. Said I watched TV with them. And just a few minutes after the ball dropped, I went to the bathroom. And then appeared at the front door looking entirely wrecked and different. When my husband went to check the bathroom for the other me, the bathroom was empty. Now, I have no explanation for any of this, but it is the most terrifying moment in my life. I did not quit my job over these events, but they definitely aided in the choice, and I'm so thankful that I don't have to go back there. If you have any idea what happened to me, I'm all ears. I don't walk home anymore. From No Welly. It's funny how one second something can happen and it changes your entire foundation of beliefs. Before this experience, I was a normal guy, going about my life casually. I didn't think of the paranormal. I never gave a second thought to the supernatural. 
The most I ever thought about these things were just scary movies. But the moment I left that theater or turned off the film on my TV, that was that. But I had an experience one night that changed me forever. Take the story as you will. Believe me, don't believe me. That's your decision. But I'll tell you wholeheartedly the experience that drove me to no longer walk home anymore. The experience that drove me to believing that some sinister forces are at work in our world. So I worked a two to ten job at a factory. We put together plastic parts for appliances. It wasn't a hard job, but by God was it mundane and especially repetitive. Because of this, I began to gain weight. Eventually, I chose to start walking home from work. I lived close enough, and it would provide a good source of exercise and some time alone. All I had to do was take the wooded trail to the northeast of the factory, and after about a half hour of a walk, I'd be within a few blocks of my house in the suburbs. Easy peasy, and even a little fun. But let me tell you, walking through the night is not something everyone should do. Walking through the woods after dark is especially creepy, and now I kind of understand why. One night a few years ago, a few months after I started my routine of walking home, I clocked out around ten, as I usually did, said my goodbye to my co-workers, and began to walk down the trail nearby. There was a crescent moon in the sky. It was a decent source of light until the canopy overtook it. The trees that rose above that trail got pretty thick at parts, so it was almost pitch black. I ended up having to use my phone flashlight, at least for comfort, if not to help me light the way. I walked for several minutes, thinking about my day at work, planning to call my girlfriend when I got home, asking her if she wanted to see a new movie. I can't remember which it was. Now, I've heard stories like these the way they start with everything going quiet, how the experiencer will suddenly feel dread. I can tell you honestly that none of that happened to me that night. I was simply walking, minding my own business. The night animals were going crazy as usual, when it happened to me. An unseen force, that's the best way to describe it, ran full force into me, hitting me so hard that I was knocked down the hill to the right quite a ways away, rolling for a few seconds. I rolled far enough that when I picked myself back up, I could no longer see the road, and I didn't know where I was. But I knew something or someone had run into me. I was winded, but my eyes were alert, and my mind was blank. I knew I was scared, but my adrenaline was pumping, and I felt nothing but calmness. I looked around, searching for my attacker, but finding none. I didn't want to move right away. I wanted to see where I should go, in reference to who attacked me. Otherwise, I could have just run right into them. After a moment, I was beginning to think it was an animal. Maybe some deer had run up on me and hit me by accident before running away. But then... I saw movement. I turned my head and watched as leaves and sticks were kicked up, but nothing was there. It was like watching something invisible coming right at me. 
I was so dumbfounded and terrified by this that I didn't budge, even as the unseen thing got close enough to grab me by my ankle and begin to drag me through the leaves and sticks. The grip on this thing was extremely tight. I could not pull away from it no matter how hard I tried. Therefore, I began to kick and punch at where I thought it connected to its body, trying to hit it, trying to hurt it enough that it let go of me. But this only made it squeeze harder. I remember the sensation of its grip. I swear to God I could feel fingers. It felt like a human hand was holding on to me. But why couldn't I see them? When I looked up at my floating leg being held tightly onto, I saw right through what should have been there. It wasn't even like that Predator film, where the creature's invisibility cloak sort of glimmers. No, this was like there was something completely transparent. It didn't disrupt the light around it at all. The only way you could tell something was there was its footsteps causing disturbances in the leaves and ground. I was panicking then, kicking, trying to scream, but nothing came out. I guess that's what happens when you try to scream too hard at once. But what my panic ended up doing to me was causing me to hit my head on a rock as I was being dragged. This made me feel woozy for a few seconds. When I sort of came to, I was being dragged along the ground still. But we were on the bank of a creek or a river. I didn't even know there was a body of water down here. But then, I realized after hearing the sound of splashing that I was being pulled into the water. I kicked and screamed again, this time screaming successfully. I believe I startled my attacker because for a brief moment, his grip loosened right after I screamed. I took that very same moment to yank my leg away the moment I was free, I pulled myself up, and I ran back up the hill. I had no idea if it was the right direction, but I ran. I ran where I knew that thing wouldn't be, and what really scared me was the fact that I could hear its footsteps behind me. This invisible creature was far from done with me, but I ran. I ran and ran until I was so out of breath that I nearly collapsed. But I made it back on the trail, and I kept going. I didn't stop until I was in the suburbs, and I was able to put myself in front of an oncoming car. The guy driving that car got out and saw that my head was bleeding. He took me to a hospital, where I was able to get some medical care and call my girlfriend. She came quickly to see me, and I told her the story. I could tell she didn't know how to react to it, but I didn't blame her. I reassured her that it didn't make sense at all, I knew that, and that I didn't know what happened for sure. I was in the hospital overnight, then released the next day. They had to give me a couple of stitches on the back of my head, and they wanted to make sure that I didn't fall asleep that night, as they feared I had a concussion. My girlfriend, I could tell, believed that the story I told was part of the head injury, that I was walking home when I slipped and fell on a rock, causing me to make up this story, or perhaps causing me to see things and run away from them. But I know that's not the case. But it doesn't end there. 
I'm sure many of you have heard of Missing 411, a book series that explores disappearances throughout the country, mysterious disappearances that don't seem to add up. Even so, many of these disappearances have traits in common, and after hearing about them, I am terrified that my experience is quite similar to a few of them. For example, many people who disappeared under weird circumstances were later found drowned in shallow water. I can't help but feel that that was the end goal of this thing. It was to take me by surprise, to end my life in that shallow water, and to leave me there for people to wonder until the end of time what happened to me, but to never know the truth. I'm lucky to be alive, but I still have no idea what this invisible thing was, or if it's still out there. Be careful. Used cars from another one. Working at a used car dealership, you end up seeing some things. From extremely pissed customers to some sketchy activities performed by the employees, the things I've walked in on when checking on inventory—it can be quite weird. We had an RV for sale on the lot once. I went to check the RV to make sure it was clean enough to present to someone I'd called to see if they wanted to buy it. But upon walking in, I found two coworkers going at it in the back. Yeah, but that's not even the worst of it. This is. I'm going to share with you the story that I still haven't gotten over, and I don't think I ever will. I live in an area where meth is pretty common, and that stuff really screws with you. With some people, it turns you into something else, like some sort of desperate, inhuman monster. Think that's an exaggeration? Well, get a load of this. Every night when we close, I have to go to every car in the field. There's about two hundred of them. And I have to check inside via the window to make sure no keys were left in them. We've got mechanics and painters on site, so a lot of the cars will be moved back and forth throughout the day. It's pretty common for someone to leave keys in there, and it's a big liability because if someone takes off with that vehicle, it can be a big pain to get it back, if we get it back at all in one piece. That is, one night the manager left early. Leaving me alone to check for keys and to lock up the main doors. This wasn't too bad. So as things closed down, I began to do my duties. One by one, I began to check the cars in the field as the sun began to set. There must have been around eight or nine rows of cars out there that night. I checked them, often peering in through the windows, other times opening the door to make sure that I didn't see any keys. Soon I began to come up on this sedan. An old high mileage tan car that we weren't selling for much. I don't remember the maker model. I came to it, and I remember that the windows were kind of tinted, so I had to really lean in on the passenger side window to get a view of the ignition. And if I didn't see clearly there, I would just go to the driver's side door and open it to check. Well, when I leaned in close and checked the ignition, I didn't see any keys, but I did see something else. There was a man who was completely nude in the middle of the seats. The front seat was all one seat, 
he was sitting there with his foot in front of his face. He looked like a middle-aged man. His eyes were completely bloodshot, and he was staring down at his foot. After a second, I looked down to see what he was doing, and I literally gagged out loud. The guy had some sort of knife in his hand, and he was carving chunks of flesh out of his heel. I must have come up on him in the middle of it, because there were already several thin slices of flesh missing from his foot. This psycho heard me gag. His head twisted and turned toward me in an instant. We made eye contact, and I ran. Seconds later, I heard the door to that car open and shut, and rapid barefoot footsteps coming after me. Now the thing about that situation was that I did not have the keys to my car, so my first thought of getting out of there while I could, it wouldn't work. I thought about running back inside the main building, but the keys were on the manager's desk, so by the time I opened the front door, ran to the manager's desk, ran back to the front door to lock it, that man would already be inside. My best option was to, as quickly as I could, find a car to hide in. There was a row of minivans next to the woods near the lot. I ran with my head lower than the tops of the cars trying to confuse my pursuer. As I made it to one of the vans, I quickly threw open the front door and jumped inside, closing it even faster than crawling and lying down in the back seat. Luckily, he did not see which van I got in. In fact, I don't think he saw that I got in a vehicle at all. But he was suspicious. I saw him through the window walk by a few times. He knew I was still there somewhere, and he was searching for me, with that bloody knife in his hand. With tears in my eyes, I called the police, and I waited for them to come. The next few minutes felt like an eternity, because at any moment, if he opened that minivan door and looked inside, he'd find me, and I would have been essentially trapped, with nothing between me and that rusty, bloody knife of his. Luckily, he did not find me, and the police rolled into the parking lot just as he was leaving. The police made sure I was okay, and they searched the lot and the woods for this man, though they never found him. They did take samples of his blood from that car, but he wasn't in any database, so they couldn't do anything with it. All in all, the ending is unsatisfying, because they never found the guy and I was always paranoid from there on out of going to check the cars in the field. For about a month or two after that, I would have one of the shop guys go with me, because I was scared to be alone. But I never did see him again. I'm just happy to be alive, able to tell this story. I know I mentioned meth before. Well, that's because the only thing his blood was able to turn up was high doses of meth. This guy was a crazed zombie, so high on meth that he was ready to tear my flesh, too. A Glimpse of Another World by 33 Dumbledeed 33 I wish I'd been on drugs, because this encounter does not make any sense and I doubt any of you will believe it. 
It was a quick experience, but one so bizarre, it has left me confused to the actual meaning of life and reality around me. I own a family butcher shop in the South. This shop was left to me by my late dad, and it was left to him by his grandfather before me. It's something that's passed down among family, and I've never heard, ever, of any experience like this among my family here, which makes things more confusing and worrisome. I close up at nine. After nine, I make sure all the meat is in the freezer that needs to be there, that everyone's out of the shop, and that things are ready to go for the next day. Simple enough, right? Well, as I'm putting some meat in the freezer in the back, which opens via one of those large metal freezer doors, you've probably seen one in a movie or something, I open the door, and it's not hanging meat or boxes that I see. It should have been. But what I'm about to describe to you, no matter how bizarre it sounds, I hope you believe me when I say I'm being completely honest. There in front of me was a world of sand, and it wasn't like any sand I've seen in our world at all. The sand was a more red tinge, and there were these dark red rocks in the sand throughout. The skies above were a crimson color, darker clouds rolling through at high speeds. This didn't look like my freezer, obviously, nor did it look like anything I'd ever seen before. It was like some sort of fever dream had manifested itself in front of me. I stood there absolutely astonished. I didn't move as I stared and made sense or attempted to make sense of everything I was seeing. I took in as much of it as I could, my mind struggling to come up with answers before I could even get close to an answer. I began to see something strange. A mound of sand that began to roll towards me, as if something large was moving my way. I began to panic and choke for air. I quickly shut the freezer door, and when I opened it again, there was my meat and boxes as usual. I repeatedly opened and closed the freezer door, but never saw that weird world again. This experience shook me so bad that I ended up going to a doctor to make sure my head was okay, to make sure I didn't stumble upon any poisoned meat or something, but I had a clean bill of health. I kept this experience to myself until now, but at least here it's anonymous. So, yeah, that was my quick and odd experience and I wish I knew what to think of it. But I'm just as confused as I ever was. I don't think I'll ever know what it means. Different Dimensions, Psychotic Druggies, and Nightmare Creatures If you don't close up shop properly, you'll suffer some very dire consequences like death, or worse, overtime. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story you want to share with us and possibly have it narrated, submit your story at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check the links below. There's a link to my merch store and a link to my Patreon.
It may be over now, but I'll be back soon with more scary stories. Until then, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. As a kid, being told to get lost was a bad thing. Now as an adult, I learned that getting lost is a fun thing. I value my alone time much more than I ever have before. But being a horror narrator? Well, now I know the term get lost is absolute nightmare fuel. Because when you literally get lost, I know you may never be found. And while you're out there trying to survive, the most hellish forces are after you. These are terrifying Lost in the Woods stories. You'd better hug that compass closely. If you have a scary story of your own, and you want to have me narrate it, first you have to share it with us at darkstories.org. I'm looking for stories about people who have been physically attacked by cryptids or other unexplained creatures. Again, Send me those stories at darkstories.org so I can read them. Thank you. Now, let's begin. I Woke Up From Nile, 1888 Me and my closest friend group are avid campers and outdoorsmen. I grew up in the woods of Oklahoma and Arkansas. The woods and fields out here are my home, and I know it like the back of my hand. Excuse the cliché phrase. That's what makes this experience all the more terrifying for me, because any person would assume that they are safest at home. This happened in 2004. My friends and I had gone camping in the Ozarks, like we had done a dozen times before. It would be me, Derek, David and Isaiah, all guys I'd graduated high school with. That whole day we were hiking and going off-road on four-wheelers, and when we settled down for the night, we nestled a campsite into the flattest spot we could find in the woods. We roasted hot dogs and marshmallows. We weren't exactly hunters or fishermen, after all. Then, after talking about girls and our plans for the future, we settled into two different tents. I shared mine with Derek. Derek was a light sleeper. If you even had an inkling of a snore coming out of you, he would wake you up and tell you to go somewhere else. If a fly landed on Derek, he would be awake all night. Seemingly the only thing he could sleep through was nature. And as I was the only non-snorer between the other three of us, I was bunked with Derek across the campsite from the other two dudes. Anyway, we were exhausted after a long day so Derek and I were quickly asleep, without much of a conversation in bed. Now this is where the horror begins. I wake up an unknown amount of time later. My backside is completely sore, and when I rub my eyes and look around me, I'm horrified. I'm no longer in my tent. I'm in the middle of the woods, surrounded by miles of trees in every direction. 
This wakes me up quickly. I pull myself up from the ground, my back entirely sore from top to bottom. I look around, trying to make sure that I'm awake, and if I am awake, I need to find the campsite, my friends, as soon as possible. What the hell was going on? Immediately, I thought it was a prank. I know the guys have never done pranks like this before, nor could I even recall the last prank they pulled, because none of us were really pranksters. As I scanned my surroundings in the darkness, lit only by the moon through the pine needles in the trees above, I spotted a clue, one that only disturbed me more. I had had another theory that maybe I sleepwalked, but seeing this threw that idea entirely out the window. There on the ground in front of me was a long, stretching trail, like someone had dragged something along the way. In fact, that drag trail ended right below me. That was my trail. I began to turn in a circle, trying my darndest to see my back, I'd been sleeping in a shirt and shorts, as it was pretty cold out here, and upon feeling my back, I realized my entire backside was covered in dirt and mud. It was me that had been dragged through the woods, but by who, and why? How far away was I? Derek! I called out. If it truly was a prank which I wasn't even sure it was that. Derek would be the weak link. If he even felt a bit guilty, I knew he would give in and probably come out of hiding. But after I waited several minutes, there was no reply. No footsteps, no sounds of hushed laughter. I was completely and utterly alone. I shuddered. Goosebumps raised up on my arms. I needed to get back. And I guess luckily for me, there was a path laid out before me. One that I was sure would get me back to where I'd been sleeping. I followed the drag trail in the dirt and mud, trying to push down those thoughts. The ones asking me what could have done this to me, or who. Then I started to wonder, how had I not awakened from being dragged through the woods? It would have been loud. It would have been wet and painful, obviously, given the sores and mud on my back. But I was unconscious until I woke up right in the middle of nowhere. I walked and walked on this trail. The woods were quiet for a long time. There was a steady breeze, and whenever it hit my wet back, it made me shiver. I wanted to be back in my tent. I knew then that if I made it back and I couldn't convince the others to leave. I would just stay awake all night, watching the opening and hoping that I didn't fall asleep again. I was terrified of the thought that if I went unconscious once more, I would wake up out here, or I wouldn't wake up at all. And then with that thought, I was afraid that maybe my friends had been taken too. Having worried myself a good deal, I started to jog, and that jog turned into a run, the more I panicked. I ran for as long as I could. I think it was maybe two and a half minutes straight or so. I slowed down to catch my breath, still walking pretty fast. 
I was huffing pretty loud, too. You could almost hear an echo of my breathing out there. It was then that I felt a sudden and deep pain in my left shoulder, one that caused me to fall forward onto my knees. What the... Ah! The pain was like a shock throughout my entire skeleton. I turned around and saw a large rock, perhaps half the size of my skull, lying on the ground. It hadn't been there before. And as I was turned around looking at the ground, another largish rock came flying past my head. If that had hit me, I probably would have been killed. Now angry, I began to look around again, peering from tree to tree trying to find who was doing this to me. But I still didn't see so much as a figure. Hey, stop that! This isn't funny! I reprimanded whoever it was out there, but once more, there was no response. And then another rock came flying from a different direction. Another rock that I barely dodged. I was being attacked, and possibly trying to be killed. I started running again, even though I was still out of breath. This time I ran for nearly twelve minutes straight. I ran so long and so hard that my vision was getting darker and blurry. I was moments away from passing out if I didn't stop. But, as if by some miracle, when I did stop, I was just on the edge of my campsite. Judging by how far I ran and for how long I'd been walking and running, I'd been dragged a good two or three miles at least. That's a bit of a ways for something that I thought, or hoped, was just a prank. But after being attacked in the middle of the night in these woods, this was no prank. The rocks had stopped being thrown several minutes prior. I stepped calmly into the clearing where the campsite was. It was undisturbed, save for two things. The trail from my tent into the woods where I'd been dragged, and my tent flap still being open. Slowly, I stepped towards my tent, worried that I wouldn't see Derek in there. But when I saw him asleep, still perfectly fine and perfectly out of it, I was even more terrified than I thought I would be. What in the entirety of the world could drag me out of the tent after unzipping it, keeping me asleep while being dragged through the dirt for miles, while not even waking Derek or any of the others for that matter. I mean, if my friend was being dragged away after someone broke into our tent, surely I would have noticed. I sat next to him, not even bothering to look at the other tent to make sure the other two were okay. I was just happy to be back and I had a promise I had to keep for myself. That promise of sitting still, watching the tent opening, and hoping that I didn't fall asleep. Well, for the remainder of the night, I managed to stay awake. Funny thing is, pure primal fear is quite the motivator to keep your eyes peeled. When Derek began to stir, I asked him if he noticed anything weird going on last night. But he answered with, Nah, man, I slept like a baby. About half an hour later, I heard the other two's tent unzip, 
meaning they also slept well and hadn't left their tent all night. So I wasn't pranked. I don't have any answers, and that's what really keeps me awake when I think about this. Now I'm asking you, who or what could have done this to me? How can someone be dragged through the woods for miles without ever waking up? And who or what was it that threw those rocks at me? I don't know if I'll ever figure it out, but I do know I don't camp in the Ozarks anymore. That's sad for me, because it makes me feel as if my home and my childhood has been stolen from me. Hiking Attack from Sierra M. I'm a girl who has been hiking my whole life. I'd always go hiking with my mom and dad when I was able. And since I've moved a few states away, I try to hike at least one weekend a month. There's some beautiful mountain trails near where I live, and they make for the perfect hiking place. I'll just say that I live in New England, so I'm quite used to it being very cold out when I go hiking. Now, what I never expected to happen to me on one of my hiking days was to have the most terrifying experience of my life. It just goes to show you that anything can happen in the woods if you're not careful. And even if you are careful and prepared, still, anything could happen. So I'd been hiking all day that day, it seemed. I was out at my usual mountain trail at around 2 o'clock p.m. I'd gotten off work at 12. We usually have half days on Saturday. And the forecast said it would be warmer than usual for the day. So I figured I'd get some hiking done before it gets dark. And so I did. Anyway, I'd been hiking for pretty much the whole day. No problems, nothing weird. I was circling the mountain trail a number of times, so I was never more than about an hour away from my car at the parking lot. So when I decided it was time to head back because the sun was going down, it would take me maybe an hour to get there, which I was all for. I was pretty hesitant to leave. I always thought if I could live out here, I would. As I was walking back, with the sky now turning that sort of orangish color, I swear I began to hear something strange. Now, it's quite normal to have someone walking ahead of you or behind you on these trails. They're open to the public, even though they're not used that often. The problem with this sound was, they may have been footsteps, but they sounded more of a clopping sound. A human foot usually sounds like a quick press with weight steadily applied down to it. But this stepping sound, it was just an instant clop, clop, clop. It was coming from several yards behind me. Now, I didn't want to be that awkward person who looked back, just to make eye contact with someone who was minding their own business, but I couldn't help myself. I had my fingers on some pepper spray I had in my pocket, just in case, and I turned around slowly. I wasn't alone. No surprise. About 15 or 20 yards behind me on the trail, I noticed a masculine figure. We both stopped as I looked. I'm not sure why. This made it even more awkward for a moment. But just before I turned around to continue going, something turned that awkwardness 
into confusion, into terror. Because what I thought was a hat at first wasn't actually what was on the guy's head. I swear to God, it's going to sound insane, but when I looked atop his head, I saw horns. I kind of leaned to the side and to the other side, trying to make sure that it wasn't just a branch or brambles off the path behind him or in front of him, making it look like he had horns. But no, there were in fact some sort of growths coming out of his head, whether they were real or not. I didn't care, because if some dude in the middle of a trail, nearly at nighttime, was following a girl while wearing fake horns on his head, that's not a situation I'd ever want to be in, and the alternative would be worse. If they were real, what would that mean? I stayed motionless until this man or thing stepped and clopped forward again, then clop, clop, clop. He began to run right at me. I was so startled that I tripped at first when I began to run away. When I picked myself up and started to run full speed, I stupidly and without thinking ran right off the trail instead of bending with the turn of the trail. I don't know what I was thinking. I ran in the middle of the woods, through dead leaves and an ocean of browned pine needles, for as long as I could before I had to push my back up against a tree and hide. I didn't hear the clopping footsteps anymore. I wasn't sure how long I'd been running, but I did know that the orange sky was now a pink or purple hue. It was going to be dark very soon, and the temperature had already dropped a good ten degrees. If I stayed out here too long, if I got lost, I would be in freezing temperatures for the night. While panting and trying my best to keep it quiet, I leaned out from behind the tree on either side, looking, searching for my attacker. I didn't see him or it. The footsteps still seemed gone. I may have lost him, but I would be in some serious trouble if I didn't leave these woods and get home. I had to find my way out, but I was too scared to head back the way I came. Thing is, I didn't even know which way I came at this point. I began to walk again, trying to keep my footsteps quiet, but the moment I left my hiding spot, I heard laughter. Laughter from behind the trees to the side of me. I jumped and turned toward them, but saw nothing. But then the laughter erupted from the opposite direction. I turned that way too, but again saw nothing. I was losing it. I shook my head quickly and reminded myself I had to get out of here. I began to power walk in the direction I thought the trail would be. I tried to keep my face forward. I was afraid I'd see something to my sides if I looked. I was obviously being toyed with by that thing I saw earlier, but unless it actually came up and hurt me, then I needed to ignore it. I needed to get away. My best bet would be driving out of here. If I made it to my car, everything would be okay. I'd been looking practically straight down for a while, tears welling up in my eyes because I couldn't believe the situation I was in. So when I nearly stepped on a big, hairy body lying face down on the ground, I nearly screamed. 
The body I was looking at now in front of me, it was the same shape as the man I'd seen on the trail, and it too had horns atop its head. I stayed still at first, observing the body, or maybe just too afraid to move. But then I saw the back of its chest rising and falling. It was breathing. Was I being toyed with again? I was so terrified of staying next to this thing that I ran around it and started to sprint again. I sprinted until my knees began to wobble. If I kept going like that, I'd fall flat on the ground myself. With all the adrenaline flowing through me, I didn't think as much about how nonsensical this situation was. I just kept walking, hearing the laughing again from time to time, and once more finding the same hairy face-down body breathing on the forest floor. Again, I ignored it, and sprinted as fast as I could before it got up. I kept going for literally about an hour and a half, before I finally broke through the trees. I never did find the trail again, but luckily what I stumbled upon was the actual parking lot. I know how many people stay lost in the woods, how many people are never found. That is exactly what I was thinking of when I emerged in the parking lot and realized how blessed I was. I ran for my car, though I nearly fell onto my knees because my legs were trembling so much. I got in my car, and I started it. I looked in the tree line, and I saw that hairy figure again, horns up in the air as usual. The two of us exchanged glances for a moment, before I floated away and never returned to that trail. I've no idea what happened out there exactly. Who knows what that creature was, or if it was just some dude being extremely menacing. I know you can get all kinds of crazy costumes on the internet. But why me? Why would someone buy that scary, realistic suit and then come prank me in the middle of the woods? You'd have to be nothing less than psychotic to do that. I'm just going to leave it at that. Because... I'm honestly scared to say that some goat-man-demon chased me. Because if goat-man-demons exist, then I don't think I'd ever be able to sleep again. So, for me, to keep myself sane, this was just some insane person with a very realistic goat-man suit. If you ever find yourself in the mountains in New England, don't go alone and always check who's following you if you hear footsteps behind you. Come Back Fast From Delilah Harpy Eagle Something very traumatic happened to me when I was young. You see, I only knew my father until the age of nine, and then without warning, I never saw him again. My dad was a very passionate camper and hiker. Some men love to go hunting and fishing, and will go out of their way to do so. My dad was that way with just camping and hiking. He liked to stay in shape. He liked to be in the middle of nature. And he'd always wanted to take me out there when I was old enough, and my mom wouldn't argue with him. But as I recall, mom wanted me to be a bit bigger. She was always trying to protect me from seemingly nothing 
But now I think I know why. And maybe it's not even the same reasons she had. Anyway, a few months after I turned nine, it was a weekend, and my dad had gone off to camp. I remember watching him pack his usual hiking stick, a fishing pole, sleeping bags, and his tent. I even remember asking if I could go. He said to me, only if your mom lets you. And of course, she said, not right now. But this time, she attributed it to me not cleaning my room like I was supposed to the previous day. It's kind of hard not to blame myself for not being able to go that time. But maybe I'm just putting too much weight on myself. Anyway... I gave him a hug and a kiss on the cheek, and told him to come back fast, which had always been how I told him goodbye. I loved my dad. Honestly, it may sound bad, but as a kid, I was more excited to see my dad than my mom most of the time. Not to say that I didn't get excited when I saw my mom again, but it was different between me and my dad. Come back fast, I told him, and he replied, fast as I can. As he drove away, that was the last I ever saw him. He disappeared on the dirt road, taking his truck through the old trails of the woods that bordered our property. Those woods were hundreds of acres, which were bought by my dad's savings years back. Though they may have been vast woods, I never really considered them big. They were just home, too, to me, though I've never been in them. Whenever I thought of my dad being out there, it didn't feel like he was far away. It just felt like he was next door, in the woods. But I guess I never realized how big those woods are. My dad did not come back in the morning. Cell phones were in their early stages, and most people didn't have them at the time. My mom had no way of contacting him. So the best we could do the next day when he didn't come home was drive the car up and down the road after alerting the local authorities. I wasn't worried yet. I was a dumb kid, I guess. All I knew was that I missed my dad, and he promised to come back fast. Another day passed, and dad still wasn't home. We never did find any trace of his campsite, or him, when we drove those trails and scoured the woods. I was always forced to stay in the car, while my mom, with someone of the family, like my uncle or aunt, would search through the woods. I think they only brought me because they hoped that maybe I could spot my dad if he walked along the trail or something. With every day that he didn't come back, I grew more and more sad. After another forty or so days, even with the help of neighbors, distant family, the cops, and the Forest Service, they never found my dad. They don't know what happened to him. Nobody does. But it was time to pronounce him dead, and we soon had a very confusing, bodiless funeral for him. My mom was grief-stricken. And, oddly enough, I didn't cry, but I don't think I understood. For the longest time, I figured he'd come out of those woods at any moment. It wasn't like my dad to stay gone, even if everyone said he was dead. For me, if I didn't see it with my own two eyes that he was dead, then he was alive out there, working on making his way back home. But that's not what happened. But I will say this. My dad did come back, in a way. 
Six years after that, I was fifteen years old. We'd long moved past the incident. My mother had happily remarried, and the guy was pretty nice. We still lived on the same property, still owned those hundreds of acres of woods, though my mom had been looking to sell them since we didn't use them, which I hated the idea of. Those woods were my dad at this point, and I was not ready, even after all these years, to have them sold. I tried to explain this to my mom, saying, Would you sell your wedding ring that dad got you? She said no, that she wanted to keep it as a memory, and I said yeah, and that's how I feel about those woods. But I don't think she understood, or maybe I didn't. I mean, if you were setting on nearly a million dollars of property... You'd want to sell it too, I guess. This brings me to the more disturbing side of the story. I had nightly chores. Most kids do. Some kids take out the trash, some do the dishes, but it was up to me to go feed the horses and to make sure their water barrel was filled up. The horse pasture was off to the side of the house, and at the fence to the horse pasture, you would have the best view of the tree line to our woods. Every night as I would walk out there with pails of food for the horses, I would find myself not looking in front of me, but staring to the side, watching the trees, trying to make out that one familiar shape. My dad. I was always hoping he'd just come out of the woods, that he'd come home, that he'd tell me he was sorry he took so long. On that night in particular, I was doing the same. But I quickly reminded myself that things weren't going to go back. So I turned and faced ahead to see the horses excitedly waiting for me. I refilled their hanging buckets at the fence posts. They excitedly gnawed at their food. I turned around and walked a third of the way back, when I couldn't stop myself from glancing at the tree line again. But this time, I froze in my tracks. There was, in fact... A familiar shape in the trees. A familiar beard. That familiar hat. Those green eyes. That was my dad. I turned and faced him, but did not approach. Instead, I waited. This couldn't be real, right? This was impossible. But then I heard his voice calling me. Delilah. It was him. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew it was him. My body moved before I could will it to. I was running to my dad, the empty pails left far behind in the middle of the field. The closer I got to him, the more details I could make out. Details that I had longed to see for years. That old plaid long-sleeved shirt that he had left in, and the way his mustache and beard was arranged... I could tell he was smiling wide. He had missed me, too. I ran forward. I was crying. But I stopped a good ways from him. Oddly enough, he wouldn't move from the tree line. But that wasn't what caused me to stop. You see, the dad I remembered had arms. The man standing before me nearly perfectly looked like my dad. Except, it looked as if this man's arms had been chewed off, gnawed away by some rabid animals. I remember stuttering. 
Dad, what's wrong? His smile somehow widens, and then he speaks something else. This time it's not my name. And to the trees go. What? What was he talking about? And why was he speaking like that? He had never spoken like that before. Or maybe it's been so long that I forget. No, that's not right. He definitely didn't talk this way. Before I could properly react, he said it again. Into the trees. Go. This time he was more demanding. Though I didn't want to move, I knew something was wrong. This man was not my dad. Nor was he a man in the normal sense. I began to step away from him, and his smile quickly diminished. He looked angry. I'd never seen him angry like that. It was such a bizarre and disturbing thing to see that it made me want to throw up. Every step I took away from him, his face contorted into indignation. After a few more steps, I couldn't take it, and I ended up running away. I went and got my mom, and I told her she had to see this. I brought her back outside, but the man, my dad, was gone. I never did see anything like that in the tree line again. I guess I should be thankful. But instead, I feel a bit more traumatized than I ever had. I don't think I ever properly mourned my father. And so, when I had this happen to me, it really messed me up. The moment I turned 18, I had already had a job, and I moved out. I refused to visit my mother as long as she lived out there. She still does. And I refused to ever go back near those woods. My mom thinks I'm punishing her for something, but I'm not. I just haven't told her the reason I'm hiding from those woods. I'm too scared to go back. My Brother's Memory From Bernstein When I was in the twelfth grade, my little brother, who was five, went missing. Don't worry, he was since found, of course. But the circumstances surrounding his disappearance for that time are kind of odd. My brother and my cousin used to hang out together all the time, spending the night at each other's houses whenever they got the chance. And one weekend, my cousin's family was going to a state park to spend some time there, get some fresh air, let the kids play, all that jazz. My little brother went with them. Sometime in the afternoon, they lost track of him, and before we knew it, a search party was looking for my brother in the middle of the night. For an 18-year-old, I remember being extremely scared. I had always been kind of mean to my brother. He always annoyed me like little brothers do, and I didn't give him the time of day. But having him gone like that, it really put it into perspective that I was taking him for granted. I never felt so guilty before. Luckily for everyone, at around 8 a.m. one morning, an old lady stopped her car in the middle of the road by the state park, finding my brother on the side of the road, soaked from the rain, but altogether just fine. 
When we got him back and questioned him about what happened, we couldn't believe our ears. And you probably won't either. What he told us was this. He was playing next to the woods. He had managed to put quite a bit of distance between him and his cousin's family. He was alone, and when suddenly something he called the Skin Bird flew down and picked him up by the arms. He said it had sharp claws, but the creature did not use those claws on him. Instead, the talons simply wrapped around his arms, comfortably in fact. He said the bird flew him away to the top of a pine tree, where there lay a pine needle nest that he was able to sit in. Every time he tried to climb down, the creature would pull him back up, but would never attack him. He said he thought it was pretty cool at the time, and didn't feel scared. Eventually, the skin bird flew away, probably getting food. So my brother took the opportunity to climb down the tree. He was quite the avid climber back then. He nearly fouled, but he made it down okay, where he wandered out of the woods as it started to rain. This happened over the course of several hours, apparently. I didn't exactly believe his story. It was just extremely bizarre to me. But I was happy he was okay. I definitely treated him better for a long time. The funny thing is, his story hasn't changed in a single aspect ever since he told it to us. He's 33 now, it's been a very long time, and he still claims that the skin bird story is true. I kept trying to ask him what he meant by skin bird, though. And he says from what he could remember, this bird didn't have feathers. This doesn't make sense and would obviously defy the laws of physics, I think. But that's his story. Take it as you will. Little Runaway from NMN When I was little, I had one of those moments where you threatened to run away. But I actually went through with it. I remember my mom getting mad at me about something and she took away my Game Boy and grounded me for a whole week. I remember being so mad that that night after bedtime, I crawled through my window and just ran into the woods. I wasn't going to stay gone forever, of course. I was just wanting her to see how sad she'd be if I disappeared. So the plan was to wait in the woods until she woke up, saw that I was gone, got sad, and then I'd come back. Of course, things never go as planned when you're that little. I must have been five, six years old. Well, anyway, that night I climbed out my window and went into the woods nearby. The woods weren't that big, but I ended up getting myself quite lost in them. I didn't worry about that at first, thinking that I'd find my way back in the morning, and that it'd be easy to find your way out of the woods, even though I was dead wrong about that. I huddled down under a canopy of sorts. It was a thick outcropping of bushes and branches that made a sort of cover. It was starting to rain, so I thought that'd be great. So I sat there, trying to stay mad, but I ended up forgetting about why I was even mad in the first place a couple of hours later. Instead, I got sad and a little paranoid. I wanted to go home, but it was cold and wet, and I was lost. I told myself when the sun came up it'd be warmer and I'd be able to see better, so by then I could make it home just fine, 
right? By midnight or so, I couldn't be sure, I began to hear something that really scared me. It sounded like a child crying. At first, I thought it was me and I just didn't notice it. But then, another child began to cry in the distance, from somewhere else. And before I knew it, it wasn't one, two, or three crying sounds. It was a dozen, coming from all around me. And they were getting closer. This scared me so bad that I burst from my hiding spot and I looked around. Though the crying was extremely close, it seemed to be coming from nowhere and no one. I was alone, but I wasn't. As the crying got closer, I remember thinking I don't want to be there when the crying was right on top of me. So I ran. I ran straight in the opposite direction of that canopy cover thing I hid in. I ran for a long time, but I managed to find my way to a road, one that I vaguely recognized, and I was able to find my home from that road. As I couldn't reach my window from the outside like I thought I'd be able to, I had to crawl in through the front door from the doggy door, but my mom was still up. She caught me, and I got in big trouble. That's my little Lost in the Woods experience. It was creepy. I'm not sure exactly what I heard, but I remember after that having a strange fascination and fear of those woods. I still do, and I kind of want to experience something like that again, hoping that I might actually see where the noises are coming from. But who knows? I was 27 years old and living in the Midwest for work. I grew up on the West Coast, but I had to move away due to the lack of work available there. This happened back in 2008 when the economy was pretty bad. One day, I was checking out this hipster record store on my day off. They had a selection of random old coins. I bought about a dozen of them. And one of the most memorable coins was this old Nazi Germany coin. I was a history buff and an amateur coin collector. So when I saw that coin, I didn't think more than freaking cool. Don't get the idea that I'm some Nazi or something like that. I'm just a collector. Heck, I'm even Jewish on my mother's side. And I think that may be why this coin may have had a connection to me. One beyond just collecting. Anyway, when I got home from the store that day, I placed the coin in my lockbox with my other old coins that I've collected during my time here. And soon I forgot about it. Within two days from when I bought those coins, my roommate's two-year-old son had some weird reaction to who knows what and had to be rushed to the hospital because he collapsed and his breathing was shallow. Within a few hours, he was back to normal and the doctors were stumped as to what happened. The following week, my gallbladder ruptured and leaked bile all over my intestines. I had to have emergency surgery. They removed my gallbladder and eight inches of my intestines. It was bad. I've got a huge scar now across my stomach. After my surgery, I moved back to my parents to recover. Once there, I began having these reoccurring nightmares of this dark, shadowy man standing over me. It started with him peeking through my closet doors at me. Then he would come out of the closet moving a few feet closer to my bed, 
slowly. This went on for about two weeks, and during this time my dog would not stay in my room at night. He seemed scared of it. This was so weird to me, because he had always slept at the foot of my bed when I was there, for as long as I could remember. Then he started throwing up all the time, and licking all the hair off his legs and paws. We had to take the poor thing to the vet, and once again the professionals were stumped. They didn't know why he was doing that, and he seemed healthy otherwise. They told us he was stressed out about something, causing him to have a nervous tick or stressed reaction. Not long after that, my mom's cockatiel died, after pulling out most of his feathers. Another reaction to stress, we were told. After two weeks of these weird reoccurring dreams, I was lying in bed on my back one night, still trying to fall asleep, and suddenly... I felt a presence standing next to my bed. I don't know how to explain it. When I looked, I saw a man standing there, a large man, who seemed angry, though I could only tell that from his stance. For a moment, I thought it was my dad sleepwalking. He had never done that before, but what other explanation did I have? I tried to roll over on my side to face him and to ask him what he's doing, when I realized I was paralyzed. This scared the heck out of me. The next thing I knew, he was on top of me, sitting on my chest, with his hands wrapped around my throat. No matter how close I was to him, no matter how much my eyes were adapted to the dark, all I could see was a large black mass for his body. No features at all, just a vague human shape. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. Of course, I panicked. After nearly a minute of this, I could feel my chest beginning to hurt, burning from a lack of air. I was trying everything I could do to move and breathe, but I couldn't. Then all of a sudden, with the last bit of air I held inside, I yelled out, Jesus. I don't know why this came to me. Maybe I saw it in a movie. Or maybe the idea just randomly came to me. I've never been religious. I've never even been to a church. But I was desperate, and I thought I was going to die. I wasn't even sure if I could say it, because the grip around my throat was that tight. It was an extreme fight just to be able to say that word. But the moment the word came out, my attacker's hands flew off of my neck, and he disappeared right into thin air. After this episode, I did not sleep the rest of the night. The next morning, I told my parents about it. They were dumbfounded. They had never once experienced anything like that in that house. In fact, it wasn't until then that I noticed it all started when I got that Nazi coin. Later that day, I was going through my boxes for moving back since I was finally strong enough after my surgery. My mom was looking at the coins I brought back, and she noticed the Nazi coin. She chewed me out for having it. She was an old Jewish mom, and did not care about the history or value of the object. The fact that it was from Nazi Germany was plenty enough for her to be furious. Amidst her anger, it was that moment that it became clear to me. 
It was all because of that damn coin. All this bad luck. All from that little round piece of metal. Everything that had happened. My friend's kid being rushed to the hospital. My stomach being destroyed. My dog getting sick. The bird dying. The nightmares. The thing trying to kill me in my bed. It was all after I got that darn coin. Later that day, I took the coin to a pawn shop and sold it for nearly nothing. I never told them that it was cursed. I feel guilty about that, because when everything immediately went back to normal and everything was peaceful again, I knew that it was no coincidence. There's something wrong with that coin, and it's been eleven years now since I parted ways with it. Whoever has it now, I'm sorry. And good luck. The All-Seeing Eye From Isamid I'm a guy from Pakistan. My daily night ritual consists of me smoking a joint in my yard at 2 a.m. when my parents have gone to bed. It's my way of relaxing after the daily grind, and I look forward to it. Weed isn't that common here, so I smoke hash joints which are far more potent than weed buds. So after smoking up, I bent down to put it out, when I noticed a gleam among the dirt and grass. Upon further investigation, it turned out to be a strange coin in my yard. It was dark out, obviously, so I decided to go inside to check it out, to see it under some light. I pocketed the coin quickly which felt ice-cold to the touch, even though it was hot outside. My house has double doors like most houses do in Pakistan, as it gets really hot in the summers. The outer door is usually one with a mesh, and the one on the inside is usually a sturdier one. I would crack open the mesh door and sneak out as it creaks loudly if I open it all the way. So as I was making my way through the door... I hit my face on what seemed like a person in the doorway. I recoiled and nearly screamed, thinking it was my mom and I had been caught. The door gave a loud creak, the sort of creak that could wake up the dead. My face was hurting from running into something, but upon noticing that no one was in the doorway, I was confused, and I decided to quickly get inside before I did get caught. What in the world did I run into? I made my way into the house, locking the doors behind me. Where my face had run into something, my skin was burning. As soon as I made my way to my room, something felt even more wrong. I was very sleepy, and even though I wanted to go to the bathroom to check my face in the mirror, I was too overcome with exhaustion. I figured it was a good idea to just lie down. After all, I was supposed to be in bed, and if anyone was going to check on me after hearing that noise, I'd be in trouble if I wasn't in bed. So I just lay down, not even bothering to turn off the UV lights. My room has these black light UV LED light strips. I was really into the cool stoner, guitarist, hippie kind of flair. I laid down for a couple of minutes, trying to slow down my breathing. It finally did get under control, and I thought of getting up for a glass of water, 
That's when I found that I was not able to move at all. I couldn't even get my neck to budge. The only things that would move were my eyes. It was so strange. I'd lost all my sleepiness now, and apparently I'd also lost my motor functions. On top of that, I felt freezing cold, and I could see my own breath now. As I mentioned before, it was quite hot now. I should not be able to see my breath at all. It was physically impossible for our house to get that cold here. Due to me being a bit stoned, the first thing that came to mind was that I hit my head a little too hard and that I smoked a little bit too much. Maybe I had a concussion or something. I explained away everything to myself, and I began to over-explain it, making myself believe that I may have given myself permanent brain damage when I hit something on the way inside. Now I was freaking out thinking I'd ruined my life just to smoke a joint. As I lay there cursing myself and contemplating if I would survive until morning, I thought I heard a sound, one that sounded like a whisper. I quickly tried my best to ignore the sound, as I knew thinking that I heard a whisper would only make me more paranoid, and from the looks of it, I might have to lay like this for the next eight hours. I began to hear more noises, and they steadily freaked me out more and more. I swear I could hear a child crying. I kept trying and failing to ignore the sounds. I was beginning to think, this has to be the dumbest way of suffering. I still felt cold, which was good, I guess. That meant I still had my nerve endings transmitting coldness to my brain. I was about to look for more positives in the situation, when I noticed something in the corner of my room on the floor. At first, I thought it was a pile of clothes. I'm a pretty neat person, and I didn't recall having a pile of clothes in my floor, so it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't really be sure, though, as the lighting in my room wasn't very good for details. However, the thing that had caught my eye was the form in the floor that looked to be a small boy with his knees to his face. And thanks to the UV lights, his eyes seemed to glow and gleam. I was horrified. I tried to look at the details from the corner of my eye. My head was pounding from the impact earlier, and my eyes were strained to try to see who was in my room. It was definitely a kid in the fetal position. He was facing downward. My heart felt like it dropped in the pit of my stomach when I realized that the eyes I saw were on top of his head. The kid was bald, but something was wrong with him. It seemed like his skin was not reflecting light at all, and this bald, demonic kid wasn't wearing anything. Yet I couldn't see his skin, not a bit of it, just pitch black. I felt tears in my eyes welling up. When I finally blinked, the kid was gone. I thought maybe I had hallucinated him, so I sighed, but my relief was short-lived as I later noticed this demonic child crawling on the walls like it was no big deal. I couldn't scream. It felt like my lungs had no air in them at all. He crawled on the ceiling and on the wall where my bed was. He was right behind my head at one point, 
and I could feel something covering my eye. I later realized he had been licking my eyes. It was then that I passed out entirely. When I finally woke up, I heard a voice from the darkness. I do not remember the language it spoke, but it sounded like a voice that wanted me to know something. But I don't think I'll ever recall what that something was, though I do kind of remember the words, sight for a reward. My head was pounding, my ears ringing when I got up. I was groggier than ever. I picked up my phone to swipe the alarm to snooze. When I realized I was moving again, I felt such relief. I quickly went to the bathroom to look for a scar or injury on my head, but there wasn't any. My eye was red, though, where I'd been licked, and seemed a shade lighter. Or maybe I was just paranoid, and my blood was just finally getting back into my face. I was trying to convince myself that everything that had happened was just a bad nightmare. Then I remembered that weird coin I found outside. I quickly checked my pocket, and I didn't fill the coin. I scoured my bedsheet for the coin, and still nothing. I then realized I was late for my linear algebra class. I didn't even have time for a shower anymore. I dressed up and got to my class. As I entered the room, the classroom looked different, but I didn't have time to notice exactly how as we had a surprise quiz. I sat down with a sigh. I was going to fail this, I knew it. I sucked at math, and I'd managed to fail every single math subject my degree had. I'd barely managed to pass after some retries. While driving home after school, I realized why the coin was no longer in my pocket. When I woke up, I wasn't wearing the same trousers or shirt I'd been wearing the last night, so I found the trouser and shirt in the floor in the back seat. Inside the pocket of the trouser was the coin. The moment I touched it again, my entire body trembled and went freezing cold. I'm scared now. I don't know what this coin is or why it's affecting me like this. I'm open to suggestions, because I know of some stories where people try to get rid of cursed things, but they always come back. If you have any idea what I should do here, please let me know. The Metallica Tape From Grace T. A few years back, when I was fifteen... I just started buying cassette tapes to collect. I'm a huge Metallica fan, and I'd been looking for a Master of Puppets tape. I'd basically given up trying to get my hands on a Kill 'em All tape. I didn't trust eBay, and now that I think about it, I didn't trust buying anything used online. Luckily for me, there was a guy at my school who sold CDs, records, and cassettes named Dave. Dave was a bit of a sketchy guy, but at least I knew that if I got ripped off, I'd have an easier time getting my money back. I approached him one day and asked if he had a Master of Puppets cassette. As soon as I asked him that, he went white as a ghost. He looked sick almost. Dude, what's wrong with you? I asked him. 
He didn't say anything at first, just looked at me as if I'd said a forbidden name. A few seconds go by, and he grabs the tape from his locker, practically throwing it at me. He takes my ten bucks and speed walks away. I stood there dumbfounded. I looked at the box, and looked like a normal Master Puppets tape box. You know, with the graveyard's cross headstones and the hands in the dark red sky. Then came the moment of truth. The actual tape. I had to see if it was legit. I opened the box, and it looked fine enough. Now I needed to see if it actually worked. It wouldn't surprise me if I got home and it didn't play. As I put the cassette up, planning to play it at home that day, I suddenly felt nauseous. I had no idea why. I felt perfectly fine before. My instincts kept telling me to throw the tape in the trash and to just get one somewhere else, but I didn't. Ugh, I wish I did. Eventually, I was able to ignore the weird feeling. When I got home after school, I popped the tape into my cassette and pressed play. And nothing happened. I took the tape out and put it back in. Still nothing. I put the dang thing in six times altogether and nothing happened each time. At this point, I was getting irritated because I thought Dave had ripped me off. That would have explained his behavior when he gave it to me. I decided to give it one more try, and if it didn't work, I was going to confront him the next day. I put the tape in and pressed play once more. Nothing. Well then, I thought, Dave better not have spent my ten bucks. As soon as I reached out to turn it off and pull out the tape, a blood-curdling scream came spilling out of it. Unless James Hatfield had taken hormone pills to sound like a woman, I don't think that scream was coming from him. I mean that sound. My God, it sounded like the woman was being burned alive. I repeatedly pressed pause, but it wouldn't stop. This went on for about five minutes, and in that time frame, I kid you not, a light bulb a few feet away from me just popped glass shattering in the floor. After a few more minutes, the screaming stopped, but the tape didn't. It went straight into the song, Battery. Keep in mind that I've listened to this album numerous times, and while Battery is the first song played, there's absolutely no screaming whatsoever. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know whether to be scared of the screaming or the fact that my light bulb just exploded as a reaction. I grew a pair and played the tape again, but I could not get the screaming to return. Not until I just sat there and listened through the entire album, rewound it, and played it back. The screaming came again just like before, except this time, the entire house just went dark. Every light went off. By then, I was losing it, I knew I should have listened when that tape was giving me bad vibes, and by the way Dave had acted, he knew something was wrong with the tape, yet just gave it to me. I couldn't sleep well that night. I kept having nightmares of a woman screaming, and at a certain point I could have sworn I woke up, and the screaming was still there. Not only that, but it felt as if someone was in my room with me, 
Ugh, my skin crawls just thinking about it. The next day at school, I went to look for Dave, but he didn't show up. He didn't show up that week, nor that month. And to be completely honest, I never saw Dave again. I've no idea what the heck happened to him, why that tape is what it is. But I learned my lesson that day. Be careful what you buy, and who you buy it from. The Clock From Skaldren This happened to my parents, and it took place at my late grandparents' estate. My grandparents on my dad's side both died in the year 2011, from separate causes. My grandmother from cancer on Valentine's Day, and my grandfather died peacefully in his sleep almost a year after. That following Valentine's Day, my father got a weird feeling to go check on the house, and found that a frozen pipe had exploded, flooding the house in a few feet of water, destroying many of the items inside. This meant that the whole house had to be renovated, and all the items inside that escaped the water had to be removed. One cold winter day in 2013, my parents headed over to the house so they could pick up and choose what items to toss or keep. After a few hours of sitting, they finally came to the last item, a very old, small grandfather clock that had not worked once in the over 50 years it had been in that house. Should we take it or toss it? My mom asked, as she handed the clock to my father to examine. Eh, let's toss it, he said, after giving it a once-over. It's never worked, and my parents never mentioned it was special or anything. All right, well, my mother's reply was cut abruptly short by the sudden sound of a fast, soft tick, 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 tick. It was coming from the clock, and then it chimed, loudly, something I'd never seen it do, something my father said it had never done in the five decades it had been in that house. My parents both stood there motionless in absolute shock. The clock continued to tick and chime, like it had just been finished in a factory. After about a minute of shocked silence between them, my father looked at my mother and simply said, Guess we're taking it. And she quickly agreed. They packed up the rest of the things they wanted to bring home. The whole time, the old clock continued to tick and even chimed again as if to prove to them that this ancient relic had truly sprung back to life. Finally, with everything packed, they loaded the still-ticking clock into the car, and as soon as my dad placed it in the trunk, it stopped. The clock went completely silent, not making a sound as they drove back home. In fact, it hasn't made a sound since that day, and now sits silently in our living room. All these years later. Now you may think this was just a coincidence. Maybe the batteries had just a little bit of juice left in them, and moving the clock around brought it back for a moment. But when my dad opened the back of the clock, etched on the inside were the letters I.S., my grandfather's initials. It was his clock, and my dad is sure that he wanted him to have it. The clock sits nearest the corner by the stairs. We had a plumber come over once, but he left horrified one day, claiming that as he went down the stairs, 
someone grabbed him by the shoulder. When he turned around, no one was there, but the clock was ticking. We couldn't get that plumber back to the house no matter how much we tried. We no longer own the house, and my dad has told me the story a few times, every time ending by saying that he never believed in ghosts or anything paranormal before that day, and that he was happy to have a sign that something exists beyond this life. After each telling, I always go over to the ancient grandfather clock in my living room and stare at it, waiting to hear if it will start ticking again. Cursed items aren't just your sister's weird Barbie doll with half its face melted, or that super creepy sculpture your demented aunt made that you totally don't want to trash because it gives you nightmares. Nah, cursed objects are items that have a spirit attached, and nothing but nightmares and torment come from them. Can you believe there are people out there that want to buy these kinds of items? And I totally don't have a pile of them in the corner right now. Weird. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. Check the links below for a link to share your story with us, a link to donate to our Patreon, and a link to check out our merch store. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about six creepy sightings of unexplained monsters. Sir Lucas says, Once I saw someone get meatballs on flatbread at Subway. Ew. I guess some people just don't love themselves. Dubco says, My son named his Roblox character after you. Rocking it. I can't believe how flattered I am hearing that. Give your son a mega oof for me. Banana Mukbang says, Story Zero. Me at 3am in the kitchen and my briefs gobbling shredded cheese. I don't know about you guys, but shredded cheese tastes best. I mean, if you get it in a block, it just doesn't taste the same. Isaiah Wilson says, Hello, Mr. Darkness. A video on strange creatures sighted here in East Tennessee would be a mighty addition. That's awfully a specific place, but maybe East Tennessee does have quite a few monsters. Baby Girl Girl says, I live in Alaska, so whenever I'm out in the wilderness, I'm glad I have your stories to prepare myself, just in case anything strange happens. If my videos have taught you guys anything is that if you have to go out in the wilderness, don't do it alone, and don't do it without the biggest caliber weapon you can find. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome people. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Elephant-like monsters, gnomes, and western boogeymen. Today I've got some allegedly true scary stories featuring mythical creatures. These are monsters thought to be legend. Monsters that aren't supposed to exist. But here we are, with everyday people like you and me, sighting these beasts and suffering sleepless nights after the encounters. Enjoy these stories 
and be sure to share your own with us at darkstories.org. My Friend's Backyard from Yummy Tide Pods This started on a Friday when I was riding the bus home from school with a friend of mine. It was my first time staying the night at this friend's house. I was really excited because I'd never stayed the night at his house before. In fact, I'd never stayed the night with anyone before. Now, before I get started, let me tell you about my friend. She's really into creepy stuff, like the occult and supernatural. She wasn't afraid of them, though. She had a passion and interest for them. On the other hand, I was terrified. She knew how scared I was of things like this, so she would never make me go out at night with her. Eventually, the bus skidded to a halt in front of her pink-bricked house. We hopped off and walked to the front door. It was locked, so she called her roommate. You at the house? she asked, taking off her NASA backpack and tossing it in the fold-out chair on the porch. I did the same. All right, she said, hanging up the phone. We'll have to wait, she said, putting her phone in her pocket. You want to hike in the woods for a while? She asked, gesturing at the large area full of trees behind her house. I nodded, and we walked into the forest. We had decided to play hide-and-seek, and she began to count. Even though it was broad daylight, I was kind of creeped out, so I stayed towards the front of the wooded area where the trees weren't so thick. But she found me within seconds. I groaned as she ran off to hide, and I began to count. I hid my face in my hands, the backs of them pressed against a large, old tree. It was completely quiet, except for the wind blowing through the canopy, making creaking sounds like an old house would. Once I was finished, I started to go deeper into the woods, jumping over creeks with shallow water. V, where are you? I started to shout her name, wandering around the woods. The deeper I went, the more creeped out I got. I did not enjoy walking alone in these thick woods. Oddly enough, I did get a reply from her. This way. Obviously, I began to move towards the voice, and every time I'd drift in the wrong direction, it would come again. This way. After a few minutes of this warmer, colder game, I soon heard her coming from behind a tree. I smirked. I knew she wasn't going to make it this easy. If I knew her, she would be planning to jump out from behind the tree to scare me. Instead, I would try to get the jump on her. I tiptoed as quietly as possible, making my way around the other side of the tree, the side I figured she wouldn't expect me on. I got lucky, because I did manage to sneak up on her. But when I made it around the tree and saw the figure's back, it wasn't my friend. This way. It continued to say in my friend's voice. It leaned out on the other side of the tree, looking for me, trying to see if I was coming in its direction. I was so horrified that I stopped breathing. 
If I choked up, if I made a sound, if I uttered anything, I was so close that this thing would see me. I'll try to describe it as best I can. It was tall and lanky, struggling to conceal its entire self behind the tree. Its skin was hanging off the bones, and it had hardly any muscle to it, and I believe it had horns on its head. As I gazed at it, hoping that it wouldn't turn around, I silently began to cry. Then I gulped, took a deep breath, then all in one instant, I turned on my heel, and I ran for my life, all the while calling out V's name. But I couldn't find her, and I became lost. I ran faster, though, knowing that if it was chasing me, then I could not afford to stop. Soon, I found myself in a large clearing, two sides guarded by a fence, and the other two by trees. V found her way to me, asking what was wrong. I told her that she had scared me, because I couldn't find her. I hugged her, making the lie more convincing, and she pushed me off like she always did. We talked for a while, heading back to the house, as it was beginning to get dark. The remainder of my stay there, I did everything in my power to avoid going back in the woods. That night, we were lying down in her queen-sized bed. She was pressed up against the wall. I was on the edge of the bed. I glanced at her window at one point, as I was drifting off to sleep. I saw it again. It was trying to crouch itself behind some bushes, but it was too tall to hide its full body. It was very obvious, and I could tell that it was facing the window. Whether it was just watching us or waiting, I don't know. Despite my fright, I eventually fell asleep, and my slumber was full of nightmares. Gnome Sightings From Mikael For the most part, the legends about fairies, gnomes, and elves that more recent generations grew up with paint these creatures as being mischievous, friendly, and often even cuddly creatures. Other more mature stories describe them as regal beings, with ethereal qualities. However, I believe the true nature of them is far from the quirky pixies or majestic tall elves of pop culture. I confess that I don't actually know what I saw, but I kind of convinced myself that it's pretty dang close to what I would expect a gnome to look like in real life if it were stripped of its anthropomorphic qualities and you were left with only a very organic, animal-like appearance. My first experience with what I believe was some sort of gnome-like being was in early 2013. I was staying at a cabin deep in the woods of upstate New York in early autumn with some friends. We were all around 13 to 16 at the time. We were no longer impressed or influenced by childhood stories or magical beings. As I was helping my friend's sister wash the dishes after dinner, I happened to look out the window, which was directly in front of the sink. It happened quickly, 
and maybe it was just my imagination playing tricks on me, but I could swear that after looking up and into the nearby tree line, I could make out two small, beady objects, reflecting a greenish-yellow light through the bushes. The first thing that came to mind was a raccoon or a possum. That would explain the short height and positioning of the eyes, though I felt like there was something wrong about that assumption. Something about the way the two objects shifted and blinked seemed wrong. It was a chilling sight. I stopped what I was doing, still holding on to a damp plate. I reached over to the light switch which controlled the back porch's light. I flipped it, which bathed the porch and a portion of the woods in a warm glow. In a split second, the body which harbored the two glowing eyes was revealed before the thing quickly scurried out of sight. The revelation startled me and caused me to drop the plate, which shattered and cut my knee. The creature was so fast that I hardly had time to process what I saw. The bloody knee also did little to help my mind compose itself. The few details I did make out were enough to give me shivers later on, as I discreetly described the event to a friend as we were settling in to sleep for the night. I told him about the pale, greenish skin, which apparently draped over the creature's distorted frame, which had several distinct jagged arches along its back and shoulders as it crouched in those bushes. It had disproportionately long arms, though they almost seamlessly blended into the surrounding branches. Its face was by far the most disturbing and noticeable quality. The small, bald head had long wisps of whisker-like hairs protruding from just below its eyes, which were small and deeply sunken into bony sockets. The mouth, small and lipless, was slightly open, as if it were intrigued. I didn't see much more in terms of details, with the light the way it was, not to mention it was quite a distance away. My friend and I just shook it off as some mangy, deformed woodland critter. That was a much more comforting thought at the time. The second time I saw something which looked like the cabin's gnome was only a few months ago. It was around 10.40 p.m., and I was in a bus downtown, returning home from a trip. I looked out the window at one point, as I often do in bus rides and I noticed something disturbingly familiar hiding behind some trash cans. This time, though, there was a streetlight directly above it, which completely illuminated its ugly, small body as the thing violently tore into a discarded burger. It was like a small, emaciated rabbit or kangaroo with an arched, almost hunched back and long, bent-back legs. There was no visible tail, and its upper back and shoulders were distinctly bulbous, with a small head and an ugly humanoid face. Its long, stick-like arms ended in bony, sharp fingers. The scene was very reminiscent of a sewer rat eating trash in the way it crouched and twitched. Its face had a much more menacing and aggressive quality to it compared to the one I saw in 2013, and it had an overall sickly look to it. Needless to say, I was deeply disturbed, and I'm still not entirely sure what exactly that and the other creature were.
But if I had to guess, I'd say those old-world legends of the hidden folk have a much less magical aesthetic than Disney or Hollywood would have you believe. The Western Skinwalker from Chris K. My family and I had recently moved from Vermont a few years ago to Baltimore, Maryland, where my father had gotten a job at the Annapolis Naval Academy as an instructor. I was 18 years old at the time, and my older brother Jeremy, at 21 years of age, was following in my father's footsteps. He was double majoring in physics and nuclear engineering at the Naval Academy. He was a hard-working, driven, and passionate individual with great aspirations in life, future totally planned out, and ready to take on the world. I, on the other hand, was quite the opposite. I was never focused in school, as I was far too busy playing video games and going to the arcade every weekend, instead of doing my homework or working on any long-term projects. I graduated high school with subpar grades and a bad transcript, meaning that my opportunities for college were very limited. I desperately wanted to take a gap year to get away from the stresses of school and my parents. You can imagine how disapproving they must have been to hear that. However, my plans to take a year off were shortly interrupted by a family trip to see some distant relatives which I was required to go on. My aunt and uncle owned a ranch just a few miles west of Salt Lake City, Utah. The ranch was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We had to drive about an hour and a half off the main road onto some old dirt road to actually get there. The surrounding land was for the most part relatively flat, with a few small ravines and hills here and there. Otherwise, you can see for miles, especially on a sunny day. The ground was all red sand, with a few small patches of grass, bushes, and tumbleweeds. It was really dry out there, so there weren't any tall trees like in Maryland or Vermont. The ranch itself set upon a small hill with a dirt driveway out in front that led to a parking lot off to the side. There wasn't a garage, so that's how they made do. After dinner that night, we all went into the living room to play some games on the Xbox. Like me, James was really into video games, so he had quite the collection of games we could play. Our aunt was very strict on TV hours, so we had to turn off the video games at 9 o'clock every night. In addition, we had a curfew where we had to be inside at 8 o'clock before dark. That night it began to rain hard, so we didn't even want to go outside that day anyway. The day after, our uncle and father took the boys out shooting while the girls stayed home. My father had brought his AR-15 and Glock for us to practice with on this occasion. Jeremy and my father, of course, with military training, were nailing every target they shot at. They taught me to shoot a few times, so I wasn't too rusty. After a long day of that, and driving around to my uncle's jeep, we made our way back to the ranch for supper. When we finished, as usual, we all went into the living room to play on the Xbox before bedtime. Our favorite game back then was Mortal Kombat 10, which I was particularly good at, as I had so much more experience playing it at home and at the arcade. 
At about nine that night, my brother Jeremy went upstairs to go to bed, while the rest of us stayed downstairs. Ah, crap, Henry exclaimed. What's wrong? I asked. I just realized I forgot the ammunition bag at the shooting range, he answered. That's all right, dude. We can go down and get it tomorrow, I replied. No, we can't, he said. If we leave it out overnight, it's going to get stolen or rummaged through by some animal. I was supposed to bring it back after we went shooting today. If Dad finds out, he's gonna flip. That stuff is expensive. Well, we're not allowed to go outside past eight, I replied. Ah, it'll be quick. No longer than ten minutes, he insisted. Trust me, it'll be fine. We'll bring some flashlights, and if it makes you feel better, I'll bring the hunting rifle. Reluctantly, I relented. Fine, I said. Sweet. Ten minutes, and if we can't find it, we'll just have to get it in the morning. James and I went to our rooms to get a pair of flashlights, while Henry went to get my uncle's hunting rifle and a few rounds, just in case a mountain lion or something got too close. We met up just outside the front door with our equipment, along with some jackets, as it could get really cold out here at night. The shooting range really wasn't that far away, maybe a five-minute drive there and back on my uncle's jeep. But since we couldn't make too much noise, it wasn't an option to drive, so we had to walk. As we got closer to the shooting range, Henry took us on a shortcut through a long, rocky ravine that would get us there about a minute earlier. It was filled with a multitude of jagged rocks that came out of the ground at funny angles, so I had to be extra careful as to not twist my ankle. Some rocks stood about eight feet in the air like an arrowhead coming out of the ground, so we couldn't see exactly what was on the other side of the ravine. Luckily, though, Henry had been through this path many times, so he knew it well. As we made our way carefully down the ravine, I couldn't help but notice a foul stench in the air. Ah, oh, dude, smells like dead animal over here. I covered my nose, shining the flashlight around with my other hand. That's when we came across a deer carcass, lying next to a tall rock about ten yards to the left. I took quick notice to the claw marks on its sides, which I figured must have been the cause of death, of course. Probably a mountain lion or a pack of coyotes, if I had to guess. Upon closer examination, I noticed that the claw marks had some precision to them, the cuts seemingly made slowly over the most efficient areas to make the kill. It was suspicious, to say the least, but we needed to keep going if we were going to make it back to the house before anyone noticed we were gone. The shooting range wasn't quite what you'd expect to see, there weren't any round paper targets set up anywhere, other than a few beaten-up tin cans we had brought from the ranch. There were no designated boxes or lanes, just a wide-open field with some dirt mounds behind the tin cans, to prevent any rounds from going past the targets and going stray. Henry walked over to the other side where he'd left the bag, and thankfully it was right there. All right, we got it. Let's get going before anyone knows we're gone, I said. As we got back on the path to the house, we went through that rocky ravine again, but something was different. 
that god-awful smell of rotting and decomposing flesh was more noticeable and more agonizing to pay attention to than before. It was several times stronger than it had been. I plugged my nose again, but I swear I could taste it. I figured it must have been that deer carcass, but as we walked through the area again, there were now six or seven more of them. I was stunned, and so was Henry. Each of them looked fresh, as if they were only a few minutes old. Whatever was responsible for this was obviously quick and deadly efficient in dealing with its prey. It had only taken us three minutes to get through the ravine and get the ammo back, and in that time, at the very least, it had dragged a half a dozen more of these deer into its little mound of death, and we never even heard it. I'm coming, Mom. We suddenly heard James say, Man, what are you talking about? Henry asked. My mom. She's calling out to me, James explained. Looking in a random direction, probably where he thought he heard this voice. Dude, there's no one there. We haven't heard anything, I said. Don't be silly. She says she's got breakfast ready, James smiled. He looked hypnotized. I had no idea what was going on with them. I certainly hadn't heard my aunt's voice, his mom's. And Henry shook his head when I looked at him, implying that he hadn't heard it either. I grabbed James by the shoulder and shook him. James, your mom's not out here. Breakfast isn't for another twelve hours or so. His expression immediately changed. He seemed scared now. You're right, he said. I don't know what came over me. Immediately, there was a snap from a nearby boulder. Henry loaded and cocked the rifle, pointing it to where the sound came from. The boulder was about eight feet tall, so we couldn't see behind it. As curious as I was to find out who or what it was, part of me, out of sheer terror, didn't want to know. Personally, I did not want to be added to the mound of carcasses here. But as I tried to continue down the path back home, there was a shrill cry, and we all froze. And while I was afraid, I wasn't petrified, not from the fear. I literally could not will myself to move, as if some external force had been applied to my whole being. I knew deep down, whatever that thing was, it was watching us that very moment. All my senses went into overdrive. I could hear everything, Henry and James's breathing. The stench of rot became ten times worse, but I could smell another foul odor, one that belonged to something still alive, and it was coming from beyond the boulder. Then it showed itself to us, stepping out from behind the rocks to reveal itself, and all at once, we all unfroze, but now I was truly petrified. I actually thought it was another deer, injured or maimed from the thing that had been hunting these. But then I noticed its movement was deliberate. It wasn't injured at all, and it wasn't a deer either. Deer don't have sharp teeth to tear through meat with. This thing certainly did, 
Its snout resembled a coyote's rather than a deer's, yet it had antlers like one. Its legs were long and muscular, and it was covered with brown, patchy fur. Its front legs ended in a weird and creepy mix between hands, claws, and hooves. It's hard to explain, but they looked deadly. All of a sudden, Henry yelled like a madman from behind me as he fired around into the creature's abdomen. But the thing didn't even flinch, as if it had no way to sense pain. We all broke into a run, but I heard Henry fire one more time, then suddenly scream out. Help! Don't leave me here! But I just kept going. James and I made it back to the house, locking every door and window we could find. Henry hadn't come back yet, but I kept a close eye out for him through the windows. It wasn't long before I crumpled to the floor with a feeling of guilt for leaving him out there. But when he came banging at the door, I let him in in a heartbeat. He looked disappointed and horrified, and he had a cut on his shoulder. He didn't talk. Together, we simply hid under the window seals and prayed that the thing had not followed us. We made it through the night without any more trouble, but Henry didn't talk for the rest of our stay there. I don't think he's ever forgiven me. Wendigo in the Mountains From Mothra These encounters took place in the southeast of Pennsylvania, near the town of Saltillo and Three Springs, mostly unknown towns up in the mountains. The first story came in the year of 2007, when I was 15. It was the summertime. I was with my two little brothers, who were five and seven at the time. We were having a small campout slash sleepover at our family friend's trailer with their three kids, Harley, Casey, and Billy. The weekend was fun as we country brats had fun riding on three-wheelers, going swimming, watching movies, and of course, camping outside. We separated the tents by gender. On the last night of our camping weekend, we were all heading to bed. The night was cold, even in the summer, because of the mountain air, but inside the tents were quite warm, thanks to sleeping bags and body heat. As everyone was heading off to go to sleep, the moment my head hit the pillow, all of us heard a woman's scream. All of us older kids rose up from our bags and opened the tents to look at each other, asking if we'd heard that. I asked if it could have been a mountain lion. Up here in Pennsylvania, you get them rarely, and I've heard their cries can sound like women. At the very least, maybe it was an owl. Our group was confused and a bit creeped out, we decided to stay up and sit quietly, waiting for any other sounds. After a long time of silence, I suggested that we should go back to the trailer to be safe. But Billy, the oldest one of our group, said we should stay put. But then another scream came, and everyone agreed that we should go back to the trailer. While we made a hesitant and long walk back, we kept our eyes on the wheat field where the sound had come from. This wheat field is quite huge, at least a half a mile long, 
That's pretty big in my opinion. The only source of light we had was the moon above us, but it was plenty for us to see a tall black figure smack in the middle of that wheat field. A figure too tall to be a normal person. It was all frail, too, like a way too tall stick figure come to life. Regardless of what that thing was, we knew we had to make it back to the trailer. As we left, I scooped up one of the kids in my arms, the youngest, and I carried them all the way back to the trailer. Luckily, we made it there without a problem. Once inside, we tried to calm ourselves down by turning on the TV, but the screaming continued on and on. That thing in the middle of the field just wouldn't shut up. By morning, none of us had really slept. Casey and Billy's parents came home along with our parents, and we each told our separate family our story, yet not a one put any weight into it. Back then, I didn't know what that thing was that we saw. But later on, I would come to think of it as the Wendigo. I'd heard stories before, and I'd seen some pictures online, and it made sense, even if it was a mythical creature. Years later in 2019, I unfortunately heard it again. It was a Saturday night, and I was walking my dog Baker in my old hometown, as the poor thing had to use the bathroom. This was normal for me, and comforting, as I knew the town of Saltillo like the back of my hand. I walked him down the village's post office. Suddenly, the old World War II air siren went off, which we used as our fire alarm to alert the town of fire. The usual sound of silence of animals besides the crickets hung in the air, as the sound of the faraway siren soon died away. It didn't fail to make my skin crawl, and that's because the sound had not come from the fire alarm. Instead, it came from the opposite direction, in the middle of the woods. Whatever made that sound was simply mimicking the siren it had heard before. My gut told me to get away from the area as fast as possible, and to get back home. There's a Wendigo in southeast Pennsylvania, and if you're out there, I would get out as soon as possible. Elephant Abomination from T. John Day 2-1 You can call me Sit Natua. Ever since I was young, I've always been a bit lonesome, a bit of a strange kid, always been afraid of the dark, too. At the age of six, when my mother started abusing both me and my brother, these quirks of mine began to manifest. I remember being scared every night in my old room, because not only was it an utterly eerie place with a cold vibe to it, but I was always afraid my mom could get mad again at any moment. One night, I happened to ask my mom to keep the lights on in the room when we went to bed. She said no, so I sat there in an uncomfortable position in my bed with my little brother beside me. We shared the same bed, which I hated because he peed the bed every night. I glanced at the closet door one night, trying to go to sleep, when I saw the closet door slowly opening. I remember being awake completely lucid. 
I thought I was going to soil myself. I was so scared. I tried waking up my brother by shaking him and calling his name, but he wouldn't budge, and I was too scared to be too loud because of what might lie within the closet. I didn't want to take my attention off the door. So I got up, and I began to walk closer to the closet. Funny that I wasn't brave enough to shout, but I was brave enough to get up and see what was going on and to close the door. But when I came within a meter of the closet, I could see what was inside, and there I saw the most horrifying, nonsensical creature I could have ever imagined. It was a demonic-looking thing that resembled an elephant. When it growled and glared at me, I thought my heart was going to stop right there. The thing was huge, like Dumbo on steroids, barely fitting into the closet. It had multiple trunks, too, that vibrated as it growled. I screamed so loud, I swear I could have woke the heavens. I slammed the door and ran right to my mother's room to wake her up and to tell her, but I was so terrified that I could only stutter every word. Instead, I simply led her to the door. I opened it, and of course, the creature had disappeared. My mom was pissed. I woke her up in the middle of the night when she had work in the morning. Luckily, she was just tired and simply told me to get back in bed. I did. All the while, my little brother was confused as my scream had awakened him. Under the covers, I was shaking, and I stared at the closet, just waiting for it to open again. Ever since this incident, I've always been afraid of leaving my closet door open even a little bit at night, and when I'm alone, I'll avoid it as much as possible. Do you think mythical creatures are just our way of explaining things we don't understand? Or are they actual amalgamations of literal creature sightings that our kind just can't make sense of? Sometimes I lean toward the latter, because nature be crazy, yo. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. Check the links in the description to send in your story for narration, to donate to my Patreon, or to shop on our merch store. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode about cursed objects. Chase says, Oh, lordy, I'm early for this one. How's it going, DP? Pretty good. Found a new, smaller, but cheaper house to move into, and I'm looking forward to that. And Halloween's coming up, and everyone knows that's the best time of year for anything. Diddly Dank Mean says, That OBJ file in my PC is cursed. I don't... I don't get it. If I look up OBJ, am I going to see something gross? Saws says, poop. Classy. Colton Talks A Lot says, bruh, my sock stands up by itself. That's disgusting, and also a wee bit impressive. Keep it up, Colton. And Finn Bauer says, it's all fun and games until the power goes out and the doll starts dancing. Reminds me of the game Emily wants to play, which is awesome, because my wife's name is Emily, and that Emily wants to play Borderlands 3. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode, but don't you worry, because more scary stories are on the way. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing Bad A patrons. Remember, stay safe out there, 
and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. There ain't nothing quite like licking a good window. Except maybe stealing someone's skin and pretending to be some dude's girlfriend in the middle of the woods. Yeah, we have some very interesting, allegedly true, scary stories ready for you today. Prepare for perturbing discoveries, hungry monsters, and spirits who are a bit too playful. If you have a story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. Now, let's begin. Window Liquor from Blue Gods 92 This is the most bizarre and confusing experience I've ever had. I still feel my skin crawl as I type this out. Just so you know a little bit about me, I'm a big guy. Tall, wide, a bit of a country boy. I grew up with train tracks and cows. To put it simply, I don't scare easily, and I've been known to put up a heck of a fight. But when your opposition isn't normal, there's only so much you can do. Now, my longtime partner and I finally got our own apartment together. It's been a long time coming, but we were both so glad when it finally happened. For the sake of the story, I'll refer to my partner as M. Now, when he showed me the place, I was a little skeptical. It was a cheap, very charming, and very small place. It was a loft-style kind of place, too. So there was only one inside door, and that's to the bathroom downstairs. Immediately to the left, after walking through the front door, there's a staircase that goes up to an open sleeping area. To the right of the front door, there's the living room, and where the only window in the whole place is located. It's a very large window, about five feet wide and nearly floor-to-ceiling in height. So this is where my story begins. One morning I woke up to an empty apartment. M had left before me to go shopping, and he left a note stating that he would be gone for a while. I got in a good stretch and popped my neck. I decided I was hungry, so I descended the stairs to rummage for some cereal or something. I chose my breakfast and sat on the couch, quietly eating and flipping through channels, when I just so happened to look out the window. I saw it right there. This thing in my window was otherworldly. It had skin darker than night and it had massive hands, like the thing could palm a freaking beach ball if it wanted to. Its long, thin fingers spread out on either side of its shoulders, sticking to the window like some kind of demonic lizard. Its lower half was even weirder. It didn't have legs, but where I'm assuming its waist was located kind of just tapered off into a tail that reminded me of a scorpion, without the stinger. But then I noticed something else. Its tongue. It stretched out all the way to the bottom of the window, 
pressed against the glass in an obscene way. It looked like it was frozen, caught in the middle of dragging that long, slimy tongue up the glass. I saw it as it was licking my window. Instantly, my body felt like pins and needles as I followed the length of its tongue up to its face. I wish I hadn't. Its head was nearly to the top of the window, meaning its nasty tongue had to be at least six feet long. As I examine its features more closely, I feel a strange pull on my body. Its face looked human-ish, but off. It was like the entirety of the thing's face was made up of half-mouth and half-eyes. The mouth was wide, literally stretching from ear to ear, and full of small, human-like teeth. It had a barely visible slit of a nose, and its eyes... They were nothing cliché, like glowing red or solid black or empty sockets, though I wish it was that simple. Its eyes were beautiful, constantly shifting between colors so vibrant, I can hardly begin to describe them. It was like looking into an otherworldly kaleidoscope. Before I realized what I was doing, I was already halfway across the room making my way towards the thing licking my window. The thing seemed to be trembling, probably in excitement or anticipation, as its prey came closer to it. Its smile grew impossibly wide. Its tongue continued to slide further up the glass. I could feel tears welling up in my eyes every step I took closer. I wanted to let it in. I wanted it to be inside with me, or me outside with it. I wanted to be as close to it as possible. I didn't know why. Right as my trembling fingers reached for the window lock, the front door opened. M had returned home with arms full of grocery bags. He stood there looking at me, and I looked at him. What are you doing, babe? He asked me as he went to put some stuff on the counter. Had he not seen that nightmarish thing? I cut my eyes back to the window, and it was gone. I shook my head and cleared my throat and said, Nothing, babe. I started to help him put stuff away. I decided against trying to explain what I witnessed to him, for fear of sounding like a total lunatic. This happened a few months ago, and all this time, I still have no idea if what I witnessed was real. Was it a dream, a hallucination, or something else? But what terrifies me most, is every once in a while, I'll catch myself looking through the window, and for reasons I cannot know, or maybe will never be able to explain, I want it to come back. I... I miss it. Camping with Anna From Anonymous I experienced something in the summer of 2013 that still haunts me and continues to make me question my sanity. My girlfriend Anna and I had decided to go camping as a last farewell to summer and to get some alone time 
She'd be going back to college soon after, and I wouldn't see her as often. We'd been together for over two years then, and I was completely head over heels for her. I was even thinking about asking her the question. So on a weekend in early August, I packed up my camping gear, driving 45 minutes away to the park we often frequented. It was a nice park, thick with trees and wildlife, along with a small creek running through it. We knew the area well, since my friends and family had camped there since childhood. I sent a text to Lana after parking my car, letting her know that I'd made it, and I'd set up camp in our favorite spot. You see, Anna had been caring for her sick grandmother all summer, and her sister had finally agreed to watch her so that Anna could get away for a while. But she had to wait for her sister to get off work, around 5 p.m., to relieve her. To save time, I'd volunteered to go ahead and set things up. I trekked up the trail a bit, until I found the spot we always camped at. It was nice and level, and was right beside the creek. I immediately started setting up the tent. I wanted to get everything done fast, so Anna didn't have to help. Forty minutes later... I had it all set up. The tent, the sleeping bags, a little fire. Everything was organized and cozy. My phone suddenly buzzed. It was a text from Anna. I have something to tell you, it read. Just as I began to text her back, I heard footsteps coming down the path. My body tensed up a bit, because you can never tell what kind of people you might run into out here. We had, on a number of occasions, met with a few drunks and the occasional rowdy teenager out here, but I soon relaxed as I saw Anna step out from behind the trees with a big grin on her face. I walked up and hugged her, scooping her up off the ground a bit to make her giggle. I set her back down and asked her what she had wanted to tell me. I love you, was the reply I got from her as she planted a kiss on my cheek. Her voice, though... It sounded different, and her lips were chillingly cold. I asked her if she felt sick. She simply shrugged off the question and went to check out our campsite. I gave her a brief tour before I set about cooking the dinner. I made us each one of those prepackaged camping meals that you add hot water to. It was pasta alfredo, and I opened a bottle of red wine to go with it. We sat around the fire, eating, while I tried my best to entertain her with some funny stories. The sun was setting, and I was having a great time. I watched the shadows dance off of her and the surrounding trees. I listened to the gentle motion of the nearby creek. The daylight was almost gone when she said she was cold. I mentioned she could go in the tent to warm up while I cleaned up from dinner. She made her way inside but not before giving me a smile and another freezing cold kiss. I was starting to get worried about her. I wondered if she was getting sick, but I didn't want to nag her, so I didn't say anything. I busied myself with cleaning up our dinner, and it was then that I found Anna's plate of food that she had set off to the side on the ground. She hadn't even touched it. I also found her glass of wine nearby, tipped out onto the grass, this wasn't like her at all. That girl loved food, and that particular wine was her favorite. At this point, I was more than a little worried, so I headed into the tent to ask her if she was feeling sick 
and to suggest that we pack up and get a motel for the night. But when I unzipped the tent and crawled in, I found her sound asleep in her sleeping bag. I contemplated waking her up so we could leave, but she looked so relaxed that I decided against it. I went back outside and finished cleaning up camp, putting out the fire before I laid down next to her in my own sleeping bag. I had had a bit too much wine, and I fell asleep quickly. Morning came soon enough and filled the tent with a soft glow as I listened to the birds singing outside. Anna was still sound asleep, so I decided to get up and start some breakfast. Fifteen minutes later, I was admiring the meal I made. Well, as much as one can admire slightly runny scrambled eggs from a pouch. I poked my head back into the tent to tell Anna that breakfast was ready. But that's when things got even weirder. Anna wasn't there. I didn't think it was likely that she could have left the tent without me seeing her. But maybe she had done so while my back was turned. I waited for a bit, figuring she stepped out when nature called. About fifteen minutes passed, and I was starting to get worried. I walked to the edge of the campsite and called out for her, but there was no response. I walked to the trail and called out her name as I walked up and down the path each way, but still nothing. I went back to the campsite and checked the tent, but it was still empty. I searched for her belongings, but that's when I realized she hadn't brought a thing with her. I couldn't even remember her checking her phone last night, which she was in the habit of doing. She always checked her phone, always brought it with her in case her grandma needed her. That's when I grabbed my phone and decided to text her. I didn't have any signal, so I walked back up the trail a bit to the truck, where I knew the signal was good. That's when the text messages started flooding my screen. All of them were from Anna. My hands began to tremble as I read. I have something to tell you. That was the text I saw earlier. I went on. It's bad news. My grandma just passed away. Are you there? Can you meet me at grandma's when you can? I can't go camping tonight, I'm sorry. We should reschedule. Where are you? Fine, I'll be at my sister's house for the night. Call me when you can. My hands were shaking so violently that I dropped my phone. My mind reeled so fast that I had to fight to not pass out. I ran back to the campsite and searched it, but there was no evidence of Anna or anyone else being there. I checked the tent to look at her sleeping bag that had clearly been used last night. I even checked the garbage bag to confirm that there were, in fact, two plates from dinner last night, one with food still on it. I ran back to the truck and sent Anna a text, because I didn't trust my voice not to tremble if I called her. I told her I got really sick last night and couldn't text her back. I apologized profusely and offered my condolences about the passing of her grandma. She texted me back letting me know she was okay and that I would see her later today. I walked back to camp in a daze. My mind seemed to want to shut down. It couldn't process what had happened. At first, I thought I was going crazy. I thought I'd had a breakdown and imagined everything. 
but the used sleeping bag and uneaten dinner told me differently. Who or what kept me company last night? Who or what could look just like Anna, but not be her? Had it been a ghost? A doppelganger? A shapeshifter of some kind? Was all of it just a sick joke? I packed up camp with difficulty. My stomach was in knots and my muscles were weak. I felt like I was going to get sick at any moment. I made it home and sent a text to Anna. I said I was still sick and didn't want to make her sick. I saw her next in the day of her grandma's funeral, where I easily passed off my residual anxiety about the whole ordeal as grief and sympathy. As I said at the beginning, I haven't told this story to anyone. Anna and I are now happily married and I still haven't even told her. We don't go camping in those woods anymore. We found a much nicer, hopefully safer, spot. I look back on that night often. I replay all the scenes in my head, trying to find hints that will lead me to an explanation. But I haven't figured out anything. I still only know one thing. I spent the night with someone or something that wasn't my girlfriend. Mr. Shadow from Heather L.M. I was six years old, living in Montana, in a sizable house. I had a bedroom I shared with my older sister and brother, and my twin sister. I stuck close to my siblings because I was always afraid to be alone. One day, my parents moved my guardians out of my room, so I was to sleep alone. I was horrified that night crying constantly. It was like all the darkness was after me. So, to appease me at least a little bit, my parents turned off the light but kept the door open slightly. I laid there quiet, but still scared. Everything around me was like endless darkness. I could hear my sister snoring like she always did. And this put me at peace a little bit, until I noticed something in the room. I was horrified to see what appeared to be a person. I looked directly at it. It was all black, just a dark figure, seemingly facing my direction. It seemed to come closer, more floating than walking. It stopped a few inches from my side, right next to me, and stayed there. I didn't feel as scared as I thought I would. Suddenly... It felt more like the presence of one of my older siblings, or maybe my parents. I was able to stare at the thing until I fell asleep. When I woke up, I quickly told my parents about this, and they said it was my imagination. I believed them. They just seemed happy that I had a good experience. Every night I would see him, someone I would nickname Mr. Shadow. I loved him quite a bit. After a week, another shadow would pop up in my red rocking chair. It was sort of a sofa chair. This one looked more female. It would rock back and forth in the chair, holding what was either yarn or a baby. It was a very cool thing to experience back then, an environment that felt loving. This went on for several nights after my parents would leave my room. These figures would circle my bed stand by the window looking out, or just rock in the chair. 
Now being sixteen, it seems even less creepy than before. But I remembered something recently that gives me chills, but in a good way. On the last night that I ever saw them, Mr. Shadow came to me. He booped me on the nose and said to me, Good night, little one. Wolf of Halloween Creek from Skeleton Helen I noticed something strange a few years ago. My dad came home one day saying he saw one of our neighbors at the local store. The neighbor is a farmhand, and the farm is literally in our backyard. It's not our farm, but we always have been welcome to play in the pastures and fish in the pond. My dad's friend R owns the farm. Anyway, oddly enough, the farmhand asked my dad if he had seen any big hairy creatures around lately. My dad simply laughed and said, yeah, Bigfoot. Later that week, my sister, my fiancé, and I were enjoying a nice fire in the backyard. I got up at one point to get more wood from the shed to stoke the fire a bit. On my way there, I passed the woods. I wasn't really thinking about how creepy the woods looked. But right before I made it to the shed, I heard a strange howling noise. It was like when you read a ghost story to a kid and you go, Ooh, to give them chills. The next week it had gotten a bit windy, but we still wanted to do a fire again, so we did. We had a good time sitting around the fire roasting hot dogs and marshmallows. The wind was calm enough so that it wasn't dangerous to have a fire, but just loud enough for something in the woods to think it wouldn't be heard. My sis had gone in the house, and then my fiancé had to go to the bathroom, so I was left alone by the fire for a while. Honestly, I was beginning to feel spooked. It was the worst time for me to hear a loud howl burst out from the surrounding woods. I could hear that it was close. There are no wolves or coyotes in the area. I have lived out in the country since I was born, and I know what dogs sound like. This thing didn't sound right. I heard it a few more times after that and I even got my sister and fiancé to hear it too. So I wasn't crazy. It didn't help that I and a few others saw a humanoid shape walking around in the woods, one that was a bit too big and a bit too hairy. A few weeks after that, one evening I went to the local corner store. There I saw the owner of the farm, R. He was looking at my daughter with almost sad, sympathetic eyes and said to me, Y'all be careful now. There's been some, uh, dogs around lately. Keep a good eye on your kids. I said, sure thing. Have a good one. Later that night, I dreamt that the neighborhood found R next to a mutilated cow carcass naked. After that dream, I no longer heard or saw anything like that again. A Diamond in the Rough from O Harsh Lion When I was 17, my older sister Leah and I worked as painters for my brother's house flipping company. It was my first job, and having just finished high school with no plans for college, it was the perfect opportunity to save up for rent for my own apartment. 
Plus, working with Leia was fun, as we were quite close. In October of 2005, we were hired to paint a house in Alexandria. Before we started the project, my brother called and asked me to drive the 40 miles south to the location so I could take before photos for the website. On my way, my sister called me. Hey, you're not going to that Alexandria house alone, are you? Yeah, I am. Didn't Ben tell you? Well, yeah, but you have to wait for me. I dropped our supplies off last night, and just trust me, wait in the driveway until I get there. You don't want to go in alone, and just promise me you'll wait. This was weird, and it freaked me out a bit. Could it really be that bad? I decided to trust her and promised that I would wait in the driveway. When I arrived, I looked at the outside. It was a very tall three-story home, but nothing out of the ordinary. It seemed normal. When Leia got there, she looked scared. All right, you're killing me. What's going on? Let's just go inside and you can see for yourself. She opened the lockbox and we walked in. Huh. Looks normal, I said. I already painted this level, she said. Come upstairs with me. I followed with my camera. Oh, oh, that's weird. I noticed that all the locks on every door were facing the direction to lock people inside the rooms, not to mention the doors were very old and the locks were made for skeleton keys, making it that much more eerie. Do you see the locks? Leia asked. Yeah, I just noticed that. We walked into the first room, which appeared to be a child's room, indicated by the few things left behind that the crew had not gotten yet. Then I saw it. Brown smudges all over the walls, illegible letters and symbols smeared all over. Watch this. Leia had grabbed a painting rag from the bathroom wet it down in the sink and walked toward me. We looked at each other concerned. Then she wiped one of the brown symbols with the water and it began to turn into a watery maroon color. The smell hit me, like rusty iron. That's blood. Yeah, I think it is, she said. But come, look in the bathroom. I followed her. There were more brown smudges on the wall, but I could already smell it. But it wasn't blood. This was feces. There's more, she said. Come on. We climbed a ladder into the attic, and there was very old furniture left behind. A typewriter and some raggedy dolls, too. Stacks of notebooks. I opened those, and they were full of numbers, just endless sequences of numbers, all signed Robert T. Bradford. We scavenged around for a bit when Leia admitted she hadn't had a chance to look in the attic yet, because she was too scared to go in alone. I haven't shown you the worst part yet. Let's go to the basement. There's a basement? Oh, God. I was starting to feel sick in my stomach as we headed downstairs. I was already overwhelmed by the mystery of what could have happened here. Children being locked in rooms, smearing their blood and waste on the walls... What traumatic event could lead to an act like that? In the kitchen, there was a door to the basement. She opened it, and a ringing sat in my ears. I was starting to feel heavy and dizzy. Let's go, I said. I walked down and took the immediate turn to the right. 
There we found children's school desks and chairs attached. They looked so old, like they were from the early 1900s. In front of the chairs there stood an altar of candles, all different heights, shapes, and sizes. It smelled terrible down here. Look, I said, covering my nose. I pointed to under all the desks. There was a symbol formed by candle wax that had been strategically poured. We moved the desks out of the way, only to find a pentagram. In any other context, I would have thought it was cheesy, but this was seriously freaking me out. What's that smell? I asked. It's coming from in here. There was a back room to the right. We walked through the threshold, and there were these rusty chains hanging from the walls. They looked fairly new. There was an operating table and terrible rusty cutting tools everywhere. There were shelves on every side of the room holding jars filled with liquid and animal parts. Here's where the smell's coming from. I turned to look, and there was an old sink where Leia was standing. I walked over and saw a dead crow floating in the water. What the heck happened here? We need to call the cops, I said. Ben said there's an open investigation already. They took reports and photos of everything. Now we just have to clean it up so we can sell it. Ugh, this didn't sound fun, but I guess someone had to do it. A few weeks went by and we were making good progress. In some ways it felt like we were bandaging the wounds that had been inflicted here, as we covered up the blood with oil-based primer and satin paint. It started looking so new to us that we weren't so scared to go into the basement alone anymore. One day as we were wrapping up, I was down there painting the trim before the carpet men came that night. I was in the closet and climbing a step stool to paint the top of the upper shelf. It's tricky maneuvering in closets that small. It was then that I noticed a thick line of dust on my paintbrush, so I grabbed a washcloth to thoroughly dust it. I still wasn't tall enough to actually see the top shelf, and at that awkward angle, I took a risk and stood on the middle shelf. Finally, I could see. And there on the top shelf, I saw an old, long, rolled-up paper. I grabbed it and climbed down. They were blueprints to the house. I studied the drawing of the basement, and there was another room that we hadn't seen on the prints. When I walked down the stairs, the wall straight ahead was a built-in bookshelf that covered the length of the basement. This unknown room was behind that wall. As bad as what Robert T. Bradford let us see out in the open, what would a man like this choose to hide? I felt sick again. My ears began ringing like they had the first day. Suddenly, I felt a lure. It wasn't a voice that spoke to me, but a knowing. I knew something was in that wall. I could feel it. I took a screwdriver. On the base near the trim, there was a vent, and I knew to remove it. I laid on my side and stretched my arm out as far as I could, and I felt something. I began wiggling and pulling it until it released and it fell out. It was a black plastic tube with a cap. I was petrified, but someone, something was leading me to find this. I unscrewed it. Inside there was a balled-up piece of paper towel, heavy with something inside it. I was so scared it was going to be a finger or something gross. It rolled out and dropped into my hand. A Diamond Wedding Ring
Years have passed since that October. I was a part of concluding something that has remained a mystery to me. I didn't know how to redeem what had happened. Truth be told, all I could think to do was pawn the ring and give the money to a church. Hopefully someone's pain would be used to heal another's. I've researched Robert T. Bradford. He's deceased now, and the house... The house sold soon after we finished it. And not surprisingly, the owner sold it for half of what they paid for it only three months later. Perhaps tortured by whatever presence or pain still lingers there. I hope you enjoyed today's stories. They were the fun kind of different. Let me know in the comments what stories you want to hear next. I'm trying to branch out into more of a variety of topics. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own, share it with us at darkstories.org. Check the links in the description. There's a link to my Patreon and a link to my merch store both of which support this channel. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from my previous normal episode. Brandon Hooper says, You're amazing. Keep up the spooky work. Sure thing. Thank you very much. The work used to be spooky, but now these stories don't scare me, except on the rare, rare occasion. Savannah Briggs says, Oh my gosh, I want that magnificent cover art as a Halloween costume. Well, I'm working on getting them on some trading cards, so hold your horses and you'll get something pretty cool soon. Quesadilla says, Yes, sir. Well, okay then. Just some Bigfoot with internet access says, Person. Enters my forest and sees me when I come crashing through the woods to chase them away. Also that person. Surprised Pikachu face. That's the most accurate comment on here. And Homer Mickey A. says, I'm ready for the nightmares. Darkness, give me your worst. Alright, how about this? Imagine a world with no pizza. Ooh, God, sorry. Gave myself the chills. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry. More scary stories are on the way soon. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome people. Remember... Stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Don't you hate that sloppy wet sound of messy eating? The ripping and tearing of flesh being torn straight from the bone. Now imagine hearing that sound in the middle of the night coming from your attic. Well, I've got a story today about just that and four more with it. Today I have five allegedly true scary stories about creepy sounds, disturbing followers, and the Christmas critters of all things. Enjoy, and don't forget to send us your story at darkstories.org. Let's begin. It Chews in My Attic From Redwood Spooks Last October, around the 21st, I purchased my first place. 
Not a simple apartment like most people would expect. I saved up for a house and managed to get one for extremely cheap, but I made the mistake of just buying it after seeing some pictures. I guess the deal was that good. I know people might be thinking, what kind of person buys a house that cheap without even visiting it? Well, I'll tell you this. When I see something I really want, I go for it. Anyway, when I arrived at the house for the first time, the previous owners left most of their furniture. It made moving in a lot easier. It also seemed as if all the appliances in the house were brand new. This struck me as strange. Why would they leave behind new appliances? I didn't worry too much, because who doesn't like free stuff? I was low on cash anyway after the purchase. The first day was exhausting, moving things in. Eventually, I made it to my new room to set it up. It was a nice-sized room, enough to fit my computer setup, my bed, my TV, and my wardrobe for clothes. It took me a couple of hours to set up the place. By the time I was done, it was 3 a.m., I was exhausted and ready to just collapse into bed. Throughout the night, I heard scratching above me, and I thought I even heard breathing. I managed to explain this away, thinking it was just the sounds of a house I wasn't used to. Every old house has its own unique vibe and set of sounds, I guess. The next morning, as I was curious about the history of the place, I hopped on my desktop and researched what I could about the previous owners. I actually knew beforehand that someone had disappeared who owned this house before me. Those circumstances were quite suspicious, but I was a thrill-seeker, and this actually pushed me more to want to buy the house. Unfortunately, my research didn't turn up more than I already knew, so I decided to explore the house a bit further. I needed to know what was in that attic. I searched all over the place for a way to get up there. And as if my life was some sort of real horror movie, it turned out that the entrance was in the corner of my bedroom. It was a trapdoor type entrance where you pull the string and the stairs fell down. I took my phone and turned on the flash, deciding to take a look around up there. It was incredibly dark and dank, hard to breathe. There was a stench to the place that made me want to vomit. It was like an animal had died up there. I couldn't see much, but I could hear something moving around. As I believe anyone would, I called out to make myself known. Hey, is there anyone up here? There was no response. I assumed that I was alone in the attic, so I made my way down after not hearing any further noises. But before I hit the last step... Something definitely moved behind me. A sound that could not be explained away by a settling house or wind. I quickly turned around in fear, but it turned out to be a couple of little mice walking around behind me. This caused me to go out and buy some mouse traps so that they could be taken care of. I didn't want their scratching to bother me anymore. And if you're wondering, I didn't buy those traps that hurt them. I'm more of a catch-and-release kind of guy. The traps cost me about 50 bucks, but it would be worth it. I set them up right when I got back home. To cool off and relax, I played some League of Legends with a friend of mine named Grillby for the rest of the day and a little bit into the night. Our dream was to become pro, 
but that dream stopped, so we just played against some bots. But something strange happened while we were playing. I ended up hearing squeaking in the attic, so I told my friend I had to go check it out. He laughed and told me he hopes Cho'Goth eats me up there. I kindly told him to shove it and went up to check what was going on, expecting more mice, but I wanted to be sure. When I went to pull down the attic door, it felt a bit weird, as if something was pulling on it from the other side. Eventually, I tugged it and got it open. I walked up, not bringing a light this time, because my phone had died, and that's what I used as my flashlight before. I looked in the trap I bought, and it seemed to be broken. I guess the mice had broke out of it. Crap, I said. I began to climb back down from the attic, but as I did, I noticed a reflection from the corner of the attic. Eyes. I gasped and rubbed my eyes and looked back, but the eyes were gone, and I assumed, or maybe hoped, that I was just seeing things. That night went smoothly after that, save for me and my friend getting whooped by the bots. Like I said, we were far from pro. After the game, we decided to sit around and video chat, chilling for a bit. We eventually came to the topic of scary stories, of all things. After an hour of this, I was getting sleepy. I said goodbye and headed off to bed. I put on some Philosophy Chill Step videos to help me sleep, with the volume down a bit low, and I began to drift off. But I was brought back to life by a sudden and loud bang. I quickly turned on the light and put on my glasses. The downside about having a lamp right next to the bed means that it doesn't fill the whole room, and there are patches of darkness throughout. But from what I could tell, everything seemed normal at first. That was until I looked at the corner to where the attic was, and I saw that the stairs of the attic had been pulled down from the other side. I didn't even know they could do that. Worse yet, there was someone standing near the stairs. Not someone, some thing. A pale white figure with long arms and legs, crouching, chewing on something. I turned on my phone's light and pointed it at the creature. It turned around and it was holding something up to its face. Crunch. I realized it was eating one of the mice from the attic. I sprang up grabbing my knife and screaming. In a matter of seconds, the creature jumped on me and bit my right shoulder. But as it bit down, I lodged my knife into its neck. The creature gurgled and growled before it scurried off into the attic with a sickening crawling sound. I quickly closed the attic door, then called 911. I was rushed to the hospital as I was bleeding pretty bad. I spoke to the police and asked them if they found anything in my attic. One of the officers took his hat off, explaining to me they found a nest-type thing in the attic, one that consisted of dead mice and what the police believe to be human bones. And due to the vanishing of one of the previous owners, they believe it could be his, but they would have to test the remains. They recommended I stay away from that house, stay with a friend for a while, 
until the place was cleaned up. I thanked them for their help and stayed with one of my cousins. I'm finally home now and I'm writing this. I sealed off the attic and everything has been fine since. I'm thankful I didn't stay asleep when hearing the attic stairs open. Otherwise, this house would have had another vanishing owner. The Abandoned Saloon from Rosethorn North of Calgary, along Highway 1 in the middle of the city, there is a hotel that we were instructed to go to to learn how to properly investigate a presumably haunted place. This was part of a ghost hunting course I was taking, and it was one of my most important classes. We had to know how to investigate a haunted property thoroughly, safely, and most importantly, with the property owner's permission and concerns. A lot of the places we investigate are because of sightings and unexplained events that guests or homeowners experience, and it's always so surprising how common this actually is. This hotel was no different. It was one of the more famous spots that my group had researched frequently. Once myself and my group had arrived, we were given introductions and attendance was taken, and it wasn't long until we were led down the hall of this hotel to the storage room or what I know now as the Abandoned Saloon. As the name states, it used to be an extremely popular saloon in Calgary, with the stereotypical western music, drinks, and style. It sounded like a pretty fun place. But the second I entered the room, every hair in my body stood on end. This heavy, wrong feeling overtook me. I'm not sure how to explain it, other than that feeling you get when you're being watched. This felt like whatever pressure was in that room was overwhelming me, crushing me, making me want to puke the more I stood in that room. I decided to swallow down the pain and ignore it for the moment, while my instructor explained the history of the building itself. But as she explained this, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this shadow from behind the counter of the bar slowly moving up the wall like a figure was standing up to its full height after crouching down. The shadow itself loomed over the counter, just watching us. His head didn't move, but I could feel this shadow watching me. I grabbed my camera to try to snap a photo, but the shadow had already faded into the wall and disappeared. Admittedly, I was disappointed that I could not take a photo of it, I honestly wish I was fast enough, but unfortunately I was unlucky as the rest of the investigation went awfully quietly, well, other than myself feeling more and more ill as the night went on. There were cases, however, where the younger ladies the same age as myself were being touched by an unseen force on the hips and legs and even shoulders. Mind you, this didn't happen to me. I honestly felt like I was being squeezed by this force more than touched, but it is one thing I cannot prove. In fact, it is a rule that we must not report any kinds of touching unless it was a force of damage, like a bruise, gash, or scratch. That way we'd have something tangible to show as proof. Other small things happened that night. We heard shuffling and movement in the dark when my group was just sitting down and trying to watch the counter for activity. 
There were even objects that moved around forcibly on their own, as if an invisible force was shoving things around. Something wanted to scare us away and did not like us here, but my feelings of being squeezed intensified as soon as we entered the freezer behind the counter. The nausea and horribly negative pressure was beginning to get to me. I was even beginning to feel faint, so I had someone else hold my recorder for me. After my instructor noticed this, she finally told us something terrible that happened with one of the last girls that was there with her while investigating the place. From what I was told, she was grabbed by the throat and shoved into the wall. Apparently, this was what happened to some of the female workers that worked here at the saloon by their manager, forced into silence after the unspeakable he did to them. A real freak. Apparently, the manager had disappeared after one of the girls squealed to some big bikers who had attempted to drag him out of the building. I can't completely confirm that tale, but one thing was for sure. Whatever was there was incredibly evil and violent. I left that saloon, never planning to go back after that. I'd never felt such evil, and I wonder if whatever this thing is, it was trying to do something terrible to me. I wasn't planning to tell this story, but a few months ago, when I graduated from the course, I learned that the saloon was no longer available for investigations. You want to know why? They're reopening it. I couldn't even express my disappointment. I had to swallow my fear down, my anger. I warn you of this. If you decide to stay in Calgary, be careful of where you stay, especially the saloon, because it holds a dark presence. Have you heard of Project Blue Book? From Blue Book Farm. In 1948, a UFO was spotted by a farmer in Gurley, Alabama. This story was passed around when I was in grade school. I grew up in Gurley and recently moved back to attend college in Huntsville. It is a commute for classes, but it's worth it. I live here with my husband, six dogs, and a cat. We live on what used to be farmland. The old farmhouse stood across from us until this February. It was the farmhouse that we had told stories about and camped near to watch the skies. It was sad to see this piece of local lore dismantled. The destruction was sudden and strange. Usually, when a building is destroyed, the rubble is either burned or taken to a dump. But this is not what happened. A huge pit was dug next to the house. Then the house was toppled into the pit. They filled the pit with concrete, and the final step was to cover the concrete with dirt. Nothing was moved away. You could still see the knickknacks balanced on the windowsills as the house was dragged and pushed into the pit. Why go through all of this to destroy a dilapidated old house? I've got no idea. Maybe there's a logical reason behind it, but there's no one to ask. In 2019, February to be precise, the show Project Blue Book aired an episode called Operation Paperclip, in which more than 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians were taken from Germany to America to work for the U.S. government, 
This happened between 1945 and 1959, and that happens to be the same time that a UFO was spotted in Gurley, Alabama, which led to the demolishment of the farmhouse, as well as the aforementioned and strange pit. The pit was dug after only a few days of non-stop work. By the weekend, the house was gone. And during that time as well, there was a rash of strange sightings of lights in the sky, of strange objects that were low to the ground, yet silent to human ears. The people knew they definitely weren't planes. Now, calling the objects light was not accurate of me. Light radiates outward and illuminates the surrounding area, while these objects were visible in the darkness and appeared to radiate without any illumination. It's hard to explain. They appeared to be constructed of light, while at the same time they did not cast any. I'm sorry if this is difficult to understand. It's like trying to describe a color to someone who is blind. And to this day, I still see things living here out in Alabama. My most terrifying experience here was one night when I was outside taking out the garbage. My husband had just left for work, and he forgot to take the trash out like I asked him to. While I was outside, I saw the lights, and the next thing I knew, my husband was shaking me. He had gotten home from work already, because I'd been standing out in the driveway holding a garbage bag for six hours straight. I wasn't even sore or tired, but I did need to blow my nose, and when I did, blood came out. I was taken to the hospital, but I was practically fine. My sinuses were just really dry. These days at night or early in the morning, I stay inside. And now, when I see the lights, they scare me. Santa's Little Helper from Bleak Mountain It was Christmas Eve back when I still believed in Santa Claus a long time ago. Those were simpler times. I was scared of almost everything back then. I always imagined monsters coming to get me, even if I just went to use the restroom. That being said, I could still tell what was real and what was fake. As a little kid, I slept in the same room as my sister. We slept side by side. But I was a little kid, so it never felt awkward to me. This Christmas Eve, however, felt so special to me because I thought I had proof of the mythical Santa Claus actually existing. It started when my sister and I were arguing like we always did. I can't remember over what. That's when we heard a loud thump coming from the living room. Now, my sister was a lot older than me, and she had already grew out of the whole believing Santa thing at the time of this occurrence. Of course, my sister plus my other sister, who slept in a different room than us, never said to me Santa wasn't real. They thought it was cute how I believed in him, and so did my parents, so they humored me. In addition, I thought the thump came from jolly old Saint Nick himself coming down the chimney. I'm sure looking back at it now that it was most likely just my parents putting the presents underneath the Christmas tree. At the time, I was thinking it was Santa and my sister lyingly agreed with me. Both of us stopped arguing at that very moment and she went to go to sleep while I pretended to, covering my head underneath the covers as I always did. 
But then, after a while of tossing and turning and struggling to keep my eyes closed, I heard someone speaking. They were talking in an unknown language, and what scared me was that the sound was coming from right beside my bed. The closest way I can think to describe it is to just type a bunch of random letters together, or to compare it to the way kids will lie and say they can speak another language, then start talking meaningless gibberish. Plus, the voice of this creature sounded not like a little kid, but a smaller, dwarf-sized thing. I could not tell its age by its voice, though. Again, I was a silly kid, so I thought, if anything, it was one of Santa's elves coming to see if my sister and I were still awake. I was afraid to take the covers off my head and look for myself, so I didn't do that, and the sound soon went away. The next morning, I was so excited to tell everyone about my encounter with Santa and his elf. Everyone faked that they believed me. It's only now as an adult that I look back on this encounter and realize how freaking creepy it was. Did my sister not hear that strange voice? Was she asleep? And if she did hear, maybe she was too freaked out to move as well. I'm too old to think that Santa and his elves are real, of course. But I was also old enough to realize that there was something in the room with me that night. And what it could be... I have no idea. It follows from Mike. I'm a 46-year-old guy from Africa, currently residing in Los Angeles. Growing up, I was a big believer in cursed items and their devastating effects on people's lives, prosperity, and health. It's no secret in Africa so I've always been aware of it, but never once believed that it would happen to me. In 2012, I had the privilege of managing some apartment complexes for my friend for extra money, and in the process got acquainted with another African from Cameroon. We clicked, and he proposed renovating the floor of one of the rooms. A deal was struck and work started, and it was completed successfully. He then offered to rent the room and hall for after-party gigs, which I accepted. After three months of non-payment, though, I grew frustrated, and I was forced to evict him. On making rounds in the building, I noticed that he had turned the room into a living spot for himself. I later gathered that he had been homeless for a long time. The eviction continued for quite a while, though, and after successfully reclaiming the keys back, I noticed that his belongings were still abandoned in that room. I called over and over, leaving messages for him to come pick up his property, but he never got back to me. So, it was up to me what to do with them. As I was removing his things, I stumbled upon a multicolored, abstract wall painting. I knew that it would all eventually be dropped into the trash, so I kept the picture as compensation for the trouble he brought my way. That's when it all started. From the very moment I hung that picture, my relationship of nine years tanked. A negative energy began to hang around me in my apartment, and my ex would always go off on stupid non-issues. 
My new business took literally one month to dissolve. Soon enough, the relationship ended on a very sad note. I moved to a new apartment, met a new girl, and the same thing started all over again like some sort of demented clockwork. Since my main income was from retail commission, I began noticing very bad sale days no matter how hard I tried. Sometimes I would go four days without a single sale. People often retracted before I could finalize. This was bizarre. I had been working at the same company for more than four years and never experienced anything like this. My second relationship struggled until we couldn't do it much longer and she moved out. I then moved out too. I got yet another apartment. Thankfully though, after a while, she and I reconnected and began working on a new relationship. One night I was sitting on the couch opposite the painting. It was then just randomly that I decided to take a closer look at the abstract painting and I noticed that it had a drawing of the devil, complete with a pointy tail and demonic eyes. Somehow, although it was right there, it was extremely difficult to make out as it was drawn in abstract, hence why it took me so long to finally see it. Once I decoded the picture, I took it out to the porch and left it there face down and away from my home. I would always be hesitant to throw it out, because it was really pretty, a bit of a conversation starter in my apartment. Sometimes when I expected guests, I'd pull it back in and hang it. I kept doing this for well over a year until I went and took it to another section of my porch, putting it face down to the floor again. All went well for some months, and then the bad luck began again. I went seven days without a customer walking into my store at all. Another first for my career. Having understood the picture and its significance to my ups and downs, I went straight to where I left it, and I found that the building painters hired to repaint the apartment had moved the picture back up and facing my apartment once again. The timing was beyond coincidence at this point. That was it for me. I waited until nightfall and took it to the dumpster. Before I did, I wanted to write Do Not Take Brings Bad Luck on it, but I didn't have a marker, but I couldn't break the ding thing into pieces because it was just too big and durable. So I discarded it outside the dumpster room. Since then, it's been good sailing in my relationship and in my work. I just made two months of straight sales. Since then, I've assumed that the guy I evicted a long time ago, he may have been broke and homeless because of that picture. I pray that whoever picks it up next doesn't hang it inside the house. Did you like today's stories? Let me know in the comments which story you liked the most, or which one you didn't like. And of course, I'd love to know what kinds of stories you want to hear next. Till then, good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have your own story, share it with us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check the links in the description. As usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode, titled 
It only looked like my girlfriend. Five creepy true stories. Twilight Princess says, I would be interested to hear some stories from people who deal with psych patients. I used to work in a hospital, and we had some odd characters to say the least. That would be a really awesome video, to be honest. So if anyone has a story like that, please let me know and send it to me at darkstories.org. Kev Kicks Butt at Halo says, I've got three scary stories, but I don't know how to post it. I enjoy these stories at work, and I have some true ones of my own, so I'd like to share at least one. Hey Kev, to share a story with me, go to darkstories.org. There's a submit button on the first page. If you don't want to make an account, you can just submit it anonymously. If you do want to make an account, you can keep track of your stories you post and participate in an awesome community. Vegan Jinx says, Um, no thank you. If you're talking about the video, I'm not sure why you'd leave an early comment like this if you didn't want to watch it. But, uh, okay. Craven the One says, Apple. Oh, Craven. Something tells me you don't have to see a lot of doctors. And Finn Bauer says, That skinwalker took my girlfriend. Ouch, man. Sucks to be you. Well, he could have made the best out of the situation and got in on the weirdest three-way you've ever heard of. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry. More scary stories are on the way. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. Top of morning, we're going to the land of fey folk, rolling green hills, and potatoes. Hot dang, I love potatoes. But be prepared for the darker side of Ireland, because fey folk can be tricky, and every place in the world has its own crazy people and folklore monsters. Enjoy these allegedly true scary stories from Ireland. If you want your story to be featured in a video, I'm looking to hear scary backpacking stories next. So if you've gone backpacking and encountered or seen something spooky, send me your story at darkstories.org. Now, let's begin. Late Night Visitor from Gare I'm from a little village in the south of Ireland. My whole life I've experienced paranormal activities. My house was a former army barracks. I was 14 years old then, and each night I would sleep, I would hear something talking in my ear. I could feel a cold finger running down my earlobe. I remember lying in bed being forced down by something. I felt a presence holding me down. I would be semi-asleep, and I would awake screaming with a demonic voice around me, saying, No. I knew immediately this was no hallucination or sleep paralysis event. It was too vivid. It felt too real. It felt like something was trying to take my own body from me. 
but I wasn't going to let it. Ever since the first time this happened, things were never the same. This particular story began with the passing of a close friend of mine. I was calling out for him every day, asking for him to show me a sign. I missed him, and over my life a lot of strange things have happened, and I wanted more than anything to believe in an afterlife. At that time, I firmly believed in spirits and entities. Of course I would, after that experience that night. I moved into a new house then with my partner. Everything was fine at the start of it, until I began to see shadows in the corner of my eyes. Our dog would bark and growl at nothing in the middle of the room. I knew that we were being visited by something, but it didn't bother me then. I hoped that it was my friend visiting me. Not to mention my mother always said, it's the living you should be afraid of, not the dead. My then-partner at the time and I were watching a movie. Believe it or not, it was Paranormal Activity. To scare my partner, I began to say things to him, like pretending to call the ghosts out, telling them to come and show themselves, to do something to prove they were there. But we were just laughing and joking around, not actually taunting the spirits. We finished the movie, and we were making our way to bed, it was pretty late, around 1 a.m. All of a sudden, the landline phone started to beep. When you lose the phone, you can press a button on the base to find the phone when it's lost. The problem with that was, the actual phone didn't have the batteries in it. I jumped up out of bed and ran to the bedroom door to find the phone. It was outside on the landing, right in the middle of the floor. We had just gotten it and hadn't set it up fully but I know that I had left it on its base. I admit I was a bit creeped out by this, not only to see it move to somewhere I hadn't left it, but to also hear it beep as if someone had pressed the button on the base. But who could have done it if we were both in bed? I tried to laugh it off, but I was scared. I put the phone on the base and went back to bed. No sooner had I put my head on the pillow... The smoke alarm suddenly began to beep, the way it does if you take the plastic case off and hold the test button. It was at least 15 feet off the ground, due to high ceilings, and you would need a ladder to press it. The beeping continued, though. It couldn't have been a battery issue, though, as we had ours connected to the main power. At this stage, I was freaking out. When I looked at my partner... His eyes were watery with terror. I was almost at that point, too. I tried my best to reassure him that it would be okay. We tried to head back to sleep as the beeping stopped. I wanted to put this down as just a visit from a spirit who wasn't trying to be bothersome and simply wanted to say hello. Now, beside our bed was a window and a blind. It's the type of blind that could be opened by a heavy cord. Out of nowhere, it pulled itself up and open, shaking violently. The window wasn't open. There was no wind at all in the room. And neither of us were anywhere close to the blind. It wasn't us, yet somehow the blind was shaking, as if a man had grabbed it and began slinging it around as hard as they could. 
After that, I wasn't so sure that the spirit was friendly. I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. After that, I never joked or messed around with spirits again. My partner at the time and I are no longer together. Shortly after this event, we moved out of the house. We used to talk about it a lot. We've spoken over the years, but I know when we do see each other, this would be a story we would remember for the rest of our lives. Be careful what you ask for, because sometimes they're listening, and they'll come for a visit. I thought I got away from it after I moved, but not too long after settling in, I began hearing the tiniest footsteps running around the house early in the morning or late at night, and sometimes I even hear them laugh. The Organ in the Corner From Anonymous Now now, I'm entirely aware this sounds like some plot to a B-grade horror movie, but it's a scary story my dad still tells at dinner parties to freak people out. One he swears up and down is true. But when it happened, it was actually terrifying. When I was around six years old, my family and I moved from England to Northern Ireland, and my parents bought this gorgeous old house. I know, your standard white people. The place was 200 years old, middle of the countryside, obviously needing a bit of work. My mom and dad began renovating as soon as we moved in, so my childhood smells of paint stripper and plasterboard. But stuff got weird. I used to play in a small, almost greenhouse kind of balcony. It was on the roof above the front door and glass all around. Every time my dad had stopped drilling or hammering, I remember hearing something. Something that sounded like piano. I mentioned this to my father, asking where it was coming from, and my dad would shrug, seemingly passing it off as weird kid stuff. You know how kids say weird things and often don't even remember saying them. After that, I began having these reoccurring dreams about hearing, once again, what I thought was a very loud and odd-sounding piano. I would walk through the house and check all the rooms in the dream, finally coming to look in the front room, and there would always be this man in the corner playing his piano, which was huge and full of big pipes. I would later learn that what this instrument was, was an organ. When I asked my mom what the big piano in churches were called, as that was what this reminded me of, she gave me that as an answer. Once again, my parents brushed this off as me being a weird kid, until it began happening to my mom. The room always felt a few degrees colder than the rest of the house. It was an old house, yes, but this room always felt cold no matter how the rest of the house felt. She was stripping some god-awful orange paint off the floorboards, as the previous owners ten years ago put down some interesting interior design. It was then she suddenly smelled this overwhelming scent of malt whiskey and cigarettes. No one in the house smoked, and we were the only people for miles. There was no furniture in the room either at the time, to even have whiskey near it. 
she said to my dad over dinner the next evening, jokingly, Ellie's ghost friend must love whiskey, because that room always smells like it, may be embedded in that wallpaper. I stripped the walls bare to stone, stripping the floorboards, opening all the windows, and redoing it. That room still smells so distinct. But it happens, I guess. I continue to have my dreams, always feeling the overwhelming sensation of never being alone in that house, even as I grew older. But here's the creepier part. My dad was in the local pub one night, after the house was nearly finished. He was talking to his mate at the bar. His mate mentioned to the owner that my dad had bought the hunting lodge, which is how they referred to our house for whatever reason. We only vaguely knew that the house was related to the castle in the local village, and turns out it was a hunting lodge, apparently. The owner goes on about how it's a gorgeous house, and he's glad someone's fixing it up. But then he says, Is it still haunted? My dad, being a skeptical man, laughed, and said about it appearing like a stereotypical horror house. Then the barman goes, No, honestly. The guy who used to play the organ for the hunt after they came back, he died playing that organ. Massive heart attack. He was famous round these parts. The pub was still open even then, and apparently he was maybe a bit too fond of the drink and cigarettes. My dad hadn't told a single soul about the weird pestering about the funny smell at our place and the weird piano sounds I complained about. Again, he simply assumed it was just kids being weird kids. It's the only thing that my dad has said is unexplainable in his life. The house still never feels quite empty, despite that room being cold and occasionally smelling like whiskey. It's quite comforting, in a way. Like the old organ player is just keeping an eye on the house he loved. His old home. The following story appeared in an old episode titled, Disturbing Things That Happened on Farms. It's called Puga and was submitted by Kneeslob. I accidentally re-added it to this script, which I actually do quite a lot. I read so many stories that I only vaguely remember the ones I have read. I do my best to keep track of what I've already read, but after having to switch from my old website, which was taken over by malware, a lot of the stories that I had marked as read suddenly weren't marked that anymore. But in this case, I really like this story, and I hope you will too. Enjoy. This is the story of the scariest moment of my life, which occurred in 2002 in rural Ireland. I am a city boy through and through. I was born and raised in Waterford City, in the province of Munster in Ireland. I was attending college in Waterford, where I was studying software development. Yeah, I was one of those computer geeks. Every summer, I worked on my uncle's farm in County Wexford to get money to pay for my college, and this is where I was when the story happened. My uncle was a very quiet guy and a very easy guy to work for. I spent my days plowing and baling the fields with him along with my cousins over the summer. It was the classic off-the-books job. I got to live with him rent-free, and I received 200 euros a week. 
One day after we were done plowing for the day, my cousins and I were out eating dinner on the picnic benches when I saw this large, dark eagle hovering over the farm. I remember pointing it out to my oldest cousin, Sean, by saying, I've never seen an eagle like that before. And that's when things got really weird. My cousins looked up at it, then they looked at each other. Their faces had blank expressions. And then Sean looked at the youngest brother, Patrick, and said, Quickly, round up some corn and leave it out for it. I just sat there in utter confusion as my youngest cousin Patrick stood up and headed down towards the fields. I asked Sean, why are you giving that huge thing corn when they don't even eat it? Sean replied sternly, look, no eagle is that big. That is a puka. At this stage, I just assumed my cousins were the classic superstitious country people. I informed them that I did not really know what a puka was, and they told me that it was a malevolent, shape-shifting being that usually takes the form of large, black eagles and black horses. They would besiege people's property and try to lure them out with their human-like speech to take them in the night. They said if we hadn't left out corn, then one of us would not be there in the morning. I don't know what to think of this, but I do know I've never seen an animal like that, a jet black eagle with a wingspan of at least 50 feet. Please tell me that there's an animal that matches that description somewhere in the world. The next few stories are from the same person, Scott's Diesel who shares with us today a few of their scary experiences in Ireland. They're titled, Tales from an Irish Traveler. Number 1. The Kelpie This happened in 1965, or rather, it began then. In Celtic legend, there is an evil creature that lives in bodies of water, called Kelpie or water horse. I believe my uncle and I saw one on a small lake 20 years apart, and the consequences changed the lives of everyone involved forever. In 1965, my uncle and two of his friends decided to go by the lake to swim. They were avid swimmers. First, they wanted to gather wood and oil drums from a nearby derelict factory to build a raft so that they could go to the small pile of rocks known as the island. As they were building the raft, my uncle would notice splashes in the water, as if something had been thrown in. My uncle accused his mates of simply trying to wind him up. They all denied doing it, so everyone was thinking everyone else was trying to scare them. They quickly finished the raft and launched it into the water. After a chilly afternoon, relaxing on the raft in the still water, they decided to get closer to the island. Near the island, they felt a pull or tug on the raft from underneath, then a violent rocking motion until one of his friends suddenly fell in. My uncle leaned over the side to haul his mate back on, and that's when he saw something under the water. Shockingly, this thing had its arms around the waist of his friend, something that had the face of an ugly horse 
with eyes bulging and a weird-looking mane, as my uncle put it. Try as much as he could, my uncle and his other friends became tired, and they watched their mate slip away from them below the water. Their friend's body was recovered the next day. After my uncle told me what he personally saw in the water, he swore me to secrecy, just wanting everyone else to believe it was simply a tragic accident. My uncle hadn't told me about this incident until after I was involved in a similar one, 20 years later. It was the summer of 1985. I was in Scotland, where there was another rare mini heatwave. I was 12 years old, and it was too hot for school, so around 10 of us bunked off school and made our way to the lake, or lock. We had a good day making campfires, and we found rope and made a swing. All that time I was feeling uneasy, as if I was being watched, so I told a couple of my mates. But they laughed at me, putting it down to some of us being naked, or just in our underwear. But I just couldn't shake that feeling. As we were on the swing, one of us noticed splashes in the water. Big bloody pike, that, one of my mates said. Nah, said another. One of you is throwing stuff. After we got bored on the rope swing, some of the older lads, who must have been around 15, decided to see who could swim out farther and farther to a tiny island. Well, more a pile of rocks further out. I was younger and not a strong swimmer. So as the older boys were doing this, I just sat on the rocks on the shore, dangling my feet in the water, and occasionally lowering myself to the waist. Suddenly, I felt something grab hold of my leg, something that felt like fingers, but with the texture of slime. It had a powerful grip, too, but as I was trying to pull myself up, I said, Mother of Jesus, or something panicky like that. And... It suddenly released its hold. My friends heard the commotion and saw me struggling. They swam over and asked me what happened. I told them, but they laughed at me again, telling me it was just a crap, until someone pointed out finger-like marks on my leg. Cramps don't do that. One of the older lads said it was either leeches or an eel, maybe. And being younger, we believed it. Or at least I pretended to believe it, for fear of ridicule. The feeling I had of being watched grew stronger after that, but it felt like there was anger to it. The air felt foreboding. I was so disturbed I just sat on top of a large rock by the edge and watched the older lads resume their macho game of who could swim the farthest. Then it happened... One of the boys furthest out, at least twice as far as the others, began screaming, Help! Something's got my legs! From my vantage point, he looked like he was fighting against something, and it looked like something just under the water, silvery but in a definite shape, was grabbing hold of him. The boy released another horrendous scream, continuing to splash and gargle in the water, until there was silence. The water became still, and the silver, shadowy figure was gone. I didn't tell anyone about the silver shadow or gray outline that I saw. I was too scared, and I knew they wouldn't believe me. 
Divers recovered my friend's body that night, and we were told by the police he had either gotten a cramp or he had tangled himself in something underwater and drowned. Several years later, in an English city, in a random bar, I surprisingly met up with one of the lads from that day, the one closest in the water at the time to our friend who had perished. We chatted about the past, and the conversation turned to what happened that day. He swore me to secrecy like my uncle did before me. He said he told me he had felt hands, says he felt something swim around them, he saw flashes of silvery, battleship-gray skin moving underneath the water. He felt a tug once, but said, Oh God, as soon as it touched him, and then the feeling vanished. He went on to tell me that he thought he saw gray, silver arms through the splashing water on my drowned mate's body. He swears he saw what looked to be the back of a horse's head in the splashing water. He told me he didn't say anything at the time, because he thought the others would claim he was a lunatic. Oddly enough, this friend drowned shortly after he told me this story. He had gone on a fishing trip somewhere in the UK. All these events, including my friend on the fishing trip, are they due to the Kelpie? Was it truly the water horse? Number 2. The Shadow Person I was around 15 or 16, looking after a house in a village in Ireland with my mate. We were passing time by watching TV. The first few days had been uneventful, though I did feel something weird about the place. Now, you might think I could chalk that up to anything, being in a new place, eating something bad, but that wasn't all that was going on. While I was in that house... Sometimes I would hear doors opening and closing, knocks and bangs on the wall, all while I was either alone or with my friend, so it couldn't have been either of us. On that particular night, the TV suddenly turned itself off when the remote was sitting right in front of us on the coffee table, and the power hadn't gone out. There was something there with us, but it wasn't going to show itself yet. That night, I was in bed, feeling really apprehensive. So I stayed up in bed reading, when I heard a loud pop and a blood-curdling scream coming from my friend in the next room. I quickly got up and ran to his room, flicking on the hallway light in the process. But when I grabbed his room door handle, it was red hot, and it took all my force to open the door. As soon as I got in, I stopped in my tracks, Glass from the three bulbs on the ceiling light was all over the floor, and my friend was curled up in the corner shouting for this thing to go, pointing to directly behind me. At the same time, something tried to push me onto the glass from behind. I immediately turned and threw a punch, but what it connected with was nothing but air and the sight of a distinct shadow of a person. A shadow that lacked actual features, and it only had contours. The thing was more like a shadow on a digital TV when it glitches, or someone silhouetted by a flickering old-style fluorescent light. I didn't feel anything solid, 
just the rush of air past my fist, and a weird electrical shock mixed with an ice-cold feeling, something that was instinctively repulsive. Then the shadow vanished. My mate yelled, let's get out now, so we went to my room, picked up some cigarettes, and ran downstairs. We went out to the back garden, which had a large decked patio, fenced off, then a ten to fifteen foot drop to a lower garden, with bushes and a greenhouse below. After we calmed down, we chatted about my past experiences and what happened. Suddenly, my friend fell silent, eyes wide looking up to the wall to my right. I turned, and we saw the shadow person slip, jump, and almost flicker off the wall, then rush right up to me. Instinct told me I was being attacked. I felt that electric shock, ice-cold feeling, this time in the shape of a hand, as something grabbed my face. I swung my fists around, trying to attack. I panicked, and I began to pray to my ancestors, using protective calls that I'd learned being a full-blooded gypsy. I must have struggled for a few minutes, all the time feeling that horrendous ice-cold electric shock, when suddenly I was pushed through the wooden fence on the decking and then through the glass house the glass breaking into shards and falling all around me. I heard a guttural scream from apparently the shadow person, and I got a massive electrical jolt type thing. I looked toward the shadow with the air taken from me from the fall. The figure flicked like a dodgy strip light and seemed to dissipate and dissolve at the same time. I realized that I was completely unharmed. No cuts, no grazes, no bruises. Just the wind taken from me. How can anyone fall through a wooden fence, fall ten to fifteen feet, then fall through a glass house unscathed? Somehow, I did. I picked my way out to get to my friend, who seemed to be physically ill. I made him a cup of tea to help him feel better, and eventually I got his perspective of what happened. He says the shadowy figure, when I began to call out to my ancestors, began to convulse. My prayers had maybe saved my life. We spent the rest of the night awake, as we could not sleep. When the house owner returned, we told him of what happened. The house owner already knew about this, and wasn't even surprised when I showed him the fence and glass house being broken. He says that a plague-like spirit had been haunting this place, and after speaking to some travelers in the nearby town, who gave him a method of trying to get rid of it, it only made things worse. The house still stands. The owner's still there. I've been back. But he sleeps peacefully these days. According to the owners, ever since that night with my altercation, the place is completely different and feels like a brand new home. And number three, Attacked by Fay. I was out on a long walk with my father through the countryside. We were looking in the fields where the potatoes had been picked and would gather the ones left over and discarded by the pickers to take home for the coming winter. 
Gradually, we would work further and further apart, then back together down the next row. It was a slate gray day, a bit cold. The air was still with a little mist, and there were hundreds of crows silently eyeing us from a nearby clump of woods. A bit creepy, so a reason to get on with the job and get home. As I'm bent over gradually filling my little bag, I feel anxious, like I'm being watched. But not from the crows. It felt like I was being watched from somewhere else, somewhere I couldn't pinpoint. I tried to shrug it off. I bent over again and carried on. Suddenly, I realize there's a shadow over me, and it makes me stand upright, feeling a bit paranoid. I was just about to shout for my dad when I felt two vice-like grips on my shoulders, and something began to pull me right off the ground. I looked up, and I saw this huge, winged creature. It was dark and had leathery skin with a huge beak and eyes. I instinctively yelled for my dad, who I heard holler back at me. What the hell? I was now at least two feet off the ground when I noticed lots of crows flying past my face dive-bombing at this thing, swooping and attacking it. It dropped me from a height of about six feet, and I landed bruised and shocked. As I watched the thing depart, there were more and more crows leaving their roosts, attacking and chasing this thing away. My father came running after me. He checked that I was okay and asked me about it. He had seen me off the ground as I was lifted. He saw the crows going nuts around something, but he didn't see the creature, just a gray swirling mist and the crows diving at it. We quickly picked up our bags of potatoes and headed home. Being travelers, we didn't report it, because we never really trust authority. When I got back home, there were tears just on the back of my clothes. This creature tore through three layers of clothes and cut through my skin as well, and it caused bruising on my shoulders where I was grabbed. My father told my mother and grandmother about the incident, and my grandmother told my mother not to treat or wash the cuts and bruises. My grandmother hurried out and came back later with a bag full of wild plants and cooked up some foul-smelling paste, which she prayed over, cooled, and applied to my cuts and bruises before sending me to bed. The following morning, my grandmother and mother checked my injuries, and they were completely gone. Many years later, my grandmother told me that potion only works on wounds inflicted by fey folk, or fairy people, or animals and things that are outside our control. A few people suggested it was an eagle, but where this took place, there are no eagles, and what I saw that day was no eagle for sure. The following story was from my top five Reddit submissions in December of 2017, so most of you probably haven't heard it before. It's an old one. So, enjoy. This is The Worst Sleepover Ever, from Joshikon. This happened a few months ago. It was the weekend, and I had a friend crashing at my place for the night. For the sake of the story, my friend's name is Dale, and around eight, my mother told us that she had to go babysit for a little while, so she left some money for us on the kitchen counter, 
in case we needed anything. Dell and I played pretty much all the PlayStation games I had, from GTA to UFC 2, and so on. At around 9.30, I thought I heard banging at the front door. I muted the game and listened closely. It was getting louder now, and Dale heard it too. I opened my bedroom door quietly and slowly stepped downstairs, but when I got to the door, there was no one there. We tried to ignore it and just go back to playing our video games. During the second round of our fight and UFC, we heard a loud bang come from downstairs again. That's when I remembered. I forgot to lock the back door. My heart was practically beating out of my chest now, and unfortunately for us, my mobile phone was out of credits. Here in Ireland, I'm not sure how it is in America, but without credits, your mobile phone doesn't work, and mine was basically past due. And the actual landline was downstairs. I grabbed my skateboard, holding it up as a makeshift self-defense kind of thing, and I snuck over to the door. But I could already hear the footsteps coming up the stairs. Someone had broken in our home, and they were coming right for our room. Why? Why would they come to the room where we obviously were? We were being so loud, he knew there were people up here, but instead of stealing something, he came straight for the children. I double-checked the bedroom door lock, and I tried to stop myself from having a panic attack. Then the thought hit me. My window wasn't high off the ground, so Dell and I quickly hopped out of the window and legged it over across the street to the neighbor's house. The entire time, I could hear him, or her, banging against my bedroom door. They sounded angry, and they sounded strong. The neighbors used the phone to call my mother and the guards. The guards are the Irish police, and they kept us safe inside the house until someone arrived. When the guards arrived, however, the intruder was gone, and I still don't know if he was caught. And needless, now I'm a little bit more careful and always remember to lock the back door. We used to live in the countryside, and I was lucky we even had a neighbor that close. But it really shows you how ignorant you can be for thinking you can leave your doors unlocked just because you live away from civilization. The Black Hooded Figure from Anonymous I live in Ireland, and this story took place one summer. I have some family that live fairly close to me, and I frequently visit until late at night. They live in a suburb, so it's pretty safe there. I'm going to skip a few hours ahead, and it's two in the morning, so it's time for me to say goodnight and head out the door, locking it behind me. As I'm walking, it takes about three to four minutes to exit the area. The actual suburb has one entrance and exit for cars and three ways for people. As I'm walking toward the far exit, I get a strange feeling, so I turn around. That's when I see a blacked, hooded figure walking towards me, but I didn't hear footsteps. I'm a five-foot-six guy and have a slim build, but I can hold my own in defense if I have to. But this was nowhere near a normal situation, 
something was off. This person or entity was holding a black bag or something like it. I turned around, having my fight-or-flight instinct kick in, so I began to walk faster. I wanted to get enough distance between us that he couldn't catch up with me. As soon as I turn the corner, I break into a light jog across the road and onto the path which my estate is just down the hill of. I turn around one last time to see the same figure at the same distance taking the same path, but somehow just walking. How he was able to keep up with me without ever running, I have no idea. I made it down the hill in record time without tripping, thank God. I ran inside my house, and I looked outside. The man had stopped moving, still with that black bag in his hands. He looked at me through my window, and I looked back. After a moment, he turned around and walked away. He left me alone, but to this day I still wonder who he was and what was in his bag. He was in my cousin's house, from Anonymous. I live in a small place in Roscommon, called Scrimmage. Every now and again I go to visit my cousin's place in a small village called Castle Blackney. While there I sleep in one of my cousin's rooms while she sleeps in her brother's. They're nine and five, respectively. One night while I was staying over, I opened the window because the room was really warm. The window opened at the top and had the hinges on the bottom. I opened the window at about ten o'clock and climbed into bed. I dozed off around eleven to an episode of Only Fools and Horses, but I woke up to the sound of a clink. Now was probably a good time to mention I had the roof light on so anyone could see inside, and they could see that the window was open. After hearing this, a few seconds pass, and to my horror, I see a face appear at the window, which is slightly open. The face was that of a mad man, with a large smile across his face. He saw me. He raised his right hand to reveal what appeared to be a knife. He began to push on the window, as the opening was too small for his body. Luckily, that thing was pretty old and thick, and he wasn't able to push it open, not from his angle, as I sat there trying to scream, but choking. He looked at me with anger. It was a look that said I took everything from him that he loved, so I was confused and scared. Then he lowered his head, and without me hearing him leave, he was simply gone. When I ran over to see out the window, there was no trace of him. Quickly, I closed the window, and then I ran back to the bed. I prayed I was just dreaming. However, the next morning, the family found one of my uncle's ladders outside the window of the room I was sleeping in. Somehow, I had missed it. How had I not seen it the night before? Unless he came back with the ladder to get a better angle to open the window with. Also, there were scratches at every door to the house. 
I was too scared to ever tell them what happened to me that night. But now I feel I should have told them, because what if he had gotten inside? Ireland Shadow from Phantom Girl 06 In March of 2009, I was about 21 years old, and I was going to Ireland. It was always my dream to go back to where my family descended from. The only thing that worried me was that even though I was with a group of students from college, I was going to another country by myself, without my parents or family. To a normal 21-year-old, that was great, but I was different. I'd never been anywhere, really, without my parents, and I'd never left the Midwest before. Heck, I really didn't leave Missouri all that much in 21 years. I got on the plane and flew to Ireland. The first day was great, but then I started to have separation anxiety, and I missed my parents, so I went to the local internet cafe and saw that they had phone booths. I got into the booth, and I started crying. The phone rang, and I soon heard my mother's voice. I was so happy to hear it. I said, hey, mom. Sabrina, are you okay? No, I want to come home. What happened? Well, nothing, but I... I would come get you. I would, but I can't. Just try to enjoy yourself. She hung up. After that, I realized it was getting dark. As I was paying the clerk at the internet cafe for using the phone, I asked about where a temple bar was, as I was staying at a hostel there. He told me directions, but he said it so fast that I couldn't really understand him. I tried to ask him to slow down. He did, and it helped a little bit. As I was leaving, he said something that made my blood run cold. Watch out for shadows. They're unwild and stick to the light. As I began my walk, the streetlight near me began to dim down, and I began to hear some very odd sounds. I chalked it up to being out in another country, alone, but the noises grew louder and louder. I began to run, finding myself in a dark alley, the opposite of what the man had said. I realized how dumb my decision was, and before I could run out, I saw a figure... One that seemed to glide. My eyes widened in panic, and I saw that it was just a shadow, not a man, and it was pursuing me. I ran back to the light as fast as I could, blood seeming to freeze in my veins. I couldn't stop looking at it, and because of that, I caught sight of two red dots at the top of it, as if they were eyes. I felt as if they were trying to do something to me, but I didn't know what. I had to run. I had to get away from it. I remember being so scared that I even pulled out my phone to record a quick message, stating my name and age in a panic, told them where I was from and where I was at the time. I then said that I love you, Mom and Dad. I could soon make out lights at the end of the alley. It was the lights from my hostel. All I had to do was keep running to the light... So I did. But I could both hear it, but not hear it, behind me. It was like my mind knew it was there, 
and it was making the sound effects for me in my panic. When I made it to the doors, I burst through and fell on the stairs in front of the desk, scaring the crap out of the night crew. One of them asked me, Are you okay? I was catching my breath, so I simply nodded. Could I please have the room key? They complied, and I quickly went to my room with the other people. I guess my moral here is if you travel, travel in a buddy system. If you walk around, don't go alone. And definitely listen to what the locals have to offer as advice. If they tell you to stick to the roads near the lights because the shadows come alive, you'd better take it to heart. Even on the Emerald Isle, known for its natural beauty and carefree locals, you can find the most explicit and visceral of horrors. There's no escape in this world from that which haunts us, from that which we don't understand. Horror, fear, it is ingrained in our very beings. For so long as we can feel pain and be hunted, we will feel pain and we will be hunted. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have your own scary experience, especially if it's about backpacking, I want to hear it. Send it to us at darkstories.org. Check the links in the description to support the show. There's a link to donate on Patreon and a link to my merch store. Thank you. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode, titled, I Hear Chewing in My Attic and four other true scary stories. Pagilla says, I hear chewing in my attic. Well, I hear moaning in my mom's room, but I'm not complaining. Well, thanks for the laugh and the other kind of nightmares. Hemat Chan says, Nom nom noises. Well, when you put it like that, it's not as creepy and I want to hug it. Twitter Glitter says, That's just me getting a snack at 3 a.m. You know, if you eat too late... You're gonna have nightmares. That's what I was always told, but it was a lie. All I get is freaking heartburn. Fire Chocolate says, Can't wait to listen to these stories. I love your voice, and go to sleep to it every night. Yeah, my wife gets to hear it every day, filled with a thick accent that I can't help with sometimes. Zeldasaurus Rex says, I think darkness is the chewing I hear under my bed during the night. Thanks for the awesome videos. You're welcome. And if you do hear me chewing, it's definitely a pizza lunchable. Man, I can't get enough of those. I recently tried those uploaded versions with the sandwiches. And they're pretty good. But double the meat and double the cheese, and I'm sold for life. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. But don't you worry. More scary stories are coming soon. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who light up my life. Remember, stay safe out there. And stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. When you travel deep into the wilderness... Those turkey and cheddar lunchables you stuffed into your backpack aren't going to help you. In fact...
They'll go to waste quickly, as you become a human lunchable for some ferocious and ravenous creature that stalks those woods. Today, I finally have some scary and allegedly true backpacking stories that will have you rethinking that hiking trip, and probably your life too. Enjoy the stories, and be sure to share your own with us at darkstories.org for a chance to have them narrated. Now, let's begin. Round and Round the Past by Anonymous the first day of spring on the Montana mountains is still winter more often than not, but I was determined to mark it with spring's first outing into the woods. I threw together some snacks, a thermos of hot tea, a spare flannel shirt in case the weather turned bad, and I slung my backpack over my shoulder. I would be backpacking to the canyon campground, a place with only an outhouse bathroom at the base, a couple of fire pits, and no other development beyond deer trails and an old logging road, which was rumored to lead to a meeting place of modern-day druids. As expected, winter was still hanging on as the elevation increased, and snow lay under every tree and bush, unmarked by even animal tracks. They had the sense to stay asleep or in hiding and wait for better weather, unlike me. The snow of the campground itself showed marks from tire tracks of that same day, maybe just an hour old or less. Crossing the first long field heading toward the trees on the mountainside, the snowmobile tracks told me what the vehicles had been there for, and it looked to be a good time had by all. Even though it was silent now, I could imagine the noisy engines and people in snowsuits packing down the trails with their machines, having a blast. I hoped they hadn't disturbed the wildlife, as some people like to do, but I was happy to see that the only deer tracks were punched through the snowmobile tread marks, not the other way around, so the deer had come and crossed the trail after they were gone. Deer's eyes have a funny way of making a person feel watched, and I was starting to feel that effect as I tried to walk quietly through the semi-packed trails and make my way to the huge ponderosa pine that some of us called the Father Tree. This tree stands above all the others, and is so wide at the base, two people can stand behind it and never be seen from the front. The tree was the site of many nature lovers' offerings. I had seen hanging crystals, little clay animals, coins, home-baked breads, and jewelry. These things had the feel of offerings, not sacrifices, happy presents given in wonder or thanks for the gift of spending time in the presence of this giant. By a certain point in my hike, I knew I should be getting close to the father tree soon. I looked forward to the stop where I could sit on some of the branches, drink some tea, and be with the old pine. Moments passed, but that watched feeling did not lessen, nor did I reach the tree like I expected. I circled around to try to find the trail again. I'd been here fifty times before, at least, in every season and all kinds of weather, day or night. I should have been there already, and I definitely should not have gotten lost. I passed an old falling wooden rail fence with some old words carved into it. I paid no attention to it on my way to find the tree. 
and yet again, I found myself somehow not at the tree, passing the fence again. I glanced at it and saw there were some kinds of names and dates carved in the silvery gray wood, but I pressed on with my single-minded goal. Then a third time, the tops of all the trees looked the same without a patriarch standing above them. I was becoming irritated with myself. How could I be so stupid that I could not find a place where I'd been so many times before? And again, the fence, my tracks, and I noticed this time around the writing included some kind of military rank as part of the names. That detail was a bit interesting, but it still wasn't enough to deter me from finding the tree. The day was getting on. The sunlight began to turn orange-gold, slanting under the clouds. I knew there wasn't much time left to get to this completely simple and nearby location I wanted to visit, not to mention it gets dangerous when the temperature falls. I went up the slope again, focused on the dirt road beneath the snow, which I could feel. The steady rise in the ground, the number of steps I knew so well that should take me to my destination. The ground began to slope downwards again, and I knew I had once more somehow bypassed the simple turn to the right that would have taken me thirty feet up to the tree. The deer were beginning to come out, watching from between the trees now. It was getting to be their time to enjoy the twilight privacy of the place, which should be abandoned. But there I was, the watched feeling getting even more intense, and I knew it was time to give up. With a sigh, I started to go back toward the way out, and somehow found myself once again at the falling down rail fence. I stopped, and I really looked at it this time. I got close to it this time, to read the letters carved in pocket knife block text. A story was told in the letters, and the lack of them. Private J. Collins and Mary P. August, 1941. That was written inside of a heart. Then below that, the lone name of the one who waited. Mary P. August, 1942. Then Mary, December 25th, 1942. There were bird packs from flickers going after bugs in the old wood, and there were other faintly scratched names of passers-by and one more deep, gouged, untidy carving after that. Lieutenant J. Collins, 1944. There was a weathered gash in the wood beside it. I felt it all, then, how Mary had come back to track time while her lover went overseas to war, how time passed, and she either gave up hope of seeing him again, or had passed away. I could smell the musty wool of the soldier's coat then. I felt the chill setting into his hands as his heart broke, and he carved that last date into the wood. There was a rusted and crushed old canteen, pressed into the cold, dead, tan grass and ice, half buried by the fence post. My eyes stung and grew watery for him, and I pressed my head against those letters. I'm... I'm sorry, Jay. I hope you found happiness again. But something told me that he hadn't. 
The acknowledgement and the touch of a warm human hand on the carved letters appeared to have released some hold over my mind, because when I looked up, the sunset was lighting up the top of the father tree, standing above all the others on the mountainside, like some golden-green flaming beacon. It was too late to hike up there again and go to it, but I stayed at the old fence a while longer and had a warm thermos of tea and talked to the unseen presence of Lieutenant Collins, wishing him a warm spring, promising I'd come back other times to remember him on visits to the father tree. Hunted From Bilbo 1776 I enjoy hiking, and in 2015 I set my sights on getting to know more of the prior mountain range, the western side to be more specific. It was July, and I had two full weeks of paid vacation coming, so I took it. I packed my things, grabbed my 38 Special. I believed I had everything I'd needed. I had a friend drop me off close to the mountains, and off I went, backpacking my way through. The first day went well. I got into the alpine areas, where it was cooler and had good sources of water, which was necessary for my MREs. I still cleaned the water by boiling and using chlorine tablets to be safe. Four days in, nothing happened other than me enjoying the beauty of the place. Close to the fifth evening, I observed at one point that there were no sounds coming from the forest, like usual until a squirrel chattered and everything started back up again. That was weird, but I brushed it off as them seeing me and going silent for a moment. That night, I made my fire, after running some rope with bells on it, hanging it around my camp just far enough off the ground that they would jingle if the rope was bumped. I stoked the fire with some dry logs and one very large chunk of damp log, in hopes of preserving enough embers to restart the fire in the morning. Checking over everything one more time, I settled into my one-man army tent for what would be a night from hell. What must have been four or five hours later, I woke up suddenly, not knowing why. I sat still, listening, for some reason feeling an edge in the air. Then I heard a single jingle-jangle sound from off to the left. Then it went quiet. There was no breathing, no footsteps, no wind, no crickets. Five or ten minutes of silence went by before there was another jingle-jangle. It was coming from the right. Again, it went quiet. I couldn't tell if there was actually anything out there. Then, with my ears strained to their limits... I heard the faint crunch of pine needles. I reached up to the corner of my tent, thankful I hadn't brought my nylon sleeping bag, which would have made way too much noise, more than the bells had. I grabbed the pistol grip and slowly brought my other hand over to grab the holster. Then I readied it. I had the hammer pulled back as silently as possible. I put my hand back at my side, Three more times the bells rang. Three more times I gripped that pistol harder, straining my ears. Each time the ringing came from a different point in the circle of rope, as if whatever it was really wanted to get in, but did not like the sound the bells were making, 
and perhaps could not step over them. Meanwhile, I'm weighing the possibilities of what it could be. There was almost no other sound except for testing the perimeter. What could be that quiet, and why was the forest itself so silent? Hours must have passed, as the sun just barely began to light up the area outside my tent. By this time, I hadn't heard anything for at least two hours. Though I didn't have a way to tell time, so it was anyone's guess. I finally got up the nerve and abruptly extracted myself from the small tent, awkwardly as I had to throw off a sleeping bag and unzip two zippers before getting out. Revolver in hand, eyes wide, I looked everywhere around me. Once I knew nothing was just standing out there waiting for me, I scoured the ground close to the rope. Then, using the small light I had on my hat, I found it. Only one. The faintest of paw prints and only partial one. It was about the size of my fist and had what looked to be a padded foot with three toes to it. I didn't see any evidence of claws, though. My first thought was mountain lion. Instantly, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and a you're-being-watched vibe came through me. I quickly looked up, saw a flash of eyes from the faint light from my hat. That's when I was attacked. In that moment, I somehow had pointed the gun up, shot, and my other arm was coming up to protect my throat, which somehow was a piece of information that snuck through the chaos that I had learned from a trapper friend of mine. Cats go for the throat. In an instant, I was slammed to the ground, pressure suddenly on my left forearm, claws digging through my thick canvas jacket. Then, with a lurch and yet harder bite, I felt teeth in my arm, and I fired my gun again. To no avail, except to either simply piss it off more, or give a flesh wound to the beast, because it clamped down even harder. More sharp pain shot through me, and then the grip of my pistol was no longer in my right hand. I began to flail about, kicking, punching, nothing but more ripping of my arm and upper legs for a response. I do not know how long we struggled, me never thinking of the knife in my belt, only the pain and the thought that I was being torn apart. For a moment, the entire atmosphere seemed to change. I felt the release of its jaws around my arm. The claws left my flesh in a flash of pain, and then came the sudden and sort of cruel sound of pain coming from the mountain lion. It was a sound I'll never forget, and in the next moment, there was a movement above me, and the feeling of being grasped by the hair on my chest through what was left of my clothes. Air whipped past my ears, and then there was nothing but darkness. I woke up to a throbbing in my head like no hangover could ever produce. I had an ache all over my body. Looking up, I found a cloudy gray sky wind blowing something fierce. My body would not cooperate with me, not for a while. When it finally did, I found a battleground all around me. I looked around beside the tree I woke up next to. I found a dead mountain lion. I fell back in surprise. An hour or so later, once I got moving, 
I knew I couldn't stop, or I'd never get out of the freaking forest. Somehow I found the energy to push forward. I found my revolver. I cleared the barrel and used every neosporin packet in my medkit on my arm wound. I bandaged the worst of my leg wounds. I ate a dry MRE and drank some water. I didn't take anything when I left there except for the medkit, some food, and some bullets. I never went back to get the rest. I spent a night in a ranger cabin that had nothing but the springs out of an old mattress to sleep on, then moved on to try and get phone service. Once I got home, I had time to think about everything that had happened. What could throw me, a 200-pound man, like a pillow, and kill a 130-pound mountain lion so easily? This question is what keeps me out of the woods, away from what I once loved to this day. There was no report about this, and I went to a pro-med clinic to get stitched up. Round here, when you say you don't want to talk about it, people don't ask more. Just be careful if you think you still need to go camping, because there are multiple forces at work, some natural, and others far from it. Backpacking in the Woods from Stalked and Hunted. I'll be 25 on the 26th of September. This is important because it was my 15th birthday when I had the worst backpacking experience of my life. So, it'll be the 10-year anniversary this Thursday. I've always been a very observant person. My great-grandmother always said I was an old soul who took in everything. But the one time I wasn't paying attention to my surroundings, it almost got me killed. I was backpacking with my best friend, Lacey, and her family in the Appalachian Woods, just off of the Blue Ridge Parkway in Boone, North Carolina. She and I had been best friends since we were toddlers, and her parents always made a point of taking me out for my birthday for a getaway. We were just over an hour from our hometown, so not too far, but also not too close. It was a chilly fall day, and the air tasted of fallen leaves and smelled of apples. There was a light fog in the air, but not enough to hinder your vision. We set up our camp around seven in the morning, and gathered our supplies for a day-long hike through the thick forest around us. There was a slight dampness in the air, and I remember feeling a slight wind that was beating at my light jacket. Once our hiking gear was equipped, Lacey and I began our trek, pushing thick undergrowth to the side and maneuvering to find the path located near our tent. I must mention here we didn't see anyone else at the other campsite, nor the parking lot when we parked our car. It was entirely deserted, which tickled my adrenaline and gave me a bit of a rush. Once we found the path which was covered in undergrowth, we began climbing the mountain to hopefully get some good views in before needing to return to camp. I had my old camera with me that I took everywhere, being an aspiring photographer. The path was hard to follow at times, but Lacey and I did our best. About halfway to the top, we stopped for lunch. It was then that I thought I heard something in the bushes behind us, 
but Lacey convinced me it was just nerves, because this was our first hike without parents. We enjoyed some protein bars and water from our canteens when... Thunk. What was that? I asked Lacey. Probably a squirrel, she answered, looking around nervously. Yeah, you're probably right, I said. We hurried up and finished our lunch, then removed our jackets as the midday sun warmed the air around us. All right, Mila, let's get going if you want to see the peak before time to head back, Lacey said. We continued hiking up the steep terrain, and I nervously shook the feeling that we were being watched. I've since learned not to shake that instinct. We made it to the summit about three hours after lunch, and looked around in awe. We had camped there many times over the past few years, but there was something about experiencing it with just your best friend by your side that made it that much more breathtaking. It's beautiful, Lacey said, breaking the silence. It really is. I don't remember being able to see that far into the distance, I replied. I took several photos and bagged my camera. We sat down and had a snack while taking in everything with each of our senses. The smell of the autumn air, the feel of the cool, damp air on our skin, the sounds of the woods coming to life, the taste of the perfectly ripe apples we had brought for lunch, the feel of... Wait. The feel of... A hand on my shoulder... Lacey was on the other side of me. I could see both of her hands on her canteen. This wasn't Lacey. Lacey? I whispered. What's up, Mila? She asked, still looking over the vista. There's... That's all I was able to get out, before another hand was slapped over my mouth, and I had begun being dragged back towards the steep ledge behind us. Lacey laughed and began to turn. Mila, stop. You're... Her smile faded to a look of fear. She covered her mouth with both hands, her canteen falling and spilling on the rock we were just perched on. Let her go! Oh my god, Mila! She yelled, and my captor, whoever they were, twisted around, and my left leg now dangled over the edge of the cliff. I screamed too terrified to fight them off. If I moved too much, if I breathed a little too deep, would I go over the edge? Quiet, both of you. I heard him yell. Wait, I, I know that voice. Ben? I struggled to say through his tight grip on my face. Ben was a boy we had gone to school with for a couple of years. He was nineteen, a senior graduating the following spring. He had left me a few notes in my locker since school started back. Disturbing notes. Saying what he'd like to do to me. It wasn't romantic things, either. It wasn't nice things at all that he had written to me. Lacey caught wind of this and had told him to back off, told him I wasn't interested, and called him a creep. He had since left me alone until now. My God, Lacey muttered. Lacey, run! Call your dad! I yelled out, rather unintelligibly through Ben's hand. Luckily, she understood me, taking off back down the mountain. I've got you alone. Finally.
been growled. I saw Lacey's mom post on Facebook. You were coming out here to celebrate your birthday. I knew you'd come here. I needed to talk to you. He breathed into my ear. I swallowed tears. I stayed here all night last night, not far from your campsite. I heard a vehicle, and I prayed to God it would be you. I could finally show you. I watched you all unpack your things. I watched you change into your hiking gear. Oh God, how I wished it were just you and me here. Maybe for our honeymoon we can come back. He seemed to be panting like he had run miles, but I know it was something worse. This guy was demented beyond what I thought. I could hear a helicopter approaching in the distance. I hoped with everything in me it was search and rescue or some sort of authority. But he kept going, ignoring the sound. Ah, and as you walked up the mountain, I followed, stayed just far enough behind. When you took your lunch break, I thought for sure you'd caught me when I tripped over that root and hit my arm on the tree. But now, Lacey covered for the noise without even meaning to. Suddenly, he let go of me and gasped. Above us, the helicopter had appeared and a ladder lowered down. In a panic, he jumped from the edge of the cliff into the canopy below. I heard branches break. Then again, it could have been bones. An officer, a ranger or search and rescue or something, I'm not really sure, descended from the ladder and picked me up. The authorities think that Ben died there, but they didn't find a body. Even still, there has been no recovery of a body. I made it out alive, but only barely. Someone that psychotic. I'm sure he wanted me dead, so that no one else could have me. The moral of this story would be to trust your instinct, and never hike without protection. Otherwise, you're asking to be taken by surprise. Being Followed From Anonymous After serving in the U.S. Army for 11 years, I went on a two-month European backpacking trip. I had no valid plan but to go through as many countries as I could, especially the countries that I've been wanting to visit for a while. I'm planning another trip through Europe for some time in the summer of next year, actually. Anyway, on my previous trip, when in Rome, Italy, I realized that I felt like someone was following me. A little backstory. I had been walking around Rome, checking out the sights, and as I was walking around, I noticed that this man was walking behind me. I proceeded to step to the side to let him by. He continued walking, and I continued walking in the direction that I was heading in. But as I went on, I noticed the guy again. I tried not to think about it. I just proceeded to continue walking. But I did notice that the guy was walking in the same direction as me, again. I began to feel a little anxious about the whole thing. Then I began to head in a completely different direction, finding a more crowded area. I thank my mother for always teaching me to never walk into isolated areas, 
especially if you think you're being followed. After realizing that with each turn, the guy was right there still, walking a little faster, I gradually walked a bit faster myself, and I was relieved when I finally found an area of crowded people with some type of art festival going on. I would have stopped to look at the artwork, but the guy was nearly to me. I was hoping that he didn't notice me, and I proceeded to slip away in a restaurant. With my luck, I couldn't find one, and when I turned around, the guy was there behind me. But he stopped when a group of police officers walked by. I got close to them, and even pointed out the man to them. I'm so thankful to those police officers for being there. And even scarier, human trafficking was spiking in the area at the time. And people who were obviously tourists, maybe even myself, were easy targets. That may have been a pretty close call. Well, I hope you've learned your lesson, you silly, healthy backpackers. That's right, you'd better be packing some firepower in that pack. And perhaps a few of your friendly SWAT team members, too. Anything to shoo away those mountain lions, creepy stalker, and ghostly visages that want your Slim Jim. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. It helps a lot. If you have your own story, definitely share it with us at darkstories.org. Check the links in the description to support the show. There's a link to my Patreon where you can donate, and a link to my merch store to get some pretty creepy cool shirts. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous episode about three disturbing true stories from Tennessee. Death to Stormcloak says, Good thing we're not in Alabama. Huh. The movie's about Tennessee, but okay. Austin Morris says, Viewer from Smyrna, Tennessee. Awesome. I hope you survived the terrors of the Tennessee woods long enough to hear these stories. Joe Licioni says, Darkness, what's good? Let's see here. My Wife, The Combat in Borderlands 3, and Pepperoni Pizza. Jen Child says, I'm not finna go to Tennessee. Don't worry, girl, cause Tennessee will come right to you. It does that sometimes. Random Weird Kid says, Tennessee is cool, but Alabama is full of disturbing acts. Well, I know I'm gonna have to hit more states again soon. So Alabama, Ohio, those are on my list. And I definitely gotta do a video on Florida Man. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one.